On this episode of Those Conspiracy Guys, we talk about one of the most dramatically interconnected men in conspiracy lore. A man who had more fingers and more pies than Mr. Kipling, and who was responsible for more rock than Dwayne Johnson. The king of cocaine, and the reason anyone had something to toot throughout the 70s and 80s in America, this episode, we're talking about Barry Seal. The tragic and almost comical subject of a 2017 Tom Cruise film, American Made, Barry Seal was much more than a bit part character in a withering web of drugs and government shenanigans. Barry was the spear's tip when it came to a lot of operations that were world-changing, culture-morphing and law-defying, and his actions fueled and funded some of the most influential and destructive foreign policy in United States history. Barry was essentially a pilot, a damn good one. A man with very little conscience and big brass bollocks. So when he was caught smuggling drugs by the DEA, he was given an option. In working with government agencies, he made powerful allegiances and worked his way through the system to become almost untouchable, up to the level of the White House and, if possible, beyond. Barry worked with many different branches of the intelligence community, running guns for the CIA, spying for the DEA, informing for the FBI, and generally playing all sides while making a few bucks here and there. His public presence in the history of this period in the United States is only the tippy-top of a gigantic iceberg of black ops and inhumane policy the US government engaged in throughout the 70s and 80s, and who says they ever stopped? Barry was involved in the running of guns to anti-communist rebels in South America and transporting cocaine back to America, fueling the drugs crisis, the just-say-no era of Reagan's presidency and the drug-addled gang warfare of New York and L.A. This is what he's most famous for, but he may have been secretly involved in this type of operation much earlier, during the Vietnam War. Barry made powerful friends, including the drug lord Pablo Escobar and the head of the CIA, George H.W. Bush. Best buddies. Barry operated as if he was untouchable, and when pardoned by a future U.S. president and defended by all and sundry in multiple branches of the U.S. law enforcement community, you would get a big head of yourself, wouldn't you? So, obviously, this all couldn't continue indefinitely, and Barry made too many enemies and the party had to come to an end. The death of Barry Seal is somewhat of a mystery still, and who is really responsible? Maybe we'll never know. But the story we will tell today is just a small sliver of a much bigger system of corruption, collusion, conspiracy, and control that we may never really understand the full scale of. But we can see its results on our streets and in our homes to this very day. So who was Barry Seal really? A renegade flyboy or a groomed and trained government operative? Why was Barry Seal so untouchable by law enforcement? Did Barry have a bigger part in the Vietnam War than his biography shows? How much control did the US government have over Pablo Escobar and how could Barry come and go so easily from Colombia? How much did Barry know about these black operations, and if he were alive today, could he shed some more light on the dark activities of the CIA, DEI, FBI and others? 
Who actually killed Barry Seal and why was his apparent assassination linked so closely to so many other suicides and mysterious deaths? Was Barry Seal working directly for the Clintons? And if not, how was his operation allowed to function so freely in Mena, Arkansas? Or was this all just a coincidence? A comedy of errors? Was Barry just a man operating in the blind spots of legal jurisdiction and falling through the cracks of jurisdictional bureaucracy? So join us, co-conspirators, as we rev the engine of intrigue and fly low and slow through the radar field of conspiracy, dodging bullets of suspicion as they fly in pairs at our heads, searching the marshlands for bales of truth to scrape into greedy lines of allegation as we get high on our own supply of the alarmingly real facts and history of this episode of Those Conspiracy Guys. This time, we're talking about Barry Seal. episode of those conspiracy guys this time we're we're talking about i I think possibly one of the most interconnected like prolifically conspiratorial characters in the whole conspiracy canon uh this time we're talking about barry seal and the the cia operation to ship drugs in and out uh of south america into the u.s known as the enterprise but mostly this episode is about barry seal a bold man and a, a a naughty pup who transported billions of dollars and thousands and thousands of kilos, or pounds if you're American, from, from South America into the US. Uh, we're talking connections between uh, government agencies, FBI, CIA, DEA, ATF, uh, LGBT, all, all the letter organ- organisations. And these lads all had a fingers in the pie of Barry Seal's you know, bakery. And... Uh, it's such an interconnected show. I don't know what you're expecting coming into this. I didn't expect to find what I found looking into this stuff. There are so many other offshoots coming from this episode, just so you know. Um, this will not be a definitive, uh, f- like, full deep dive into all the little bits and bobs, like the Clintons, uh, Operation Condor, uh, all of the, 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 the South American stuff, like Pablo Escobar and the Medellin Cartel. They're going to get their own episode as well. Uh, uh, so many offshoots, but this one is a linchpin episode. We're talking about Barry Seal. And it's a nice little kind of smorgasbord of 60s, 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s conspiracy theory hits. Uh, all t- told through the, the tale of one uh, mildly obese and very braggadocious uh, gentleman from Louisiana known as uh, Barry Seal. And joining me in the studio all the way from across the nation, 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 nation. Uh, I have two uh, strapping gentlemen here joining me in the studio, and I, I'm very grateful for their first time on a deep dive. Both we've two uh, we've two deep dive versions in the house. We have from Waterford Whispers, and uh, that guy you've probably seen on Reddit or Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> the the beautiful mind wrapped in beautiful hair of uh, Mr. Jerry McBride. Jerry, welcome to the show. How are you keeping going? Lovely to be here. Uh, it's uh, fantastic to have you. Yeah. My blood sugar is rising, even just thinking about having you in the studio. Uh, <laughs> this is TCG3, or the Third Reich, as I like to call it. I'm working on the title, don't worry about it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm Thousand Year in the Studio! And um, 
you you were you joined me on the much appreciated and like very well received episode on uh, Mr. Chris Benoit. Yes, and and like you know, in in my memory, that's like last week or the week before, Cordo. Yeah, but in actual fact, that's years ago. I'm not, know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not ragging on you for not getting me back on quick enough. I'm just, it was I'm just late 2018. Well, yeah, and I had. You know what? In the middle of the main time, Flew, didn't I? I didn't have a fucking studio to, to have that's you right, in. That's on. right. Did you um, come to the studio in Dublin? That's at right. Any point? You came to do a to do Benoit. Benoit, and that was it. That was it. Benoit in Dublin. <laughs> Benoit. 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 You talking about? Yeah. <laughs> And, but, um, uh, but, but uh, and and I'm delighted that you have me on here to talk about. I'm so happy you're here, Barry Seal, who is as we'll get into it here. He is the Google Street View man. <laughs> <laughs> He's of, of but, drugs. It's yeah. just like you know anywhere, any, anywhere between, as you say yourself, CIA, DEA, up north, down south. You just have Barry Seal, and you can drop him in literally anywhere. If you taken cocaine in the seventies or eighties. <laughs> Probably it passed through the hands of Barry Seal <laughs> at some point. Oh, that old classic cocaine before they brought in the new recipe. <laughs> and then that other voice you hear, you may notice from uh, such episodes as the Port Arthur Massacre, uh, the Southern Hemisphere's answer to... Gun control? What's your man's name? Oh, Martin Bryant. Martin Bryant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dim. The, the, <laughs> he's also quite dim. The Martin Bryant of <laughs> Dublin City... Uh, we have Mr. Demo Clark, Demo comedian extraordinaire. I know you. I know both of you many years at Demo. I know you from from the woolshed back in the dizzy. Back in the very day, Gordo. It's great to ago. see. And, and I was great just, to have you back, man. Thanks, man. It's a pleasure to be back. And I was just thinking there. This is probably the first time that all three of us have been together, and we're all dads now. Oh my god! The first yeah. time we've been together in the same room while we're all dads. Mad, the, eh? The last You've time we were on the same room together, we were just spilling seed for nothing. For nothing. For no good <laughs> <Just> purpose. <laughs> and now, like... Le- the liters and liters, and it didn't go- make any people at all, and then we all have people. That we came. all have people. Yeah. And why do Crazy. I bring that up? Because, well, we all look more wrecked than we used to. Yeah, yeah. But mainly because Barry Seal was a dad of three. Hey! <laughs> so maybe we can relate in some way. I think he was a dad of... Five or possibly six. He probably was yeah. a dad to many. Oh, he he had many. Boris Johnson on it. He was tra- throwing them out. He had a couple of marriages. Yeah. He had a couple of children. Yeah. And we talk about how his children got a bit shirty after his death as well. They they came looking as they do. Be careful, lads. Oh, yeah. Um, but Demo, you're you're still treading the boards, doing comedy as well as you can. You had a, a I I feel a fantastically successful uh, anti anti COVID comedy career. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Did, uh, you 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 circumvented the. Well, not circumvented. That's probably that sounds make it sounds illegal. You uh, skirted the borders of good taste <laughs> yeah. and decency by going to people's houses and doing gigs in their fucking back gardens, which I thought, and I've said it on the show many times, was a, the most genius comedy entrepreneurial move of the whole of the fucking lockdown. I like that. We'll go with genius and not desperate. Uh, look, at <laughs> from, I just had to gig. I love it. From and desperation <laughs> comes comes beautiful things, you know. Yeah, we all have we all have kids, so I mean, someone must have been desperate in that transaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we did uh, me, myself, and Danny Bryan mainly like uh, sometimes him on his own, sometimes me on his own, sometimes with other pals. But we did car parks, we did blocks of flats, we did backyards, front yards, street parties, like whatever. Like, bit like Barry Seal, to be honest. Bit, bit like Barry Seal. <laughs> yeah, we were zipping around, like we knew where the checkpoints were because <laughs> we had Waze, the Waze app. That was our like, uh, that was our like CIA. Oh, that's where all the airports are. There's the yeah. radar. Comedy Roblox. Yeah, I love like, it. We're looking at Waze. We're like, okay, we have to drive through in the fire. All right, lads, pull over there. How many jokes have you told today? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, we're hiding the microphone, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, un- under the undercarriage of the car. <laughs> we're dropping it out the bottom. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like Drop a, the microphone. You had like a secret compartment in the boot for all of your, your cables and microphones yeah. and all that stuff. But oh. here, tell a joke into this, will you? And keep <laughs> yeah, yeah. holding it up to your mouth. That sounds like you told a joke recently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was like such a good idea. You guys executed it so, so well. You had a, a comedy TV special put on Virgin Media. Uh, like fantastic stuff man. and then you went out and you started like teaching kids in schools uh, like workshops and comedy yeah which is man such a beautiful thing man oh and like the, when we were talking on the phone and I was like I was cracking up emotionally because it was one of the best things ever like yes. kids who kids who uh, find it trouble to, like find it tough like I find it trouble talking to people because I can't even talk but they, they couldn't even talk to the, like their peers as such <gasps> and then you give them a microphone and go uh, tell us a little something that you're into, or tell us something that you and don't no one like. Can interrupt you. And they go up, and yeah. it, oh mate, and all the teachers are up the back, their jaws drop. Going, I've never heard this kid talk before, and they're like 14, 15 years yeah. of age, and it was ah oh, mate, some of the best stuff, and it's hilarious. There's something so magical about being given the platform without fear of recrimination or fear of you know a, a blowback or anybody kind of making you stand on your point, like that you can just have the freedom to be able to just speak your mind and later turn it into a conversation where you can learn, adapt, just, you know, uh, uh, empathise and switch yourself around. But I think the best thing for most ideas is to let it have sunlight. And if it's a bad idea, the sunlight will disinfect it. And if it's a good idea, it can brighten up other people's lives, you know? Like, I think uh, speaking stuff out is probably the most important thing that humans can be doing now. Yeah. Be it bad or good. And I know a lot of people are saying a lot of bad stuff, but it's I think it's worse like pushing that stuff down. Be it like, you know, hate speech or whatever fucking shit. Or if it's like, I feel bad about myself. Or maybe I think these things, you know, the inner voice that fucking haunts your bollocks. Yeah. And, and when you and say makes you that. feel shitty and you're saying all this <laughs> stuff to yourself. And as soon as you say it out loud, someone goes, No, that's not the case because this and you're like, Oh yeah. And it fucking kills that shit dead. Straight away. Or you go, Yeah, I think that all the time. It's just we You're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. I find a lot of people and a lot of young people send me DMs, send me emails, send me messages going, as this new show and you said some shit and it was fucking like this. And I'm like, um, that is amazing. It swells my heart like cholesterol. It's so beautiful <laughs> to know that like the bullshit and the dick jokes and all the fucking shit that we'd be going on with on this show is able to get out to people so I can empathize or uh, identify with that feeling of you going into schools and interacting directly with the kids and being like, here's a fucking platform. Say your stuff. Yeah. And then just as we know, because having kids, all the kids really want at the start, or especially to the parents, is they want to be heard. Yes. Mama, 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 da 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 And then they'll say something like a broken record until you repeat it. Go like, mm. Try they, in different tones. Think, mama, they, mama, yeah, mama, 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 da 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 You know, but then and you that's think, just you. that's just, yeah, that's, that's me Toilet talking. Toilet paper. Like, wipe, you ran out. <laughs> wipe my butt, butts. <laughs> but, like, that's their pure instinct. And that reminds me of, like, when we were that age, we would have been the same. But everyone just wants to be heard, really. Yes. Yeah. To an point, to, we just want to be heard. And then if you don't, then that's, that might be an inner thing going, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm holding something back because I don't think they'll understand because... Because I'm different and blah blah blah, but you yeah. know, but if you all the things that you think make you different, if you say it loud, even go, oh, I like the, it's either entertaining or people go, oh yeah, I get exactly where that person's coming from. Yeah, a lot of people are are pretty much the same. Yeah, we're all the same. Yeah. Just want to be heard. Yeah, it's a good way to start off this show because we're going <laughs> to talk about some pretty fucking dark stuff. We'll start off with a bit of lightness, a bit of fucking. 
We just want to be heard. And that's why people do cocaine. Just wetting you because up a little bit. Yeah. That's why people do coke. Because they just want to be heard and nobody wants to... Like, cocaine <laughs> it makes, you, makes you talk and not listen. It's a fantastic drug. So public speaking is, is probably better than giving cocaine to kids in schools. That's where I'm... <laughs> That's where I'm going with all of that. That's a good, that's a good uh, hill to die on, Emma, I have to say. If, if you take one thing from this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoken you know? word is better than cocaine. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, so many poets now just being like, yeah, man, you got any fucking adjectives? Yeah. <laughs> Cr- crack on the mark. Don't yeah. crack out the crack. Love it. Um, yeah, so this episode is about Barry Seal, boys. Uh, without, you know, further adieu, um, we'll start with Jerry. Did you know anything about fucking Barry Seal before we started this? Like, to put... To put the listener in the same place as us, we, who have done the research over the last little while, like I was up till five o'clock this morning going deep into fucking like, uh, you know, murders, suicides in Arkansas, uh, as we get to later on, and we all know who was fucking, uh, you know, who was responsible for that shit. But like, did you, have you had you heard about I, Barry Seal before I, we started recording for this show I was or probably, researching? It was probably like a lot of people, like I'd, I'd seen the Tom Cruise movie. Aye, good movie. And, uh. As I started reading into it for the podcast here, you realise, well, that movie was what it was. It was a movie based on true events, and based on true events is a broad umbrella. Yeah. Um, they are... Based, indeed, based on a true story. It yeah. should have based in bold, like like it's loosely, yeah. you know, affiliated with something that maybe might have happened. Based on a true story that may or may not have happened to Barry Seal or anywhere around him. Uh, but the more that I got into Barry Seal for, for the podcast, I realised... It's, it's, it's like when you go for a walk and you turn around and go like, holy shit, I am nowhere near the house. I've wandered. Yeah. I'm far away. And that was what it was with this podcast, with the research for this podcast. I was like, holy shit, Barry Seal is far in the distance here. There's so much stuff between us as people searching for information and who Barry Seal was. Yeah. And there's so much like green lush fields yeah. of information between here and there there was a lot of there was a lot of and then and then these lads showed up and then uh, and then this or before this before anything in the movie happened yeah five yeah. other movies of stuff had already yeah. happened that's the thing that fucking melted my forehead and and yeah. and, and like you know uh, you know it's like it's like all great st- subjects you know you're going to go okay barry seal flew planes dropped off bales of cocaine here and there simple but, story simple story Tale is oldest <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. uh, and then you turn around and go like, oh. <laughs> and then the government nearly collapsed. Yeah, yeah, twice, three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I too had had seen the movie. I think that's where I got to know the name of Barry. I heard, you know, heard of him before, but now yeah. you go, okay, he was that guy. So that was the based part. But also, can we just quickly say about how? Uh, I mean, casting Tom Cruise. I mean. The Seal family must have been absolutely delighted. <laughs> like, in fact, in fact, you'll find the opposite is true. But anyway, I would wonder: is is the movie, uh, uh, you know, a propaganda cover up? Like, a, as all this stuff comes out about, you know, Hillary Clinton, because we talk about the Clintons a small bit, but there will be a whole episode. Don't get your fucking dicks hard or your flaps wet just yet mm. on Clinton stuff. Not saying Barry Seal wasn't a handsome man. Sure. But he wasn't Tom Cruise. What I'm saying yeah. is Tom Cruise got to make this movie and hunted down this movie to make it around about the time that Hillary Clinton lost the election. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. potentially this movie could have been like, a, let's get the story out there that completely brushes over, exonerates any kind of um, affiliation or informational crossover with like Bill being the the governor of Arkansas at the time that Barry Seal was getting away with fucking murder yeah. uh, in Arkansas at the time. Like all of these kind of things to, to distance themselves from the story itself. 
I think to, like American Made from 2017 may possibly could have been like a beautifully made propaganda piece. Good timing. I mean, and then and then, but like, I, like, I, I love that movie. I saw it in the cinema. I had just been inaugurated, and I went to the film, and I said, you know what? I like this Tom Cruise guy. He runs in every movie. He's great. I love him. Yeah, and it's quite funny because having having Tom Cruise. Being Barry Seal, that's a bit like a movie about Trump and having Ryan Gosling yeah, yeah, yeah. as the main thing, just like for looks wise. And then there's a scene, there's a scene in the movie, a very, very Tom Cruise um, part of the movie where he's riding his his missus, who's blonde in the film. Oh yeah, in the while he's flying the plane. Yeah, it's, and oh yeah, and he goes how up is, in the air. Yeah, and how, how, I mean, when you see photos of Barry Seal, how could she even fit between him and the like the joystick of the plane? Well, I won't lie to you, boys, and I it, it kind of. I know this is going to come back to me in uh, in messages on Discord and Twitter and stuff like that. But what they called Barry when he was going around Colombia uh, was Gordo. El Gordo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that why he bring this? he caught he caught Barry would rock Gordo. up he'd rock up to the Colombians he'd be like, "Oye muchachos," it was like, "Hey El Gordo, he's the gringo who always delivers." Yeah. Um, what does El Gordo mean, Gordo? <clears throat> it means. Uh, the fat guy in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, hey, it's the fat guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, n- yeah, no, no. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's my name as well, though. Like, Yeah, it's my actual name. Yeah, and, I used uh, to be quite... Short f- from Gordon, not the, the Spanish of the fat guy. Exactly. I used to, you know, back in Wexford, back in the day, talking to, like, you know, Spanish exchange students and stuff like this. What's your name? Gordo. And they're like... <laughs> And like, what's what are you laughing at? Yeah, what are you laughing at? Huh? And it was like El Gordo in my pantalones. Yeah, it's like a can of Coca Cola. Like this, like joking about it, but then obviously being obese, uh, you couldn't really hide it. Um, but yeah, they called him El Gordo. Yeah. That was Barry, and he wasn't, he wasn't a skinny man. Demo, I get what you're saying. How do you ride somebody in a plane in the sky? It's like trying to ride someone in a Chicachento or a Yaris or something like that. It's just, <laughs> it's doable but not comfortable. Yeah, like it was that Tom Cruise's idea going. Look, I have to bang someone. So, yeah, yeah, and like. Even though they said that Barry loved the ladies, were like, yeah, let, he was with his wife that whole that whole time. Yeah, he was. Pr- he was probably just like heaving it into South American scrubbers, though. Probably little seals crawling about the place. Yeah, just blowing his muck up. You know, <laughs> young ones who were fucking tooted out of their minds somewhere in <laughs> Colombia. <laughs> yeah. the, the the one thing that I I did pick up throughout this whole thing, and 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 if if you've never heard of Barry Seal or anything like that, he's a southern gentleman. Oh, yeah, he's from Louisiana. Yeah, and Baton Rouge and all this kind of thing. So e- everything I watched or listened to, everybody sounds like Blanche from the Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout. And, and, and just yeah. keep that going. It's like the price of the brick just went up, Dorothy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. No, it's, uh, Thank you for being a friend. customer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Barry Seal, Tom Cruise's depiction of Barry Seal's accent didn't really rem- like I was afraid that it was going to remove me from the sense of my uh, the 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 suspension of my disbelief in the movie. It didn't at all. I was like, yeah, he's br- he's brilliant, I'm way better than his Irish accent or oh, any well, other well. any other type of it's wild mountain time levels of terrible. <laughs> but um, yeah, the 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 Louisiana kind of takes the sting out of it. It's real kind of. It's like an Irish accent, like a like a like a real yeah. So pardon the expression, it all just sounds like a bit of crack. Yeah, like. Come on, how many many bills of cocaine did you take? Come on. Well, what did uh, you take and you won't take less? Do you know this kind of well, stuff? Well, I guess they just had to cut that guy's head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you going like, to drink your sweet tea with no hand? <laughs> like a, like a thresh, you know, those real soft threats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big Daddy. 
<laughs> what oh, well, Gordo. <laughs> yeah, what'll it be, sugar? Sugar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Want a couple of two tiny bun? But um, yeah, like Barry Seal, I, I found uh, in my investigations into stuff like Clint, the Clintons, into, you know, watching Narcos, stuff like that. Um, he showed up, his character showed up in, in the Narcos, the Netflix show. I don't know if you guys watched that. Who plays yes. him in that? I don't remember the name of the actor. But he's only in like two episodes and he shows in as a bit part. Gotcha. But but he had a way bigger like influence in the cartel than lets on in the show, you know. Um I watched the American Made movie in twenty seventeen and I was like, this motherfucker has to have an episode done on him. For crack. For for the laugh. Yeah. yeah. Uh I also heard of him in um my research into Gary Webb, who will also have his own episode. And we did a webinar, perhaps. <laughs> hey, hey. Gary Webinar. Um, he was assassinated by the uh, CIA because he was doing uh, investigative journalism into the uh, importation of cocaine into the US, which is a, an ancillary story after, like, Barry Seal was the man who was making it. Web, um, webinar still works. Webinar is... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, but just, just to lay it out for the yeah. people listening at home, like, they're like, a webinar? No, 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 he's an actual dude, and that was his role. Like it's a Solid, wor- solid uh, wordplay, regardless. Very, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as soon I as mean, he says committed suicide in, like, was it 2014, or 2000, whatever it was, and like, you're going... No, me, me howl. Yeah, yeah. As, he as shot himself in the back of the head twice or whatever. The worst case anyone's ever seen. But um, all these little uh, ancillary stories that come before and after Barry Seal interwoven. Uh, we'll even talk about the JFK assassination at the end of this. Yeah, all like wild shit. We did an episode with um, Emmett and Adam Burke on the war on drugs uh, long and ever ago. And we talked about um, a little bit about Barry in that where uh, Richard Nixon uh, created the DEA in 1972 and then Ronald Reagan created the war on drugs in 1982, 10 years later. And, you know, Nancy being like, if somebody offers you some really great drugs that's going to make you feel real good, it's clean drugs, it's cheap, it's clean, it's a nice high with kind of, you know, like um, sp- like a sparkly finish, just say no. Yeah, you're, <laughs> right, 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 right. you're not selling it to me. Um this just say no campaign and then like the likes of the freeway Ricky Ross and these guys who were basically like crack lords who sprinkled cocaine into the uh, urban made, areas. Made it nice of, and affordable for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, created a, 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 a gang, like a gang culture where there was gang warfare, people fighting over turf and selling uh, crack. Made it like a fun size Mars bar. Exactly. Take a little bit of... It's a recipe. It's like fucking uh, Delia Smith or something like that. Let's just take a little bit of baking powder. Just mm-hmm. just gently fold in your cocaine. Like it was this kind of... Who um, can take a sunrise? <laughs> <laughs> Sprinkle it with coke. But it's uh, uh, like such a fucking web. A Gary Webb of lies, deceit. Um, and, and cocaine is at the centre of it all. Uh, even we, we talked in the Martin Luther King episode and the Malcolm X episode about um, the 13th Amendment to the American Constitution, which mm. basically legalized slavery in the prison industrial complex where, you know, a bunch of Fortune 500 companies make uh, like predominantly black men in American jails, which are the highest incarceration rates in the world, uh, work for like 15 cents an hour Free to labor. make to make mi- like million dollars worth of products for these companies. And uh, all of these guys are in jail on these like three strike uh, rules are on this zero tolerance, um, like crack cocaine 
got like minimum mandatory sentences because of Reagan's war on drugs, whereas powder cocaine, which is usually reserved for the uh, the upper echelons, the rich people, whereas crack was like a cheaper drug for 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 lower income people. So if you're caught with crack, you get mandatory minimum sentences and stuff like that. So all of this stuff is all mixed together. And at the very, very center of it, in a kind of a sweaty, heavy, heavy breathing mess, is is it's Alder Berryman Seal. Like, it seems like a fucking crazy story. And like in this show, I love to talk about history. I love to try and contextualize history into conspiracy. Because you can talk about fucking flat earthing, talk about shit that's may or may not be real on a conspiracy show and tickle your bollocks and talk about the black cube of Saturn and, you know, fucking interdimensional lizard pedophile aliens drinking children's blood without any real proof, a lot of conjecture, a lot of supposition. But this is actual, factual, historical evidence with documents, pictures, names, dates, pay slips, fucking flight logs, you know, uh, uh, photographs, Quotes from presidents, real <laughs> tangible shit, and, and 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 to make it all the sweeter, riddled with unreliable liars. Oh, oh. yeah, so it unbelievable. Just, it just has that nice little sort of layer of yeah, because it could be real or it could not be real. On a second. Exactly, and so many people involved, and so many huge players and names that I mentioned on the reg, and um, so all of those like the freeway, Ricky Ross, and the crack epidemic, the Bloods and the Crips, and all that stuff is its own episode. Gary Webb is its own. Pablo Escobar is its own. Uh, I'm building up one on the Clintons and Pizzagate, which would also include like Arkansas and the early careers of Bill and Hillary, which were basically getting rapists off and legalizing cocaine in the US. So this kind of stuff. Hillary, oh, Hillary? F- fucking Hillary Clinton, man, is the is ah oh. like I don't hate a lot of people, but it just ugh, she fucking curdles my arsehole when I see her. I'm just like the amount of shit you fucking. If she had to become the president, like what kind of world would be living in now? Oh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, no. And uh, so all of that stuff is all to come in future episodes. But Barry Seal seems to be at the center of an awful lot of stuff. Like, what was the most su- surprising, without spoilers, what was the most surprising thing you found that you, that you could? Or will we, will we go straight into him? Well, the, well the two big questions that I want to, I was telling this to Jerry last night, like, like that, like just to say, just to, to clear my mind up a little bit ah. through our chat is the two big ones, both obviously based from America. Why American presidents and powers that be don't want their citizens enjoying themselves on drugs. Yeah. And completely different, but sort of related. Why do Americans hate communists so much? There's two things that keep coming up that I can't wrap my head around, and I have my own theories, but, like, through chatting. And it seems like two completely different things, but Barry still links them both. Um, Like, two political philosophy questions that... Come up a lot, yeah, and like, and and a lot of it comes down to that, and you just go on, yeah. But if if these two things weren't uh, mm. an issue, then we might not have a lot of this. Well, in our episode on marijuana, we found out about the classifications, the scheduling system for drugs in America is absolutely bonkers. Like you have like magic mushrooms, marijuana, that are like are, are at least used to be um, schedule one drugs, which is like the worst of the worst of the worst, and cocaine <laughs> is a schedule two. Like that LSD is actually more like deemed as more dangerous and uh like higher illegality than cocaine oh oh but good good for writing songs though i mean that's quite interesting oh look that's moving in a funny way oh look that's quite interesting yeah like i mean cocaine's good for thinking about songs but they're not doing it 
And now, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what we should do. You know what we you should, should do. do. You, you know, know what we should do. Uh, I started to learn the piano today, and I already played the guitar for nineteen years. But I'm, I, I want to play the piano. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I honestly, we'll we'll get into it, Gordo. But I, I just found the fact that Barry is so folded into everything. He is, he is the flower that's in everything. Isn't it, man? I, I mean, you're looking at the story, and then you one page you have Pablo Escobar, and the next page you've got Bill Clinton. And you're like, God damn, Barry Seal, you are the fucking Forrest Gump of cocaine. Oh my god. Yes. Jerry McBride. Barry Seal is, is the Forrest Gump of cocaine. You don't even have to CGI many. He was in Nam. He met the yeah. president. Yeah. Oh, and look cocaine, at that. You, you know, cocaine, I'm pretty certain it'd be, you, you could run like fuck on cocaine. Instead I, of Barbara Shrimp. Instead. I remember being in Colombia. Those guys had fine mustaches, I must say. You tell me you run all the drugs <laughs> into the sun. Yep. Sometimes my mama said I could fly anywhere. <laughs> so I did one day. I just started flying, and I didn't stop for four months. Mama always said life was like street corner cocaine. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> but, but he is the forest. He shows up every fucking where across like three decades in the, la, in the, like the heaviest parts of the whole cocaine uh, uh, you know, DACAA operation, like they that they call the Enterprise, which is what what I'm going to title this episode: Barry Seal and the CIA Enterprise. He's everywhere at Definitely. the center of all of it, and you would wonder then, after his death, and we talk about all of this stuff in detail now. After his death, how people can doubt that there is still doubt about him being a CIA operative. There is still doubt about him being involved at such a level. Uh, it's almost downplayed like he's some kind of country bumpkin who fell into right. this mad success and was kind of teased along by I don't know one of the one of the fucking Gleason brothers. What was Don, Donald Gleason know, yeah. who who played a, a, a CIA agent that was kind of an amalgam of a lot of different people that we'll all name by name here. Yeah. Uh, a lot of different people that was kind of not manipulating Barry, but at least facilitating them uh, uh, as far as the letter agencies went, and uh, that. Donald Leeson played this character as a, a representation of the system that was utilising Barry for its own ends, gotcha. right? And um, kind of felt like Tom Cruise's Barry Seal was being manipulated a little bit, but enjoying the ride. And then when it all got too much, it was just like, I got rid of him. Like, not, none of the real stuff was said in that movie, which I find a little bit upsetting. That none of the actual conspiratorial like it was all very much like hey Barry just fell it like it's like blow in that way that this guy and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and he's like oh my god of all this money and it's in suitcases what am I going to do bury it in the garden I can't you know you can't beat the system and it's always this allegory of like you, no matter how successful you get you'll never beat the system we'll get you we'll get you you know and and, and kind of not because I think Barry was part of the system and as soon as it didn't need you anymore like a Windows update it just fucking <laughs> <laughs> Control out and delete and install the new fucking operators and that's yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Or El Baza. Right, let's get into it. Uh Barry Seal, Alder Berryman Seal Esquire. Uh this man, as Jerry said, the forest gump of cocaine. That's so beautiful. So many memes, so many memes. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, Alder Berryman Seal, or Barry to his friends, was an exceptional young man with many, many talents. He came from a fairly conservative and buttoned-down home environment, with his father being in the KKK. What? I mean, 
You can't. Uh, I didn't know that. You can't say fairer than that. Uh, it was the time, uh, you know, fifties Louisiana, Louisiana. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like being on the board of the county council. Exactly. You're, Just it's peer pressure. As a side know? note, right? Because that's a long time ago, and I mean, you know, as as we've mentioned, I've kids now, and uh, you know, I can't. Our sheets are filthy and we soak them in vanish and all that. Like, they must have just really good laundry detergent back then. You you would wonder, I guess it's some nuclear shit, like some, some, like they'd bleach it with some serious stuff. I don't even think cleanliness was the thing. I think it was just the hiding of the identity. It's like in Dublin, you know, everyone's got really white runners in town. You're like, how do you keep yeah, your shoes so you? clean? <laughs> I, I, I think as well, now without going... Two, we're only two sentences into the notes and we're already uh, on a tangent. But Sorry, I think the, <laughs> that laundry. The, 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 soci- <laughs> the sociological, and I remember like studying this in college and stuff like that, the sociological um, differences across the years between like um, things that are super clean or things that are, are deemed to be um, uh, rich sounding or rich feeling and then like poverty feeling. So like people who tend to not be very wealthy often dress in much more expensive regalia and try to keep it for, so like you have lads who haven't got a pot to piss in who have loads of gold chains and super super white runners it's almost seen That's as like right. a, a social degradation for someone to dirty your runners that you'd start a fight if someone stepped on your toes you're like yo bro my runners like you keep your f-. everything is like because they're fucking 200 dollars or whatever they're like half your rent but you'll still spend the money on them. Yeah. And then the cunt who's a billionaire just wears like a black t-shirt and like black khakis and sandals yeah. Yeah. or a, a polo neck and doesn't give a fuck or just like jeans and a t-shirt. They don't get, they don't care about what they look like because it's not like an outward display of wealth. Whereas like the showy offy kind of stuff. And then if you harken back to like Victorian times to be white, to be pale, they would like daub themselves and all this powder and all this stuff on their faces in order to, make it look like their skin was whiter because to have brown skin was deemed to be poverty-ish or poverty-adjacent. Or oh, they're out working in the fields. Because you're out working in the fields, the sun is baiting down on your skin, you're becoming tanned. If you were white, it meant that you didn't have to do any work. So maybe the white runners means that you were, like, rich enough to own the runners, but you didn't have... You had them new and you didn't have to work. So maybe you were, like... It was a display of, what like, I got white runners... Because I'm making money off drugs, I'm not like fucking walking in and out to my job. Like gotcha. people respect me enough not to step on my runners. Like it's a display of like wealth and social hierarchy, something like that. Yes, is that a really obvious observation, or is that something? No, that no, sounds about right. Could be bang yeah. on. What I want to know about Barry Seal's dad uh, yeah. or anybody in the KKK, and if you're listening to this, thinking join, don't. It's not. Uh, don't, this is not a. <laughs> this is not a plug for them by any means. But is it? Is it like any other father with? Outside interests of the family that you know his wife would turn around. I remember Susan's coming around tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah, He's yeah. like, "Oh, I can't." You know, tomorrow's clan night. <laughs> it must be every I've got Thursday. Got be clan clan meetings. Come yeah, on, yeah. I can't at the weekend. I've got clan. Yeah, Yeah, I think I think it was like a social thing. Look, we 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 did a whole episode on the KKK, and this stuff came in waves. It started in the eighteen sixties and had a resurgence in the nineteen twenties, and another resurgence in the nineteen fifties. Third wave to KKK. In the 1920s, they were all pulled in by this uh, propaganda movie. Um, fuck, what's the name of it now? Uh, Death of a, or Birth of a Nation. Of a nation. Is that the one and where the dude blacked up and was going around? Um, loads of dudes blacked up and they were raping white yeah. women. And it was like, oh, black lads, careful now. Because they were getting their autonomy. They were getting kind of financial independence. And the 50s through the civil <gasps> rights. Oh, movement. my God. 
Every time, was it every called time Birth of a Nation? Birth of a Nation. And then American Made is the most recent movie. Dun dun dun. Birth of a Nation, American Made. It might be made because of the, the Clinton. Da, 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 it's all. Look at I, that. I, I'm saying the Clintons come from a long line of cunts. <laughs> <laughs> That's what so I was definitely could be there. <laughs> Arkansas, a, a, a hotbed of KKK activity. Arkansas, Missouri, Alabama, Louisiana, like all of those kind of. Um, Southern states and the Dust Bowl states, all KKK heavy. But it always came at a time when uh, civil rights for black people were on the rise. There was like the counter. Right. And this is what they're saying today. Like, oh, Nazis are back and blah, 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 because people are looking for their rights. It's like not everything is everything else. Do you know what I mean? Um, but having Barry's dad be a KKK man meant that he was probably, like, nobody wants to be like their parents. He was probably growing up in a very conservative household where, um, you know, very white community, very homogenous uh, upbringing, which, as we'll find out later on, probably propelled Barry into some, like, trauma-related adult behaviours, risk-seeking behaviour, um, bordering alcoholism, drug abuse, ri like, r risky situations seeking out risky situations stuff like that i mean we've all been there boys do you know what i mean <laughs> we look for risk because it's like oh a bit of this a bit of rebellion um he, he went pushing to, back he went against daddy's like you know barry alder yeah that's what he's, alder you'll be back here before midnight boy or i'll tell you we're gonna you're gonna get a whooping like this kind of stuff you know <laughs> he would he would his dad was i mean if you're in the kkk you're kind you're not going to be easy going yeah, yeah. You're off to presume. a bad start. Yeah, we yeah. can presume. You got some chips on your shoulder where you didn't even need chips. You didn't <laughs> need the chips. It's like, get off. Like, you're fucking ruining the sheets yeah, on my shoulder. Yeah. yeah, it's really bad bad form. Not not for nothing as well. Like, you know, although Tom Cruise had already been in a movie called this, that's probably the only reason why they didn't use Risky Business. <laughs> <laughs> American Business is a much better title. I, yeah. I think, I We've think got a Risky Business. The, I've already been in it. A cocktail the, of drugs. The, hey. Hey. <laughs> Mission Impossible. In the first... Uh, in the first... <laughs> Sorry, just Mission, Mission Impossible Nine, uh, the the Colombian adventure, yeah. stuff like that. Um, Where are these drugs, Tom? Well, they're far and away. I know? don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to. Th I'm trying to think, and all I can think of is like Oblivion or like live, live die repeat. I'm like, oh, Minority on. Report. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so in the first couple of minutes of that film, they already portrayed Barry as a risk seeker where he was like driving the TWA planes, flying, not driving them, flying them, and then going like, ugh, this is so boring. Like they really had to get that in. But really, his life was so conservative that he was dying for a bit of strange, right? He was the oldest of three kids and he had a lot of responsibility in the family. He was, you know, sent out to work quite early. He did really well in school. He was super smart. And it was even reported by some that he had a photographic memory, that he was able to actually read upside down. So he would go into meetings and stuff in school and he was able to read the stuff upside down a minute mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and look down at the desk when someone's talking to him. Later on in meetings, he was able to see like manifests when he was going through like like uh, different offices for pilots to see like what planes were flying where, the, the serial numbers of flights, planes, times, all this stuff that he just like glance, two, three, yeah. And then he'd go off and he'd have all that shit in his head. He remembered. He never had to write anything down. Like, uh, you know, in Goodfellas, is like, hey, you run the numbers. You never had to write nothing down, right? <laughs> uh, he, he fucking had it all in the count, all in the head. Never had to touch uh, pen to paper. Knew exactly where money was and all the stuff. Like, fantastically smart man, right? 
and young Barry loved the idea of becoming a pilot. And I don't know about you guys, John Travolta, pilot, yep. uh, Bill Burr, pilot. Like, they're smart men and they do it for fun. I don't know anybody that, like, personally or, or anecdotally, I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, I just went and got my pilot's license. I know one guy. And is he super smart? Yeah, he's a, yeah I, mean, I haven't talked to him in 20 years, but, like, he was, we were in college, he was like, ah, I can't go the weekend, I've got flying. Got flying. Oh. I got. I got the clan meeting. But like, it was. It was. It was the flying that he before he got his license. A lot of sums. A lot this of sums. It. It's all maths. It's all. It's all maths. It's all like navigation and quick calculations. And quick calculations and, and all this kind of trigonometry thing. and all this kind of shit. It fucking melts my Bearing face. Four one seven. Oh yeah. Oh. This kind of shit. I couldn't be bothered with me hall with it. I'd just be like, yeah, I just sit in the passenger seat, bro. Yeah. Fly me. I'd pay, gotcha. I'd pay some kind to fly me somewhere. Yeah, I mean, there's people that will do it. Yeah, and, and I saw I know, my uncle. Uh, Rich Ronaldo gave John Travolta a few flying lessons because oh, yeah? he's, a, he's a pilot. He used to fly. I think he flew Nam as well. I should ask him if he knew Barry. Um, I, I I would imagine everybody who of, flies in those times knew at least of Barry Seal because as we go on through this, the network was big. His network was huge. I'll message my uncle Richie Rich and then I'll see if. Uh, I'll well, like you, you, you guys, notes. you guys down in Australia and and with Barry in Arkansas as well, like flying would probably be like. Driving for us, a pastime, yeah. That, be, no, because but this like, is what I'm asking it, you. It's, like, so it's such a uh, spread out area that if you have to get from this town to this town, you got to fly for four hours. Yeah, yeah so. jump in me little plane, mate. Yeah, my dad was a, a little well two twin engine fucking Cessna. Come, mate, let's get up there. Like, so he'd have to fly over his the pipes that he did from Perth to Kalgoorlie, and then I'd come in with him sometimes because it'd be a four seater plane, so there'd be two seats right. spare. So me and my brother would go up and he'd be like, so my dad would be up the front with the pilot going, yeah, mate, need to weld those pipes or whatever. And we'd be just going, and then they just land anywhere because everything's flat. Right. <laughs> so yeah, and whole so Australia is like so, an airport. Yeah. So yeah. everything. So they have and they fly. So, you know, the big roads, they'll have planes that go around. They probably do this in the States as well, I'm not sure, but they fly over and they look down and they, they, they have markings. So they time from a, a car or any vehicle going from this point to that point. If it was quicker than this time, they were speeding. And then they radio down to some town going, the cops, this guy's flat. He's, he's, he's flat out down on yeah. the Nullarbor. Ah. So they even use planes. So, yeah, you're right. Like there's... Every, like every second household has a little a flying license, and they're just like zooming around in their planes. I mean, that was you said earlier, Gordo. Like, what really kind of jumped out in your research? The way they talk about air traffic, like we'd talk about getting a bus. Yeah, that's what that, I mean. That, I, that I, really I don't out. even drive a car. I can't drive a car. Like, I don't know how to drive, <laughs> and uh, I probably should learn now that I live in the country. But because, like, in, in my mind coming in, it was like oh, he's the biggest smuggler of drugs, and I was like, how was he getting it past the dogs in the airport? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the like that. It's like his arse couldn't be that. His arse cavity know? couldn't be that big. Yeah. But as as we get it, it's it's literally like throwing it in the back of the lorry. And yeah, I'm going to fly down to Nicaragua. Oh yeah, I'm going to fly down to and Colombia. I, 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 I'm going to just buzz around the place. This one, I mean, I don't understand. Like, and it doesn't really. You don't really have to understand it to get the sense of the episode or whatever. I wasn't going to look into it, but like having the license to fly. Like, what are the legalities of flying in and out of a country if you own your own plane? Like, I, I just went over to the UK there to do some live shows, and, you know, you go through the whole airport thing, and, you know, I got my PCR test and all this kind of stuff because I'm not vaccinated. And I was kind of shitting going over because right. I was going over to do gigs. But coming back, I was like, ah, if it's just another couple of days, like, you know, waiting on the PCR test is fine. You can book new flights and stuff like that. But on the way home, out of Manchester Airport... Not one person even checked my passport. It was just a boarding pass. 
boarding pass and I could have gone on and queued up and got on to any fucking plane that I liked. Yeah. No joke. There was no American flights or anything like that. It was all European interna- yeah. inter- international flights. But like, it was so lax. And I was like, hmm, I wonder, is the commercial airline smuggling business doing much better now that COVID is going on? Like, no one's inspecting anybody. Staff is at an all-time low. Yeah. Like, it just seems so weird. And that's what I think when I'm thinking... Like smuggling drugs. Right. It's like it's like some cunt that has a fucking load of walnuts, and inside the walnuts is little bags of heroin or whatever. He's like, oh, I'm just importing walnuts in from uh, my friend. Uh, he loves you know. the he loves the walnuts, and they crack them open like fucking nothing to declare or something like that. And you just yeah, have some yeah, Vietnamese yeah, yeah. woman going, I packed that bag myself. I had no fish for a family dinner, but I first had no fish from the airport. And then you turn around and it's... And it's the Australian are like, come on, mate. Right. It's why It's fucking why more than 200 grams here, darling. And you, I want this my feet. I love it. It's for my country. Like, I know. You're watching the show going, uh, like, where's all the no worries, no dramas, no hassles Australian yeah. more? There they're like, nah, mate, that's got to go. And yeah. they're like, where are you going to put that delici- those delicious noodles? They'll probably eat them. Like, sorry, mate. It's 1 p.m. And two Vietnamese men are looking quite suspicious. Uh, sorry, mate. Come over here. What do you talk about? <laughs> yeah. uh, I I didn't pack this bag. Whatever you find inside, and he opens it up, and there's fucking like f- like a, a litter of puppies or something. Yeah. Like the thing. It's like it was on me. I didn't do that. Like it's fucking bananas. Uh, when you see a show like that, which I think again, it's probably propaganda hammering it into people. Like you'll never get past the airport security. You'll you never think get you're past. Smart. Don't even try. Here's all the ways the people have tried. We've got 19 seasons of people trying, and we'll always get you, even if there's like a feather. On a fucking, you know, inside of a a, a a pillow that's not ratified. You'd never get it into Australia or New Zealand because they're all like, uh, this feather, mate, this is organic material, right? We're going to have to take this whole pillow. This whole duvet is under quarantine, yeah, you, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? That whole time, like, at the very end, they should just go, oh, by the way, if you hire a private plane, you won't have to go through any of that. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. none of that stuff uh, applies when you have your own fucking fly. If you have your own plane, Barry Seal's over here the fucking just eat of cocaine. Like, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. anything at all. You want, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll ring Barry and he'll fucking dart down to uh, yeah. Colombia and come back Deliveroo, with yeah, a load of, of fucking yeah. coke. Yeah, it's bananas, man. You know, you've, you've got one guy trying to get out of Turkey with black tar heroin strapped to his body and, like, piss and sweat because it shows over yeah. his clothes. And Barry's down there going, like, Barry, you got you got room for 10 more kilos? You got room for 100 more kilos? Aye. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, more or less, yeah. Totally right. back there. That fella you have in the passenger seat plane, tell him to get out and throw another 40 Yeah, yeah, throw another 40. Yeah. We'll see how we go. Like, I couldn't understand how that's possible. And then at the same time, as soon as I figured it out or was told about it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally obvious. Like, there's so many people doing And you think about, like, human trafficking as a massive problem. Of course it's a massive problem. Should the constant just wrap, wrap up kids in fucking cling film and give them an oxygen tank and fucking put them in a box and fill a C-130 full Full of fucking boxes of kids and flying wherever they want, and no one's going to be checking nothing. Like it just feels, and I know there's lads coming in and independently spot checking at airports. And they, this is the 60s, 70s, and 80s. This is like the Wild West. Regulations weren't put in yet. Now I wonder, would it be still as lax, or is there still operations going on where the CIA are able to get drugs in and out of the country? Yeah, well, cocaine's still getting around. So I hear. It's very popular, David. So I hear. People it's like it. It's very popular. And this is the other thing, you know, what I was saying before. The only reason this all exists is that people are buying it. Right. You yeah, the I mean? market demands it, yeah? Yeah. So, like, if, 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 if cocaine wasn't any good, 
there'd be no need for it. You know, if those drugs and the, the weapons and the stuff they didn't, if it wasn't, there'd be no demand. Yeah. So he'd be, he'd, he'd be still flying a, a, a commercial airline. That's what you were saying earlier on about that Louis C.K. bit about, about like, fucking children. Like, there, there's a demand there for it, so the business keeps on going. Like, there must yeah, be, you might want to elaborate. You might want to elaborate when you because said people, what we were talking about before about fucking children. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about, about the Louis C.K. Yeah, sure, specifically about the Louis C.K. comedy bit where we're like, <laughs> let's, you know, but Peter Falls like, yeah, they know the risks. Yeah, they, they know do the it risks. Anyway. So and they do it anyway. They Same with anyway. the cocaine. You're going to jail forever. Like you're forever if you're caught with that much. Yeah. Unless you're Barry Seal. Great. So young Barry, he loved the idea of being a pilot. Super smart dude. He was fucking switched on. He knew what the crack was. He got his pilot's license at 15. Now, I don't know about flying around in little, you know, single engine planes in Australia going, I'm going to say me might. And you fly, you know, instead of, doing, instead of doing it on an electric scooter or something, yeah. you have your little plane. Um, but yeah, he got it when he was still in high school. So obviously he was a, a very determined, uh, uh, you know, uh, forthright and dedicated young lad. Like at 15, you'd be able to get a pilot's license. At 15, I was still fucking, you know, spunking into socks and fucking trying to, you know, catch a glimpse of a titty at lunchtime and, you know, sneak, you know, sneaking fucking. No, 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 at 18, I got a forklift license. Oh, oh <laughs> that's impressive. So, I know I'm a couple of years behind Barry here, but like, he could fly drugs, but I could forklift him onto the bike. <laughs> he could fly him to you, Jared. You're just you could lift around. 100 kilos of cocaine by yourself, Barry. I don't think so. Where's, <laughs> where's Jerry's movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forklift Jerry. Yeah. Heavy lifter, the Jerry McBride story. <laughs> yeah. Hitch, H, uh, HGV. Yeah, Monaghan made, yeah. Yeah. Monaghan made. <laughs> <laughs> Carrig McCross fire, the Jerry <laughs> McBride story. <laughs> That's good. Um, it's a it's a weird thing though that uh, obviously you know, at fifteen I was I was a, an entrepreneurial young then. I'm not. I, you know, I was I was spunking into socks as well, but I was, you know, doing gigs and busy. playing music, and making right. money, yeah. doing it like. But but to go and get a pilot's license, maybe it's just in Louisiana. That's what you did. You still need hours of hours of hours being and up hours. There I still can't. License, I still yeah. can't fathom it. But at fifteen, he had his um his student pilot's license, and he was fascinated with with flying. Barry would love to hang around the Baton Rouge downtown airport, uh, talk to pilots, and try and nab some flying time with a friend friendly flyboy who was willing to take him into the passenger seat and give him a go on the stick. Hey yo, at sixteen, he got qualified for his commercial pilot's license, and he was able to then fly helicopters. So at 16, Holy moly. he was like, you know, he couldn't buy drink, but he could fly a motherfucking helicopter. Yeah. Going into the AFO. Uh, uh, I'm going to the shop to get skins. <laughs> like It's like your B license that you can drive a car yeah. and a motorbike. Yeah, yeah. happy days. I lo- I lo- it doesn't say that he could drive a car yet, so he just lands his chopper in the drive-in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go on a date? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just hover above the film like no one can hear it. <laughs> you don't have to pay the ticket then. Yeah. 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 Want a free game. movie, Dale? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I um, know where I can get a free motion picture. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Laughs like box So Barry's flight instructor from those days, Eddie G. Dufford, said that Barry was wild and didn't have enough sense to be afraid. What a thing to be said about you. Oh, Dufford. He didn't have enough sense to be afraid. So he was calling him dumb or dim. Well, I I don't know if it was dumb, but I think it was like he was just a wild cunt who had no fear. Brilliant. And I guess, I mean, is that from a home life? I know nothing about how his father was. His father Maybe was he, in the clan, Gordo. I know, but that doesn't, that doesn't, and that, without defending the Ku Klux Klan, that doesn't necessarily mean that he was a bad person. Do you know? Two well, white people. 
to, to white people, obviously. Yeah, yeah, to white people. Yeah. But like, like maybe he was a loving father who was emotionally available, but he just used to like to wear sheets and and set fire. Yeah, he just went ten pin bowling with the lads in a sheet every Friday. Exactly. I mean, let's not defend racism. Right, but let's just say that uh, was he baiting his young lad just because he was in the clan? Those two things are mutually exclusive, right? Very, very fine people on both sides, Gordon. I, I, I'm not saying that, <laughs> but I'm saying that what, what like was he baiting him up? Does he was he emotionally abusing him? No. Is this the thing where we're trying to figure out why Barry did the things that he did? Yeah. Maybe he's just a mad con to just like risk. I mean, hey, you know what? I know plenty of mad hooers. With no clan affiliations, yeah, lovely, lovely home lives, great you know, parents. Some, mm. some, some people just got that wild. Gene. I, I, I feel it. You know, I had it when I was younger, uh, but at the same time, it was a little bit of something stopping me from, I don't know, internationally trafficking cocaine. <laughs> yeah. But just that extra little bit, Dufford said Barry had it. He was wild. He also said he uh, one of um, something like uh, he was descended from a, a seagull. He said he was so comfortable in the sky, he must have been, a, a, a seagull must have been one of his ancestors. Something and like seagull that. is white. <laughs> <laughs> also not, a clansman. Not a blackbird, a seagull, <laughs> yeah. particularly. Um, yeah, crow. He didn't have the sense to be afraid, says Dufford. He said that Barry was talkative and seemed like he always had something to prove. Uh, maybe to compensate for his height, because he was only uh, five foot eight. Another thing the movie got right? Yes. Sure. He, Tom stands on uh, Apple boxes the whole time when he's uh, acting with other people so he doesn't feel diminutized. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I know I'm fat. There's no amount of cameras is going to make me unfat. It's and just like... like ever, everybody talks about Tom Cruise being small. He's 5'8". I'm like 5'8". Yeah, but your hair adds another tree on top. This is true, too. But like uh, this, the way people talk, go on, you'd swear Tom Cruise was 4'9". I, man, do you know what I can't get over? That there's a load of fucking um, Instagram ads and a load of TikTok ads and stuff like that. They're like... Hey, are you five foot eleven? And all the birds on Tinder won't fuck you because you don't have six foot on your profile. Put these lifts in your shoes and oh. be able to say that you're six foot. I'm like, is re is re really is a girl gonna say no to you if you're like one inch off of having six at the front of your height profile? Depends. That's that one thing that's still <laughs> yeah. That's one still that you, you like, uh, as far as what I can see on dating profiles, you can still you can still discriminate and it's okay and height. And ginger, the two things that they'll be like, ah, oh, nah, I'm not sure if I want a short ginger dude. But if you say but it like no I... fat cheeks, ugh, stop. I don't even. Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's Barry's prerogative to have something to prove. Maybe this was the thing of like, please love me, daddy, please love me. Probably. Maybe he was a you know distant kind of a, a father. Um, again, trying to figure it out. Don't know why. Don't know the man. Okay, Barry had a sky sign business at 17. Imagine sky writing and. Uh, do you know when you fly a plane and it has like a, a big ribbon where it's like, sail at coals, you know, this thing. <laughs> yeah. like, so marry me, Susan. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, or like, the Clintons are the heads of an uh, international uh, paedophile elite <laughs> cocaine trafficking business. Oh, it's very long. It's a long ribbon. Um, uh, we'll, we'll deliver coke for cash. <laughs> <laughs> Take it down to coke converters. <laughs> Any old electronics around the house, swap it for coke. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sky sign business at 17. So he's making the good on the, him. The, the ducats. Uh, and he'd fly, uh, um, uh, recreationally fly helicopters all around the town for the gas and was reported to fly helicopters so low over uh, LSU, Louisiana University uh, football matches that they had to, and baseball matches that they had to actually like stop the games because Barry was like buzzing the. <laughs> 
Like you can blow the ball, yeah, like wherever you want to go. But he was going down like an air hockey. Because you feel like what's going on, and Barry's like, ha 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 ha, at seventeen playing a helicopter over a football match. I want to hear the commentary on that. Yeah, as Kowinski has the ball, he throws it out left to O'Dwyer. O'Dwyer is cleaning on the end zone, and Barry Seal is fucking at it again. Just trying to influence the 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 kicks. Was he was kicking? It's like it's good. It's good. Oh, it's been blown wide. <laughs> like coming in trying to fucking rig the game, right? Picture the dean, the college dean. I know. Oh, oh, snapping a pencil in half. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, yeah, like Blue like John Belushi's flying the helicopter, taking the bottle of whiskey. Going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. So in 1958, he borrowed a plane from a local university chemistry professor, and he crashed it promptly in a field. The newspapers reported engine trouble as the cause, but Dufford said that Barry was showing off and he cut the engine mid-flight. Like, you know the way when you're driving country roads and you turn off the lights and you're like, whoa, whoa and yeah. you turn them back on again. He was doing that, but like hundreds of feet in the sky with an airplane uh, with his friends in it and trying to oh. show off, right? So he cut it off and he was doing the, like the, the, Oh, we're crashing. Ha, ha, ha. How low can we go? How low And he tried to start it up again and it wouldn't start. But he was able to like float it down and he uh, roughly uh, landed it in a field. He then took off again after starting the engine. But what he had done in the air had fucked the engine up. And uh, he took off again. He got about 150 feet in the air and the engine seized, cut out again. But he wasn't high enough to be able to get the float that he had from before. And he crashed it roughly in a soybean field where the plane was absolutely totaled. And that's where soy milk came from. (laughs) (laughs) He squashed it all up, right? But listen, listen to this. How's that? Barry had to have his jaw wired shut for over a month after this accident. And he had five permanent false teeth installed in his head because it was such a bad crash. The plane got totaled. He barely survived. Like he was fucked up, head smashed up, right? And his mates? Oh, his mates were all on the ground looking at him being like, oh, look at Barry doing this thing, Uh, right? So his father then sued the professor for over $100,000 because Barry was a minor and the professor shouldn't have given him the plane in the first place. And he wanted compensation for the, the, the lost teeth and broken bones. And then Barry also upped the ante on this claim for a loss of reputation as an aviator and unfavorable publicity in his community of aviators, right? So the suit didn't go through, though, because the, uh, the SEAL family lawyer uh, doubted the witness testimony when they were asking, what happened? What actually happened? And they had the young lad going, well, Barry was flying, and then he went flying no more, and then he landed, and he took off again. He was flying again, and then he went flying no more, and then he crashed. <laughs> but they were saying, like, there was something wrong with the engine, that there was engine trouble, that it was the plane's fault. They also claimed that somebody had fueled it up the day before with non-aviation fuel. So that's why the, diesel. The bad, yeah. the, the green diesel. That's why the, the engine was the seasoned, tank. because it was... Yeah, it was a a, a a fucked up gas intake and uh, the engine was seizing because of that. And the lawyer was like, really? He's like, yeah, uh-huh. So were you there when it was fueled? I wasn't there, but I I, I heard. Yeah, we, we can't go to court with this shit, man. You're fucking, you're a lunatic. Like, so it got thrown out. But imagine like the audacity, the hubris, the fucking, you know, the balls of the Seal family. Barry Seal is going to 
Did you crash a plane? Yeah, I went across the plane, Dad. Like, he's, he's his dad's like, like fuck. <laughs> We're going to have to put a sheet over your head so no one can see your face. Um, <laughs> well, you can make come with us every Friday. <laughs> yeah. Smashed up face, Barry. You came home. And Dad, I the question the plane. It's like, what happened? Um, um, I got an off of uh, Mr. Murphy from the university and... Uh, the question how do we were you messing were you messing barry no i wasn't messing somebody put the wrong fuel in the quest like of course that's some shit that a fucking 18 or 17 year old is going to tell to get out of trouble like crashing a whole plane yeah and the dad like took it all the way now maybe also maybe the dad was like jesus you crash that plane oh well, this cunt has money fuck him come on come on we'll sue him yeah. Try and get a few bob. Either like, we have to pay for a new plane, or he we uh, exactly. Sue. Which way is it going to be? So um, like, I, I, I'm just still bamboozled that the Barry had a relationship with this university professor to the point where the professor was just like, "Far the plane? Ah, yeah, go on, just bring it back with diesel in it." Like, that's a real Doc Brown, Marty McFly relationship. You know, Dude. it's just like, yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah. come around, do this, whatever you want. This is the level. This is the level of either respect and um, consideration and trust that Barry Seal had because of his expertise, because of his intelligence, because of his charm and because of his character, that people of renown and people of respect in the community had respect for him uh, enough to be able to, like, his reputation as an aviator was thus... The Seal lad wants to borrow your plane. That Seal yeah, guy. Go on, yeah, go, go on. on, go on, let him have it. He needs his airtime. Yeah. And let yeah. him to let him fucking fly it around. Now, again, again maybe it's like in Australia where every cunt has a plane they're flying from, you know... Going down for a, for a bottle of milk. Yeah. And then Barry like, comes back, crash, and goes like, hey, prof, you didn't tell me this plane had a blind spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Manure! <laughs> right? So, like, this is the thing, like, like the, he was so respected. I, I think that carries on into his into his later life. Like, he, he from a super young age, like in 17, again, 17, most lads are fucking jipping in socks and trying to see real tits. Like, this lad's flying plane, getting the lens of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. Yeah. And putting it up in the air. And not for nothing, Gordo, not getting punished for his misgivings and wrongdoings. So it seems like a blank check. Like this is a like you can a do whatever you want, life, Barry. A pattern of life that he was going to fall very comfortably into. It's it's a, a just setting it up for later on. This let's is the see, kind let's of see does this come back round. This is the kind of <laughs> yeah, environment yeah, this is the kind of environment that he grew up in. So the case, the case against the, the professor was thrown out in nineteen sixty. Now I don't I couldn't find out about what the professor did as a countersuit, but I'm sure he got his money for his playing. Um, again, Barry, very well respected from a very young age. So he enlisted in the Louisiana National Guard in August 1961 at 18. He, he signed up for six years uh, and only the first six months of which he served in active duty. Now we'll come back to this later on, uh, this, this period of time when he's actually in the military, but he qualified from the U.S. Army Airborne School but never completed his Special Forces training officially then went on to serve the remaining five and a half years in an engineer battalion where he was a phone operator. Now... Phone operator. <laughs> is that all he did? Just like, this how is, can I direct your call? This is... How please caller. Like, this is the story. This is the cover story, I believe. And from what I've researched, I believe that he's like, right, how can we make it so that we can fudge where Barry Seal is going to be at all times him in an office with a load of phones and just like not let him out it's a bit and if yeah. anyone answers the phone just say hello this is Barry Seal like it doesn't have to actually be Barry but like if we want to have a cover story for a lad yeah. we can't have him being out and about and then say he's somewhere else so we have to fucking 
<clears throat> hold him in and put him in an office and say that that's where he's going to be on the phone. He's on the uh, he's on the paycheck. He was here every day uh, every week. day. Signed in, signed out, yeah. all the stuff. Well, potentially, I don't want to you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Knows. I don't want to spoil like spoiler alerts, but like Barry was off doing other shit in other countries and. Yeah. I mean, like, not for nothing. It's like, okay, we got this guy signed up for us. He's an ace pilot. He can trim the whiskers off your head by flying over you. Anything he can do. What have we got from? Ah, uh, you know, we send him over there, fucking on the phone exchange. Yeah, yeah. Best job. yeah. something a little bit just uh, see, uh, for a genius with a photographic memory who's well respected by his elders and his peers. Yeah, the best pilot. <laughs> put him in behind the put him in behind the phone. It doesn't make no goddamn sense. Nope. So, um. The, 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 as I said, the story is under speculation that he was a, a phone jockey because some people say, and I found on the internet to corroborate evidence, that Barry did in fact complete his Green Beret training and his unit before special forces reorganizing in 1971, uh, the, the military and the US government reorganized the, qu- the qualifications and the categorizations of what special forces was. Uh, he, Barry trained under what was part of the Green Beret program as a Louisiana National Guardsman. So technically, he was trained as a Green Beret and could have held the Green Beret moniker, right? Moniker Lewinsky. He <laughs> would have had to complete a certain program to become an active Green Beret to serve in the field, but by all accounts, he was trained to the highest level that um, the Louisiana National Guard and the U.S. Army Airborne And knowing Barry, had. he would have wanted all that training. He would have wanted all that. Well, I think he was super smart and he was able to you know, t- parse all that information. He was fit at the time. He was young. He was obviously driven and determined because he had his flight pilot's license and all that stuff. Loves excitement. Risk ju- risk junkie and all that stuff. So this is like, this is fucking like cream for cats. Like he fucking loved that shit, right? So uh, he was rumoured at this time to have actually served, instead of being on the phones, actually have served in Vietnam. Uh under a secret flight program, I couldn't find specific information, but under Operation uh, Condor and Operation Golden Eagle, uh, which I will do Two spotlight impressive episodes sounding on. missions. Yeah, yeah. Operation Golden Eagle. Operation Wood Pigeon. Not, not as good as Golden Eagle. <laughs> Operation Wood Pigeon, where they try to stage a coup. Hey. hey. Yes. Um, I, I I couldn't find it, but but um he he won awards in this time in the military between 1961 and 1967, including expert rifle badge, expert carbine badge, and the parachutist badge, which is like I don't know scouts with guns. It's boy scouts with, yeah, with yeah, weapons, right. right? But it seems like a perfect cover for a lad who would be flying in and out. And I will talk about it later. Flying in and out of Vietnam, flying in and out of uh, South America, flying in and out of. Areas where one daren't go in wartime. And the the US were embroiled in Southeast Asia and an awful lot of shenanigans. An awful lot of drugs going on there. So like if, if why he, wouldn't they get the best pilot in the game to fly low and slow over mm-hmm. a bunch of fucking forests and through hilly areas that's very difficult to traverse in an airplane? Like why wouldn't you get the best man for the job? If if and he if he, he was, was in fact phone. if he was in fact just on the phones that whole time. That was a very poor use of Barry Seal. I, I feel yeah. so. I feel so. It was an underutilization of a skilled man. So two years after signing up to the Army, Barry joins TWA as a flight engineer and was quickly promoted to first officer and then to captain, making him the youngest captain in TWA's history. He remained the youngest command pilot on the Boeing 707 fleet. And Barry was a sucker for adventure. And after some time working in TWA, he felt 
the pull to make a few ducats on the side. He was arrested for the first time, as we say, on July 1st, 1972. So this is the first public arrest of Barry for uh, for doing smuggly stuff. Uh, So we're talking about summer 1972, along with seven others who were in the employ of TWA to smuggle explosives out of the United States. So the plane that sealed was flying had 14,000 pounds of explosives on it that were destined for Cuba through anti-Castro forces in Mexico. Now, who's to say where and why Barry had a lot of explosives on the plane like that? But it does smell of something that the CIA would have had going on in the mid to late 70s, trying to get rid of Castro. The Cold War was at its height. Um, We very recently only had Bay of Pigs, the the Cuba Missile Crisis, and the looming threat of communism, as well as an almost irreversible uh, economic downturn, the abolition of the Bretton Woods Agreement and the removal of the US dollar from the gold standard, like all of and Nixon escalate or uh, uh, escalating the war in Vietnam, turning from police action to an all out war, like f- like full ground war, uh, millions, if not billions of dollars being invested in um, companies like Bell Helicopters and stuff like that, where all the stocks just went vum, the money went vum, the gold went down, and America became a, like a, a war industry nation at this time. So, of course, you know, lads like Barry were going to be uh, utilised. But it sounds like something the CAA would be like, can I get them explosives into Cuba somehow? Yeah, like how do you just, like, you were working as a, com- a commercial pilot and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, you go my way, boy? Yeah, it doesn't sound, it doesn't, like how can you be like a TWA? It's like, uh, welcome to uh, TWA. We're flying today from Baton Rouge to uh, Austin, Texas. Weather outside is 13 degrees. If you check under your seats, you will find uh, some uh, Semtex uh, plastic explosives. Uh, if you want to deploy that, you just pull the, pull the string. But make sure you set up the explosives for yourself first before you take care of your children. Uh, again, temperature is uh, 78 out there today. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on from that yeah. to I'm flying explosives to the Mexicans? Yeah. Well, like, when, you say, when you say like you got a bit of a side hustle or you had a, a, a taste for adventure and you got a side hustle, like... A side hustle is not £14,000 a C4. £14,000. That is ridiculous. A, a, a side hustle is buying fidget spinners for cents on Wish.com and selling them for €2 Euro down the market. Drop, yeah. drop shipping plastic explosives on Amazon. That's yeah. what this, is, this is... In the movie, Jerry, in the movie, it cigars. says that it's Cuban cigars and that Donald Leeson comes over and goes, Barry Seal... Hey, Barry, I see you're smuggling cigars. These are really f- mad fine cigars. And Barry's like, CIA. Yoo-hoo! And it's like, oh, I've been smuggling the cigars off my own back, like, without any, you know, fucking flight experience flying shit around Vietnam. Again, we talked about it in a few minutes. Like, said nothing about being in the army already. It was just like Barry Seal. And all of a sudden, he was a fucking TWA pilot. And then the thing he was smuggling was cigars, not explosives yeah. to anti-Cuba, anti-Castro-Cubans. Yeah. Like, the, the movie really glossed over that bit. Like, that's in, in, international espionage done undoubtedly by the CIA. Without a shadow and of Barry's it. at the centre yeah. of that shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. from, from the from, movie... From Dot. From the yeah. movie point of view, smuggling Cuban cigars into the United States sounds like a reasonable thing. 
for a pilot to do to make a few quid on the side. Yeah, that you could pick up <laughs> of and course. S- in a contact in a bar where yeah. pilots hang out. Right, exactly. Not or it's just like, are you, flying, are you flying back from Cuba? I am. Can you get us 200 and cigars? Yeah. The cigars could be $150, $200 a pop. Right. Rolled in the ties of Cuban virgins. As they are. But like, again, are. like who do you meet in a bar that says, come here, listen, you're in and, you're in and out of here pretty often flying, aren't you? You know, part of mine and me, we got all this fucking Semtex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, did you say cigars? No, no, no Semtex. Semtex. Yeah, yeah. We, we got some thoughts about communism as well, and I need to get this to a few people where it needs to be. It doesn't happen. You need... Yeah, you need military... It's a military yeah. operation. That's a military operation. Sounds like he was... Sounds like since he was in the military, he just never got out of it. Like, it was... It's military CIA, and that... It's like, like, if you were just reading it all. Yeah, I think Dufford was definitely Why would you get handler. out of all that to do... To get a commercial, like, you know, to work in commercial airlines just to get back into it again. To keep you on the edge of your seat. <gasps> both of ye and dear listener. Okay. Dufford was also flight training instructor for a one Muhammad Atta. I don't know if you know the... Oh, Jesus. The, la- the lad who learned how to fly but didn't oh. learn how to land. Oh. I, just, I, just, I just feel like just right this very second I've been put on a list. <laughs> job. Right now I'm, I feel like the he CIA just him? picked up on it and they're like, you know... Rochford, take off McBride, not the other bit. Put them, put them on the list, I, dude. I'm already on a list, <laughs> and I now I am know. on that list as well. And, and this is this is a mad one, and I, I won't go into it deep, but we go into it some other time in some other show, maybe on the the revisit of 9/11. Mohammed Atta, when he flew the plane I- I- into the United States, he was learning how to fly and all that stuff. He was shipping in. Uh, he was a, a Saudi Arabian based in Pakistan, dealing with. Uh, apparently uh, uh, Taliban forces in Afghanistan. Really, he was a Saudi Arabian and, and 19 of the hijackers, or 17 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi Arabian. So in any, in any world that makes sense, you know, the 9-11 headline should have been Saudi Arabia attacks the United States or whatever. Mohammed Atta was smuggling in heroin into the country and then flying, and then emptying out the plane and then practicing flying in the empty plane. But flying, not landing, obviously. Uh, Mohammed Atta, and he was a terrible pilot, or like one of the worst. And there's documentaries like uh, um, in plain sight and uh, uh, loose change documentaries about nine eleven that have like the flight instructors and stuff for for Mohammed Atta saying, "Oh, he was the worst pilot ever. He was oh. a ter- he was terrible cunt. He couldn't take off, couldn't fly, Maybe it was an couldn't land." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe the, the, just, all this just strengthens my Barry Seal, Forrest Gump, of cocaine. He uh, ju- yeah, yeah. All in like, the middle of everything, everything, everything. <laughs> right. So, forty thousand pounds of explosives in, going into Mexico uh, smells like the CIA to me, boys. So this incident that people look back on when they try to find the first inkling of Barry being involved with the CIA, as we're talking about, it, 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 it was the first public incident. There's rumors of him flying in Vietnam and doing all this kind of stuff, but like this is the first time. Barry popped up on the radar in public record, in, uh, you know, arrest records, uh, police reports, uh, court documents, this kind of crack, right? And as we said in the movie, it was cigars he was smuggling. Kind of trying to dumb it down a little bit. It was easier to get over in the narrative of a nice handy, like, kind of adventure movie or action movie. Within the first five minutes of the film. Yeah, yeah. I smuggled cigars. That's that's totally understandable. But, like, to expose the CIA's military, you know, covert black operations in uh, uh, South America and Cuba 
in the first five minutes of a like a happy go lucky Tom Cruise action movie in Technicolor. Uh, yeah, it's a bit, yeah. it's a bit, it's a bit dark, right? So, um, uh, Barry was arrested for this stuff. He was put on a bond, fifty thousand dollar bond, which he then was mysteriously able to skip out on without recrimination. Paid the fifty k, and they just went flying around and didn't give a fuck. Like you're supposed to stay put and you know sign in and parole officer and all this kind of stuff. And this incident of him getting arrested was the catalyst for him being fired from the TWA and going full time and public into the espionage biz. So this is like, right, fuck it, I lost the job. I'm not a pilot no more. I can't say, oh, you know, I'm flying for TWA. It's like, right. I'm going to make my own company, which ended up being a subsidiary of the CIA publicly. Like, that's real fact truth. Like, his company that he was in, in charge of and all the other companies that he made in Baton Rouge and then later on in Mena, Arkansas, they all ended up showing up as being financial subsidiaries of a parent company that was 100% guaranteed to be a shell company uh, funneling and laundering and facilitating oh, right. money for so the CIA. So that was the first time that you can sort of trace and there's evidence of First time he popped up on the radar. Of CIA direct. Yes. Is like, yep, cool. But only after his death at the time. And mm. it's still, demo, still speculated. It's still not 100% that he was a of CIA. Of course, this is all... Because they're trying to fucking obviously cover that shit up. Yeah. But here's the other thing. Still. Just say you were 30 arrested years for after smuggling, the uh, you know, like all the same text and all that. And then the CIA is like, hey... Do you want to, you know, like straight into yeah, yeah. like not knowing you're anyone really in the CIA, smuggling. no connections. You're good at smuggling. <laughs> hey, have we got a subsidiary business for you? <laughs> nah, man, you've already got the contacts. It's like, you know, you're fucking, there's lads watching the Ramones playing like some gig or something like that. And he's smoking cigar. Yeah, see, you're really good. See, I like your style. You want to sign on my record label? Like, it's like a CIA guy watching Barry being led down to the cord, like to this thing. So you say 14,000 pounds, eh? It's a lot of weight, Barry. How come you come work for me? Like, and that's how they portrayed it. Where Donald Leeson is like, come and going, come here. You're good at cigars. How are you with explosives? Like, it's fucking bananas. Yeah, he's just it's, waiting it, for yeah. him in a little airport, as if he's just gonna like does a Costa coffee. Yeah, he's gonna it doesn't fucking in. happen. Like the CIA don't come up and knock on your door and go. So come here. You're doing really well for yourself. Fair play. Uh, would you like to? I don't know. Join our yeah. organization? No, no, no that's 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 how Will Smith got hired in Men in Black. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, you this see, guy ran down an alien. You see no? too you much, know, boy. He's, he's actually, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. let's bring him in and train. You can you can run real fast. A person is smart, but people are stupid. Like you know, fucking Tommy Lee Jones sitting on the bench and going, "You you have till sunrise to decide." Like that's not how you get signed that's up to the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They still think that Joe Rogan is fucking a CIA shill. Like like. That that at one point Alex Jones got told or uh, Joe Rogan got told, come here. Um, do you know the way you love your family being alive? Uh, so if you want that to remain the case, just like don't be saying stuff about this, 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 and this. Okay. And everybody thought like, yeah, the boys have been compromised. They call it, you know, not mm-hmm. like a shill, like not like you're selling the story or selling the alternative narrative. But you, even in the refusal to engage in that material means that you're obfuscating that from the public view. Like, some people are like, oh, Gordo won't talk about this, or he doesn't believe in this. Load of conspiracy people, like, you can't fucking bite on every hook that's dangled in front of you, yeah. conspiracy-wise. you talk about whatever you I talk want, about whatever really. the fuck I want. <laughs> but, uh, but I change my mind on stuff. I'm not, 
it's not a religion where there's a dogma laid out and then you have to adhere to that dogma or else you're like a shill or a mm. or a you know a spook or a fucking an asset. Yeah, we can only base our opinion on what we've seen and heard and, and experienced. Yes. Of course. As but go. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. And I don't want anyone I, I don't find. want anyone listening to this going like, Oh, hang on, Eric. McBride's just really laying into the CIA. He must not give a rat's ass about his family. Yeah. <laughs> but the I thing is, them. <laughs> but the thing is, right? He doesn't give a fuck about those guys. These these things are being talked about just fucking websites on websites. Just pot, Like, I know in our research, we went looking for podcasts on podcasts on podcasts. Like, all of this stuff is out there. This is not a secret thing. We're not we're not exposing anything that hasn't already been said. Like, we are netnographers looking up stuff online. We're making suppositions. We're making claims and putting pieces together and going, well, from my past knowledge of blah, 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 um, there's nothing being held back from me in like the guessing and the suppositions and the the synthesis of the information. But they say that like there's lads like Joe who got the knock and they say, come here, you want to fucking calm yourself down and also you want to get politicians on and you want to ask them the right questions and we're going to pay you a ball of money and then you're going to behave yourself. And you know, there's all these kind of like mm. imperatives and incentives like a, a, a carrot and a stick to be like, okay, you're getting too big. At some point, you get big enough where someone's going to knock on your door and say, okay, you've responsibility to the public good to right. behave in a certain way. And you see it like with control of like pop stars and fucking, you know, the uh, news, uh, and the news people and certain people who are like very, very uh, influential that they will probably get a phone call or they will probably get some kind of thing going, come here, you know that thing you said about this? No. There's a lot of control within the cancel culture at the moment uh, the cancel culture kind of uh, I think it's like a flash in the pan type stuff over the last few years and eventually fizzle out people are getting fed up of it being told what they're allowed to think and not think or say and not say but there is a self-censorship going on within like public discourse at the moment especially over coronavirus and all this kind of stuff where people are nearly afraid to talk about it and people are losing jobs over this kind of stuff people are losing there's certain financial and social incentives to not engage in certain d- discourse and all this kind of stuff. But I think at the time that this stuff was happening, it's very early days in this black ops espionage media control. No internet, where no YouTube. There's, there's no independent media. There's no self-created media where you can start a channel and say whatever mad shit you want. And I think if I was CIA, that I'd be like, Brilliant. Bring on the fucking mad conspiracy. The maddest conspiracy country you can find to flood the market with unconscionable bullshit that's completely unprovable. Have a load of people believe in it and then we're able to point to them as like gobshites who fucking swallow any old shite. It's like using more smoke to cover smoke, right? Whereas I'm doing it through a historical point of view and pointing out like this is a fact, this is a fact, this is a fact. Here's what I feel, but don't forget that these are facts. At the time that Barry Seal was doing all this stuff, I would imagine that it wasn't uncommon for someone who was like successful, say, in a drug trade or something like that, to have somebody like the DEA give you a knock on the door and be like, so come here, um, we're watching you for about two months and we know that you're flying the drugs out the door. Uh, so you have two options. Um, go to jail forever or uh, turn into an informant, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, we'll put you, not on the payroll, but we'll let you keep the money that you make from your drugs in order for us to watch you. We'll help you succeed and get better connections and get deeper into the environment that you're in. You get deeper and deeper, like Ozark or whatever. And then eventually, when you find the big boys, we'll come in, sweep everybody out of it, and then we put you into witness protection or something or let you get shot or whatever. I don't give a fuck. 
Like that's how it used to go. I think now there's a lot more of this like self-organization and self-censorship, uh, outward societal factors that are keeping people behaving in a certain way for fear of um, like social recrimination. As well, there's crime and shit like that, but I don't think there's the same level of independent acquisition. Like the CAA will come up and knock on your door and go like, so come here, uh, well, you're great at flying and you're not afraid of the old drugs and you're a bit risky. Do you want to work for the CAA? Like, that's not how it works. Nah, probably harder to find the face of a company. Like, you know, Ronald McDonald used to be a dude at McDonald's. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there was even a, like, <laughs> Some you ginger know, cunt who's yeah, just really yeah, enthusiastic. So the Ronald McDonald could be at your birthday party when you were a kid. But now it's hard, like, McDonald's is, you know, it's just harder to pinpoint, like, get the one-on-one the -on -one FaceTime value, like a conglomerate like McDonald's or the CAA. You know, it's harder yeah. to... You can't, like, info at any company won't get you to anywhere anymore. You know, it's yeah, like you say, they're not just going to knock around to you like they used to. Yeah, you, you, might just, you might just accidentally commit suicide, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. More about that later. Oh, probably. I shot myself twice in the back of the head. But, like, take McDonald's for an example, because that's a much more approachable and tangible, uh, um, you know, company structure and we all love the CIA. We all love rock. That's it. <laughs> oh, man. Can I get can't, a, get, can't get enough of these fucking chicken nuggets. Can I get man. a 20 pack and a uh, barbecue <laughs> sauce? <laughs> you got these games, man, that have fucking loads of nuggets over here when I roll up. Yeah. But a movie like The Founder, let's say. Mm -hmm. Did you watch that? Yeah, yeah Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton man. Brilliant. Mwah. Batman coming in, taking over. The perfect example of how, like, corporatization and neoliberalist capitalist structures can take over a really good idea and homogenize it and nationalize it into like a behemoth corporation that ha actually has no soul but has started from the seeds of something really wholesome and really good but then ends up extrapolating itself into such a large organization that it becomes like its own entity that it's it's undestroyable but also un ungrowable or unchangeable like you can't put a soul into it it's so big but also you can't kill it like it like a giant demon or something like that yeah. where like michael keaton came in and went right this is two lads we're making really good burgers this is super popular let's like nationalize it and he went to all these places and he cajoled people into fucking like buying into the whole situation which is like these old cia guys knocking in and going okay we've information on you you have to turn but after a while that became a self-sustaining ecosystem so the cia or uh, dea or nsa now it is uh, uh, that was made in, in the late 80s or whatever uh, came from OSS Operation Special Services stuff like that like all of these information and intel agencies are, are kind of like self-sustaining and compartmentalised to a fault where you don't know what the other group is doing and we'll find this later on like even into the 80s when the FBI the DEA US Customs the ATF and the CIA were all fucking clashing with each other in such a way that neither one of them could take any action on Barry, which gave Barry carte blanche to pretty much do what he wanted with impunity. But all of them knew that he was doing illegal stuff, but for fear of stepping on the other one's toes, as is the way, everybody left him at arm's length, which left Barry a fucking enough room to, you know, fly in between them all. It's, it's real divorced parents situation, isn't totally. it? Totally. Yeah. When I'm running daddy's house, he lets me do this. When I'm at mommy's house, she lets me do this. Yeah. All right, well, I guess <laughs> yeah. just do whatever the fuck you want. It's the weekend. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Having two, two dinners. Like, it's like <laughs> McDonald's twice. Yeah, yeah. So, so this, the, the, the growing, like the, the unfettered growth of this Intel agency and how, how uh, this organization went from the 60s, which is like, 
We have some information about you, uh, Mr. Sale, to, like, we already, like, you already know you're being watched. So when you're doing this stuff, the minute anybody comes to you, are like, yeah, okay, I'll turn. Like, you know, it becomes a self-sustaining environment. Am I getting, am I, am yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gordo it's, was it's, soon cancelled after it, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> he committed just, suicide again. But that's the thing. <laughs> it's, so, it's so odd that this can happen and get to such a level that it's like, it almost toppled the United States, Barry Seal's actions. He was involved in so many things and his thread was threaded through so many really deep and high-powered uh, transactions that you're like, how did that, how was that allowed to happen? Mm. How did the CIA let that get away from them? Like, do you know? Yeah. And it goes Very from, weird. From, from uh, parliament to the suburbs to up yeah. and down the country yeah. into, into a war, like weapons, everything. But the main point I'm trying to make with all that waffle is there's no way, there's no way that an organization like the CIA at that time in the, you know, early 70s, late 60s, were able to walk up green to a man like Barry Seal and go, come here, we see you're doing a few days, would you like to, would you like to join us and do work for us? No. That motherfucker had been groomed from young. Yep. Through the army, you don't just walk into the CIA like a great, like fucking Ocean's Eleven, like dun, 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 dun. you yeah. just so, like you can't infiltrate the fucking CIA. Ding, ding, ding. Hi, like there's the, my CV. Like the Departed, yeah. It's yeah, not like yeah. what's this hobbies? Uh, watching movies, great. Yeah, yeah. Which movies though? Going uh, out with friends. <laughs> this, this is more like twenty years previously. There was a CIA agent at a game of football. Yeah. This little cub in a helicopter came buzzing around. The yeah. <laughs> like, it's like this that seems guy. a bit like that. I, I want that, that, guy. that guy there. Or they go into lands like Duffer who again trained Muhammad Atta and who trained Barry Seal like they go into guys like him and go see if there's any lads around that have any exceptional talents give us a shout and we'll, we'll keep an eye like a football scout going to fucking Africa yeah. and just watching lads running up and down Dufford's like yeah I know there's one guy got five false teeth and a busted up jaw but apart yeah. from that he's solid yeah yeah <laughs> Photograph- he can read upside down his photographic memory uh, you does, guys, well, doesn't you like can... taffy yeah you guys wouldn't you guys wouldn't be interested in that yeah. photographic memory <laughs> outstanding pilot yeah. one more question can he speak Vietnamese <laughs> <laughs> or at least do a convincing Vietnamese accent I don't know about that it's very hard to do a Vietnamese accent. Yeah. Just it's not racist yeah. because it's so accurate. Just we, we yeah, do, this, that's this, done this, from a place of love. Yes, oh, of course. But what we don't want is any crazy bastards. So make sure the <laughs> SEAL guy has got a level head. He's a family man. Doesn't yeah. like doing any crazy shit. Make sure he has a family with at least mm, three kids. Yeah. Three yeah, kids. yeah, that's it what we need. like, I can't promise you anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we can kill one of the kids and keep the other two hostage. That's the crack. Um, so yeah, Barry uh, involved in, in in all this mad shit, um, full time in the espionage biz, uh, and then at this point he was arrested by customs, which may have been outside the federal jurisdiction of the CIA, uh, with the with the explosives or whatever. So the shit was out of the horse at this stage, and it couldn't hide any longer. It was out in the public; people knew about it. The people involved in this explosives gambit were also gun running, and they were even linked to the Gambino crime family, which is very public at the time. The Mafia were doing uh, wonderful work in uh, uh, New York uh, uh, at the time. They were even moving into Las Vegas, as we know. Moving to Vegas. And um, it's my wh- fucking casino. Yeah. And uh, What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I never knew that the Gambino crime family were like a real thing. I always just thought Gambino was... I just thought I heard that on The Simpsons or something. Yeah. The yeah, Gambino yeah. family. Oh, no shit. No, they're real. The, the, the five families in New York. We have a whole episode on uh, the Italian Mafia and the history they're in and... The lads coming over as immigrants in the 20s from Italy and uh, 
Yeah, just basically like do run the numbers, doing all that stuff and finding yeah, let's I just, just I, divide I, New York I, up into sections and we just do our business like we were doing back home. I just thought Gambino was like when you're talking about someone Irish and they're like, Oh yeah, he's Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but, yeah. but the Gambino crime family, like they had all, like, uh, uh, you know, red, uh, what's the fucking uh, Donny Brasco, you know, you had Red Sonny and Black Sonny and all of these guys. Like they're all real people. Like it's all the Gambino, the, I nearly said the Monte Verdes. No, there's like five families and uh, the, the, what's that one? The Sopranos. Yeah, that's one of them. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, the Gambino crime family was linked to, to Barry and the gun running. Uh, so this was a big bucks, a big bust for U.S. Customs to catch Barry Seal with fourteen thousand pounds of explosives, but they they caught him, and then Barry's like, "I'm CIA. Uh, you caught the wrong motherfucker. You better let me go and make this go away." But Customs were like, "Oh, it's a big bust, though. So we kind of want can we, to. Can we keep it? Yeah. We want to look like we're doing a job." Yeah, and uh, it has already got out that he was arrested, so they couldn't like put the shit back in the horse. So one of the customs agents who arrested Barry was called Dick Gustafson, and he transferred later to the DEA in Baton Rouge after this case was completed, possibly because of a promotion, because of his discretion as a U.S. customs agent, and then possibly the first uh, inclines of the DEA being able to use Barry for their own ends. So he came onto the DEA's radar to be like, flies, goes to South America, mmm, smells like drugs to me. The trial of Barry and his cohorts in this gun and explosive smuggling case and the fact that Barry basically got away with it spawns the public record rumour of Barry being in league with the CAA from the outset and having this fabled immunity that he boasted so much about uh, and his ability to be able to acquire gainful employment as the years went on. This motherfucker was blessed and protected. There's no way you can walk away from a US customs case of £14,000 of explosives being brought to the anti-Cuban Castrans or anti-Castro Cubans anti-Cuban Castrans I don't have no balls man <laughs> and I don't like Cuba uh, the anti-Castro Cubans uh, and they brought brought this fucking explosive like there's no way you can walk away from that and yeah. be able to go off and get other jobs there's no way unless you were fucking you know a, 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 a made guy I didn't know those explosives were there there's no there's no excuse in it like this is not a fucking like a, a, oh yeah, okay, it's a, it's like, my friend's plane. Look it, we've all had the friend, and I mean, I'm not saying I'm any kind of a fucking, you know, a mad drug taker. I've done a few drugs in my day, and I enjoyed them, and I was able to internalize the the dialogue that I had when I took the drugs, and so able to talk about them at length. Very short period of time. It's like Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix was super famous, but only for three years. But he got so much material out of those three years that he was able to, I don't know, whittle it into a podcast or whatever. <laughs> So I'm not like a mad drug taker. I wouldn't be like, I love drugs. I'm sober for 11 years. Like that shows you how much I love drugs. Not very much anymore. But in the time that I was taking them, I, I you know, got very much in reading about it, like watching all the movies, the documentaries, reading the books and all the Carlos Castaneda and all the stuff. Like uh, uh, Mr. Nice and Timothy Leary and all the things, right? To find out all about it. To know that these machinations of drug culture and uh, smuggling the drugs, the laws around it, all this kind of stuff. Everybody knows that when you get caught by the cops and you get away with it and nothing happens to you, if you're caught with a load of drugs, from anything they've ever read, watched, if you're caught and they bring you into the station and then you walk out with no repercussions, you've obviously flipped. Right. You've obviously agreed to save your own skin and and squeal and rat on the people above you, who, whoever sold it to you, who sold it to them, where you're getting it, how much you're getting it for, all of that kind of stuff. And we all know lads who got fucking 
got pinched and we're like, yeah, uh, yeah, what happened? Yeah, I heard you got arrested. Yeah, what happened? Oh, no. Nothing. Yeah, no, no, it was grand. It was grand? Did you, what, huh? Yeah, and then where, hang was, around the, with those and where was that next shipment not... coming in? Can you speak closer to my chest? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing, you know, if a motherfucker's getting away with it, that he's telling somebody something in order to be able to get away with it. Like it's or, a he's, natural or he's instinct. connected with the right people. Or, or, well, I mean, it's very rare, especially in Ireland, to be arrested by a cop and then you're sitting in the fucking thing in the room to reinterrogate you and you're like, you don't know uh, who, who I am. You don't know who I am? I, Do you know who you're messing with? Like, Do you seem to recall who uh, was the captain of the winning team in the under-16 <laughs> Father Hackett Cup in 1994? <laughs> the, the, Does this look familiar? Yeah, the, the CIA, GAA uh, <laughs> 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 link there, Jerry. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how else do they get 40,000 people into one place at the one time in the middle of a global pandemic? Well, fucking connected the more, somehow. The more I fucking read about Barry Seal, I'm not going to be surprised to see he was on the fucking winning team and carrying the All-Ireland <laughs> final. Yeah. yeah, he at least flew the plane over the <laughs> over Crow Park when it was happening. Yeah, yeah. But seriously, like, like when that happens, most people who are involved in even the casual consumption of drugs, I know that in my town and when I was living in Dublin or when I was living in Wexford, we're taking drugs. And someone, you heard of someone getting arrested, you would then go, okay, I'm going to probably distance myself from that person because they got let out for a reason. Uh, don't come over to my house anymore. Mm. And that's it. And you don't fucking involve yourself with them. I, you know, I've never squelt. I've never fucking talked to the guards about any drugs. I've never been arrested. I've never even talking? been... I've never been lifted. Yeah. I ain't talking. <laughs> what, what, what are you going to tell him, Joey? Tight lips? I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> but, uh, like, I've never even been, been seen by a policeman imbibing drugs ever. So, like, I know my conscience is clean. So there's an immediate suspicion on people who are doing that kind of thing. And Barry was doing that on the regular with, like, massive amounts of cocaine, massive amounts of fucking guns, massive amounts of explosives, and then just walking away. Yeah. Just walking away from it. Like, how do you do that? And everyone knew. Everybody like all, knew. All the big... So it's like the... It, from... Uh, we'll get into it, I guess, but, like, from the ones that had the most problem with it was the, uh, the lowest, like... The lowest and most local uh, f- forces, you know, like just the the cop on the corner. Yes, he was the one going. Oh, but did you see what's going? On? How can he just uh, oh seal? Yeah, and yeah. like he's like can't be touched, mate. But the ones that had the most problem with it, that they wanted to get him down the most, were the ones that were like have no authority when it comes to like federal, you know, when it comes to the whole country. Well, that like, ended up being his undoing, like the local yeah. cops in Louisiana. Really got they a fucking it in for a stick up their arse about the shit he was getting away with. You know, spoiler alert, eventually that shit caught up with him when he went home. But like, up till then, yeah. I, I would imagine Barry felt untouchable. <laughs> yeah. I well, he, he, he didn't feel untouchable. He bragged openly about how untouchable he was. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. That's the thing. And there was an I interview. can't get arrested in... Uh, uh, Arkansas. <laughs> you can't touch yeah. me. Yeah. You can't fucking yeah. touch me. You would say that. And then, don't worry uh, about it. What I'm was right. the, there was an interview, and um, I don't know who the guy was. You probably did, Gordy, but he goes, uh, Barry's balls were bigger than this room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't know what room the guy was when he recorded the interview, but I'm sure like any room is bit, you know. A handball alley. You can see from, <laughs> even, yeah. An auditorium. <laughs> bigger than this squash court. Yeah. Like from, even when it was like 15, 16, like it, from this whole, you can see his whole life has just had the, the biggest balls of, of, of any man. I, I think maybe there's something you know, like some deficiency in his brain where he just doesn't feel danger or something like that. I mean, there's surely... Or just love Like, think about the shit he got into towards the end, like the Colombians and the CAA and all this kind of stuff. Like, 
how would you sleep? Yeah. How would you sleep at night time? Well, no. I'm sure I'm sure we're going to get into it, but like the um the spirit of the man is uh, something that I can't wrap my own head around. Yeah, it's very difficult. Very difficult. If I do like not to jump ahead, but if I did one run that he did. And made he'd the money never, he made from one run. He'd never sleep again. I'd, 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 never, I'd never sleep a day and I'd call it again. I'd yeah. call it a day. I'd be yeah. like, half a million for a plane of Coke? Half a million, that's okay. That's me set for life, more or less. Cash cash my chips in. Yeah, cash in. I'm, I'm going to call invest. it an early night yeah. and uh, go to Baton Rouge and raise chickens. Yeah. And li- just live your best life for the half yeah. a million. See if you can turn it into something. But yeah, like... Unless you get the I whole country going, you do that more. And then all of the, the rest going... You would deliver these drugs, uh, you know. But again, maybe, and again, maybe <laughs> that's maybe that's a supposition on our part in trying to explain his actions. Maybe it was uh, an imperative that they were saying, "Come here, and whether you're sleeping or not at night, whether you're stressed out or not at nighttime, you're doing another flight, whether you like it or not." And he's like, oh. "I think he did love it." I think he did love it. I think he loved the interviews it. with him and all, and I'm going to put some uh, some stuff up on the Bitchu channel and up on Vimeo as well. Um, some of the interviews with him, and he's just, just like love and life. He's just like interviews. leaning against yeah. the, the inside of the plane, just chatting away with his sonies. He, he loves it, man. Can't stand the heat. Why, why, why are you in the kitchen? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, that's not how it goes, Barry, but fair enough. Yeah. That was that one interview that um that you sent us, Ryan, and I watched it where he's been interviewed and the, the, the sorry, the narrator uh, of it un- goes, Uncle Sam comes calling, yeah. I think it's called. The 1984 narrator, News Report, yeah. The narrator describes him, Barry Seal was an adventurer and a soldier of fortune. Soldier of Fortune yeah. was Soldier of Fortune is the term, but the term adventurer, yeah. I've only ever seen that written down one other place. There was an X-Men game <laughs> <laughs> on the Game Boy. Yeah. That's we're talking 30 years ago, and I believe it might have actually been Spider-Man and the X-Men. And each of the uh X-Men had a little profile that you could go in and you could get their real name and all this kind of thing. So it was like Scott Summers, uh sorry, Cyclops, real name Scott Summers, height, weight. Blah, blah, blah. And occupation. Top Trump shit. Top Trump shit, right? And for Wolverine, it was like, this is the first time I ever encountered Wolverine around like this. This is before the cartoon came out, uh, you know. And it was like, Wolverine, real name Logan, occupation, adventurer. And I thought that was just some comic book shit. Schnicky, schnicky, schnar, schnar. That, that was it, adventure. That's just like, oh, that's just like some catch-all phrase for, you know, what a comic book guy does. Yeah. But in actual fact... Here we have Barry Seal, adventurer, woke up in every morning and adventured. Flat, that was his yeah. job. Like a fat Wolverine. Yeah. Like, like a, he was untouched. He was invincible. Yeah. He got to go he all, had all around the world. balls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you do? What do you do for pay, Barry? I, you know, I'm an adventurer. Just wake yeah. up and adventure. But the thing is, like, when you get that much money, money doesn't mean it. Like, he had, he was burying money in the garden. He had fucking mm. stacks of dollar bills. Yeah. Like, it's like. And instead of the shink shink of the uh, the blades coming out of his knuckles, yeah, the shink shink sound of the coins jingling in his pocket. For yeah, the, the quarters for all the for all the payphones. <laughs> shink, shink. Yeah, like the sheriff of this town just it's, clinging around. It's it's so crazy. Tell them all about it, the conspiracy guys. So so let's let's yes, talk about yes. um. I have this section entitled Barry Seal delivered ham yours, yeah. and it's about the uh, the war on drugs. So maybe Jerry, you can uh, give us a little Absolutely. insight into the times. And life of Barry Seal during the eighties when uh, Reagan it's, was like saying "Just say no," which really worked. It's the thirtieth of January, nineteen eighty-two, Gordo. I myself 
I'm one year old. Oh. <laughs> I'm a year and two months old. Smuggling cocaine in your nappy. I'm, I'm smuggling brown heroin in my nappy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Ronald Reagan declared a war on drugs after a decade of a massive influx of cocaine and other narcotics being imported, sold, and consumed in the US. So thousands of kilos being seized every year by the DEA. That was just a fraction of the amount that was making it onto American streets and into the noses of the general public. In our War on Drugs episode, Gordo, that you had there, we went into the history of cocaine and almost domestic consumption of it in household products and soft drinks like the old school bottles of coke. Yeah, there used to be real cocaine in bottles of coke. You buy it for five cents. Uh, they used to, uh, for pain, for tooth it pain. Was, it was like I a tincture. That. A tincture, yeah. They used like, to get a, a cocaine in it. It's like, oh, I'm pain in my jaw. Here, have some cocaine. <laughs> oh, mm. that's brilliant. My tooth is sore, but I feel great about it. Housewives, are you feeling run down? Mother's little helper, it's all weird. that kind of stuff. So actually, Coke, the original now, which should be called Coke Zero. Yeah, there's <laughs> no cocaine there's in no it. Cocaine yeah. in it. They're all Coke Zero. But there was real Coke in it for five cent, real cocaine. And there's old old cans, like old uh, uh, bottles and stuff that have like 0. 0.05 whatever of cocaine. Does they have the little the picture labels. of the, uh, the profile of the pregnant lady with a line through it? If you're pregnant, <laughs> don't drink the original Coke. Yeah, yeah. Or if you want to, you know, if you want a baby that comes out chatting away, then drink up. <laughs> Chowing the fucking nipples off you. <laughs> so cocaine is, you know, cocaine's always been big, but it's been particularly big in the past couple of years with young people being reintroduced to it. I guess they were on their mollies and their, and their what have you. Yes. Anyway, but in the words of Pulp Fiction, Coke's coming back in a big way. The ketamines and the speed and all that. No, but Coke was a fucking expensive drug. The boom is back. All the way through. And in the boom times, Coke is fucking... But it's all cut with, like, lidocaine, novocaine, and, uh, you know, it's back. It's not like Coke, Coke. Uh, you know, when you put it on your gums and your your teeth fucking swap places and, you know, it's it's actually good quality. Like, a lot of it is just bags of shit that makes you feel mildly okay. But I gotta, I gotta tell you, do you know what they should cut cocaine with? Caldison baby powder. Ah. Because that stuff just smells lovely. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to smell this. Just, oh, this cocaine smells really nice. It has a nice yeah. we, 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 With the kids, we had like Caldison, which is like a medicated baby powder. It's real expensive. So it's like most nappy rashes and things like this. Your Johnson & Johnson's, your your your, your supermarket value uh, baby powder will do it. But like, you know, if you're feeling fancy yeah. <laughs> to get the Caldison. Medicated baby and powder. And it just smells nice, you know? Ooh, but that's the thing. They would, they would step on like bags of coke and try and put extra shit into it just to push the weight out for an extra bit of dosh you know but like in the in the mid 2000s they were putting like ketamine lidocaine and um other kind of powder powderable like fuck me up powders talc bit of bit of speed a bit of you know amphetamines they were mixing with like adderall ritalin and stuff that they give you the zing 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 but like not you know they put the lidocaine the the, the dentist numbing powder into it so that when you'd be like taking a numb your whole head as good cocaine would, so it's kind of giving that illusion of it where it's not like full cocaine, down like really low percentages of actual cocaine and stuff. Because it's like, how the fuck do you get coke into Ireland? It's an island. It's pretty fucking difficult. It's a long way to come from wherever it is. Where, wherever it's going to come from, and it's not being flown in by Barry Seal. It's coming in in fucking Deco's fucking back pocket. If I you know mean, what I'm like this is the thing with Barry Seals and, and his smuggling, and we'll we'll get into it. Is that it's it's. The actual getting of drugs from A to B is somewhat mundane. He loads it in a plane, yeah. he flies it, yeah. and it gets into America like yeah. that. Whereas, like, cocaine coming into Ireland, I think, has a much more sort of last of the summer wine. 
Enterprise too, yeah. where it's like three old lads with a bathtub floating over from the Isle of Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. miniature homemade they're dropping, submarine. They're kind dropping of thing. it in suitcase size bales off the coast of Cork, and then some some <laughs> lad goes out with a boat and tries to yeah. f- f- you know fish it out or. Uh, a bale of it lands on the fucking on the co- on a beach somewhere, and a lot of kids find it. And they're like, <gasps> "Class, Sherbet. <you> know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> apparently, Sherbet, apparently, um, they're 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 doing all these tests on um, uh, wild shrimp and wild salmon being tested for human consumption. Apparently, y- you can't get a shrimp out of the ocean now, boys, without it having some cocaine inside in it. Yeah, all the shrimp being all. Because all the cocaine that's being dumped is all going into the bottom of the ocean. And, and Let's the, go get a shrimp cocktail. The, the shrimp are coming along and they're like, mm, something that's not moving, it must be dead. Nom, 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 nom. This is class. Nom, 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 nom. Oh, yeah. And the shrimp are coming out big uh, and have trace amounts of cocaine. Full of coke. Uh, yeah. But also trace amounts of plastic. The fish Won't have plastic. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not a shrimp, but in America they call me prawns. Like this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Co- cocaine and all your fish, boys, as well as mercury and as well as microplastics, but cocaine as well. That's how much is out there. I'll put a shrimp on that, Barry. Yeah, hey. I'll only say that because just in case people were expecting it, <laughs> uh, we also call them prawns. Yeah, you like to get it out early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. people aren't waiting on it. I know people are yelling that into the headphones. So yeah, no, no exact figures for anybody here, but European use of cocaine has gone up six percent in two thousand and nineteen, and worldwide has risen an unbelievable eighteen percent from twenty million. 24 million users from 2017 to 2019. That's a lot. Amazing. 4 million extra consumers in just two years. Bloody hell. But in fairness, 2017 to 2019. Yeah, it's Look at the times that it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And cocaine is great. We had 2016, George Michael's dead, Carrie Fisher's dead, everybody's on a downer. David Bowie. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe maybe that's what it was. Maybe like, you know, David Bowie died. David Bowie died and Carrie Fisher died and everybody thought they had to... Do load of coke to make up tribute. The slack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this hey, for you. there's two. There's two people gone down, and the consumption's way down. Okay, we need four million more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we can't have these coke dealers going out of business now. They carry and David Bowie's gone. But look, yeah. man, I'm looking at TikToks. I'm looking at Instagram. People are going, oh yeah, blah blah blah. blah. I'm on the bag. Like, there's loads of memes about being on the bag. Like, people are going out for drinks on a Friday, and then they're like, oh, we get a bag. Yeah, go, on, we get a bag. Like, it's not. It's a much more casual consumption of cocaine, which is still, like, a really serious drug to be caught with in Ireland. Like, you will go to jail if you're caught with cocaine. And there's, like, loads of kids have it, loads of young people going out. It's almost like a a necessary uh, party accessory. Yeah, it's yeah. like having you your phone and your coke. Phone and your coke. And you have phone and your coke, it's mad, eh? It just, it just seems like it's so much more uh, prolifically taken nowadays. Yeah, in the last... I'm out of the game, like, obviously, but, like... Yeah. Just in the last two months or whenever, like, lockdown was lifted in Dublin, where I live, and, like, you know, we've got a new comedy club, so I'm standing on the street with flyers going, comedy starting in 30 minutes, yada, yada. Like, just as, and this is around 8, you know, 7 to 8 p.m., at least once a night, someone will come back going, like, selling, you know, just as they're walking past you. Just like street selling. Street selling. Mm. And at first I was like, what? And then I was like, you know, and when I found out what it was, I was like, oh, no, no, I thought you were. Selling something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Prada. Straight Louis Vuitton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wants a gold watch? Gold watch. Bit of bag. But no, straight, yeah, straight in with like, co- like Coke is the thing. And I had, I, I can't remember hearing that maybe around before, on the, but yeah. not on the street, like every night. Just these little dudes in puffer jackets going around. You're just going, uh, Charlie, bag. But, but it seems like all the young people are Bags. feeling it's so casual. Like that they're out for a couple of, you're just going out for a couple of drinks with your mates. 
And then you also get a bag. It's like a cigarette now. Yeah. I feel, I, I, I don't know. I, I, obviously, look, let's be honest. I'm not going out with young people. I'm not going out. Yeah. I live in the country. I'm a grown ass man with a kid. We're parents now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, not that aesthetically pleasing. I'm, I'm, I'm overweight, which means I can't move that fast. What does that, that mean? Fast. You can't I'm have not... a bit of coke with your dinner. You gotta know, don't you? <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm saying I'm not out in clubs trying to like impress young ones by going like, ah, oh, you want a bit of this? And uh, fucking yeah. trying to duty myself up and get me whole and stuff like that. Like, I'm sober 11 years. I'm not part of the game at all. I'm just saying general observations, parentheses, Gordo may be talking shite here. Cocaine seems a lot more prevalent nowadays than, yeah. than it was. I don't remember it being like that. I remember weed. Years, I remember people years. walking past going weed or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And like yeah. maybe may a top up weed, coke, or, but it would usually be weed. Like if you just hear off the street. Maybe the fear level has gone down around because it's so widely accepted. Like yeah. there's a lot of people were like, oh no, if you're taking coke, like that's a serious drug. And now it seems to be more of a like, yeah, yeah, it's a fun, like it's like fun, you know? But it's it's where the money is. I mean, like, Goro, you're, you're the same as me. You grew up in the 80s in the country. We didn't have a McDonald's. Yeah. I didn't, I got to a McDonald's once a year when I went up to Dublin and now yeah. there's a McDonald's 20 minutes from my house, 10 minutes from my house, McDonald's on every goddamn corner. It's just more widespread these days. And yeah. like that being said, I don't know, I'd be very naive and say, oh, there wasn't much cocaine up airway back in the day. And something, not that I would have known it. But there absolutely was. There was, but yeah, it was being but taken. Kind of go looking for it was it. being taken by a certain cohort of people. It wasn't being taken by all and sundry. Yeah. Like you, the you, majority you, of 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds weren't taking it. It was like being taken by a certain cohort who A, could afford it, and B, were in the environment where they were able to procure it easily. Do you think that procurement, when we talk about procurement and, and Dimo talking about lads just selling it on the street corner? Uh, there was nobody walking around the streets of Wexford going, Coke, anyone nah. want Coke? Do you think, do you think it's, it's to do with like the, um, the growth of communications technology as yeah. well? There's lads, there's lads on Snapchat, like Coke Dealer One and stuff like that, yeah. where they're just like DM me for a thing and they'll show up. Yeah. And they're obviously taking a risk that they're not getting fucking DM'd by a cop and they show up and they're like, if you're a cop, you have to tell me. That's not how the law works, bro. Not even slightly. Up against the wall. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But like, and also with the stuff like Breaking Bad and The Wire and all this, like, you know. Right. It, it's given that legitimacy and generalized knowledge of these drugs that seems to make it more palatable for that All the mini theories about anything, it. any guys Narcos that are big on money. And, and, yeah, yeah. Even Ozark Kin, and the most Kin, recent, uh, you know, Love, Hate. Love, and, Hate, yeah. Underbelly, all it's all like, you know, drugs. It's like, ah, like, and, and if everyone's out for a good time in a movie, it's like, Whoa! Yeah, or whatever. And, 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 and just... And, and they I, say that smoking in movies didn't let people smoke. Of course it did. Should they yeah. doing cocaine though? Is, is is it the thing, and I don't know, I've, I've got school going kids, but they're still very small, but is, has there been a drop in guards coming round to the school to tell you not to do drugs? I, I don't really don't know. Because that's what we did. You, yeah, does that, that even that? happen? Oh, I got, I got, we got that in secondary we school. We got that too, for a priest. Yeah. Oh, they know all about it. We had, we had like, a, and not even once, we had several guards. We had guards, plural, over years. In a queue. And give us like a, give us, okay, you're not going to have, in, you're not going to have double English today. Yes. You're going to go into assembly and a guard is going to come around and tell you what not to do about drugs. Teach about drugs and all that yeah. kind of thing. And, and I've never really touched drugs in my whole entire life. Because this guard done such a good job when oh. I was fourteen, <laughs> like convinced me wholeheartedly really? that if you hold an ecstasy tablet in your fingers, it'll soak into your skin and kill you graveyard dead on the spot. If you look at LSD, 
you are going to stamp your baby to death in 10 years' time when you you'll, have a flashback and yeah. it turns into a bug. You'll be you'll be crazy for it. You take one time and you'll be crazy forever, like that lad in the film. Yeah, you're going to you'll climb a telegraph pole. You'll jump off a building. Yeah. And I was very susceptible to this when I was like 13, 14, and he told us, don't do... Co-. And I remember his exact words were, heroin is the end. Yeah. He said, if you take heroin, that's the end of you. You're done. And which is not the case. Like, you know, try you this can, Oxycontin. You can, you can, you know, people have recovered from heroin addiction and gone on and lived lives and, and all that kind of thing. But this guy was on a mission to come around and go, don't you fucking do drugs. I don't want to be chasing you around the place. You fucker. But that was the early 90s kind of version of the proliferation of the American Just Say No campaign that right. leaked over into the, we, we were a little bit behind in Ireland leaked over into Ireland where you had um, lads coming over I remember in our school we had the fella who wrote the book The Agony of Ecstasy remember that book? No the fella and he was like taking loads of yokes and it's a great title I gotta tell just, you yeah. yeah The Agony of Ecstasy and he was taking loads of yokes and he had a really bad time and he was just like yeah it was really bad and I didn't have enough water and then um, yeah, I couldn't sleep. The music was, was repetitive. I was feeling a bit sick the next day in work, and it wasn't great. Like that's the whole book, or whatever. I can't really remember what it was about, but I remember the title, and I remember he was a real like a whinger about it, like he was really whinging, and uh, he was saying like, "Yeah, don't be taking ecstasy." Yeah. Like, and then of course the propaganda around that poor young one, Leah Betts. Remember Leah Betts? That name's very familiar. She she in the early mid mid nineties she she took one ecstasy tablet at a rave all one time. Took. Was all it took, and then she drank too. She got overheated. She drank too much water, and her brain uh, got oversaturated or whatever, and she died of a, um, you know, a, a, a that was a re- or something. I, like I remember that. that whole notion was like ecstasy. You got to drink Want. a lot of water, yeah. and it's you don't drink too much water. And I remember at the time going, I'm never going to touch ecstasy because I, I, I'll fuck it up. But what I got from it was, it wasn't the ecstasy that killed her. It was the water. I was like, so drinking like twelve liters of water will kill you. Yeah. So it wasn't the ecstasy that killed her. It was the water. And everyone was like, shut up. Do you know? Right, so what you've done here is you've terrified this girl into thinking that she needed to drink a load of water. So this is kind of your fault? Uh, that's what <laughs> I was kind of saying. And then I was like, shut up. She's dead. Have some respect. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, not that I wa- it didn't make me like brutally afraid. And obviously, you know, childhood trauma and stuff like that I had made me risk averse in certain ways yeah. of my personal safety. And then t- totally fucking, totally like risk heavy in other ways where right. I was super risk taking, you know. But like as soon as I got some a bit of autonomy as a as a young adult, I started taking drugs and drinking. Like I started drinking at thirteen yeah. because drink was an acceptable risk. Right in there. Acceptable yeah, yeah. yeah you and it was like, your wee Scott, yeah. We didn't have anybody coming into the school going, "Come here." You know the way alcohol is the like one of the most addictive and terrible yeah, yeah, drugs. Yeah, yeah. Then it's you know you know taxed and it's legal and it's available everywhere. And, and it could, destroys families. And, yeah, you could drink it as a child and the blah blah blah. And but they they came in like. You know, yeah. the lads came in to show us all the fucking the yo-yos. Remember the yo-yos and they do all the tricks and everyone yeah, had to yeah, buy yeah, the yeah. yo-yos. And then the next day it was like, you take one tablet and, and you're, 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 fucked. you're fucked forever. Um, but they never said nothing about drink. And I was drinking from a really young age. But I just remember like there was a moral thing about it, especially in Ireland. Like, there was a moral thing about drugs. Like you'd shame your family, you'd shame your community. You're a druggie. You're a druggie. What would the neighbours think? Exactly. Yeah. There was a there was a thing about it. And cocaine was one of those. Cocaine and heroin was were the drugs that were like the worst of the worst of the worst. And because like crack was going on in America at the time, and um, there's a lot of movies about like crack cocaine. There was a lot of characters on like. <laughs> Man, I suck your dick. Like cocaine had this really bad, and then like heroin obviously was, you know, the junkies and all the stuff in the movie. It was all very uh, propaganda ish. 
they didn't tell you about the businessmen that were you know smoking cocaine uh, uh, or smoking uh, uh, heroin and living totally normal lives for the most part um they weren't t- telling you about they were showing you the fucking the crack the crack guys that were sucking dick in bus stations to get some crack rock but they weren't showing you like the fucking wall street right you know stockbrokers and stuff that were fucking hoovering it up and they were the lads that were putting hundreds of millions and billions of dollars into the cocaine industry it wasn't some lads smoking mostly fucking uh uh, mostly bacon powder in a crack rock that was f- fueling the billion dollar industry buying it for five dollars a pop. It was cunts buying like you know oh I'll have a, I'll have a, a you know two I buy a two ounce bag for Friday night and we go through it in a couple of days and have a nice weekend for ourselves or Monday morning let's get the fucking the weekly fucking stock trading powder in and you know let's have a let's have a great week guys numbers are up like they didn't tell you that stuff no. at that time and then only recently then stuff like Wolf of Wall Street showed that that's what that whole thing was fueled by really is just openly you know, taking yeah quaaludes yeah. and cocaine open like it was totally acceptable whereas crack was like this uh you know morally abhorrent thing uh but i think in ireland we were very much sheltered from that and very much propagandized oh that, like cocaine was was a was a a just say no type of drug then well, number one, and now I feel it's fully accepted. People are like, "Yeah, we're on coke. That's ah, it's not that bad." Like, like not for nothing either. Like, uh, uh, as 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 a young person, I remember a very distinct figure. Uh, the the guard said, he "said like you know, some people you know for a single fix of cocaine is eighty pounds." And at the time, I was like, "Well, I guess I'm never going to go near cocaine." At that's what that's what it pop. was. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's you're you're halfway to a price of a mega drive there. Fuck <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the lads, the lads well, two games. You know, I'm, I'm definitely. Well, you, 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 have, you yourself, you guard have uh, convinced me. Never come yeah, here. Yeah. Way too expensive. I hear you. Addictive and expensive. Jesus, if I take it just once, I'm hope, hopelessly addicted. But it's very expensive. Oh, I can't afford to get it. There you go. I'm not yeah. even going to try. So as you mentioned the price, oh, I'm saving it for NBA jams. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not going to waste He's it on fire. one. Yeah, yeah. Nails in the I coffin from downtown. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what it was, man. It was uh, such a weird fucking way to talk about drugs, isn't it? In that, like, real just say no, like, you know, venial sins and, like, oh, you'll shame your family. Instead of just going, like, you feel really shit about yourself, so you take a drug to make yourself feel better. Then you get addicted to the feeling, not the drug. And, you know, what like, what's making you feel bad in the first place? Let's talk about that. Yeah, Let's exactly. have an assembly about that shit. Uh, and that's only happening in the last few years where this like social empathy is starting to grow. And the, the more social empathy grows, the more people are like, yeah, it's totally fine to just take cocaine and have a good night. It's grand. There's no shame around it. There's no, yeah. the, 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 the moral chiding from society has started to fall away, which means people can enjoy these drugs. And even like psilocybin mushrooms, LSD uh, and ecstasy are all being used to treat like uh, trauma, uh, PTSD, uh, psychosis and schizophrenia. Like, Ecstasy is like true, true, uh, or M- like MDMA, true, um, like drug therapy. It's an almost guaranteed cure for PTSD. Like guaranteed, out of the box, one or two treatments, and you work with a therapist on it, and it's PTSD fixed. Like uh, trauma and fucking uh, nervous conditions and all that stuff. People are going on like guided guided uh pharmaceutical psilocybin trips with therapists and they're coming out going like yep just uh, one time and uh, i'm totally fine now and it's all being like ratified by the fda and all these motherfuckers like that are uh, um 
CDC and FDA and all these other cons we're talking about endlessly for years now. Um, saying, yes, yeah, totally fine, take take mushrooms and take LSD and we'll do these therapies with you. And it's like one or two treatments and you're done. I'm like, yeah. M- motherfuckers in the mountains in Peru are doing that shit for thousands of years. Yeah. Where you're having problems in uh, in the down in the village and you're like, I think it's time I go up and see fucking... Shaman Murphy up there and you go up and you do a fucking ayahuasca he bangs the drum you fucking vomit and shit yourself all over the place you roll around you you talk to the fucking uh, Johnny Cash voiced coyote for like five or and six mama hours Mama Ayahuasca yeah, talk, talk you, to all Mama Ayahuasca yeah, apparently uh, comes in or sometimes or the fucking the, the mescalito or the machine elves come and have a little go at you and you the elves, yeah. poke you with a stick and then you're like uh, 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 and you're fucking rolling around for six or seven hours and then you wake up in the morning and you're like you know what I have a new perspective on life come on let's go and live our best lives here and and they do and it's fine and it's been happening for thousands of years but now because it's like fi- yeah, yeah, I guess like financially viable or co- commercializable is that even the word um, it's just more people have done it, have been fine, and put it out there from the internet, and people can go, oh, like, it's not what the government is telling us about. Yeah. Like, the question about the why does not, like, why do the, why is the government and all that just going, just just say no, like, it's that, like, we're all on earth, you know, we're all people, and we're like, there's these there's these plants, there's these roots, there's these, there's these, there's these stuff that grow here that, we, that we're, we're finding, you know, euphoria, there's things that's made good, it's like, okay, cool, we've got scientists, we've got this, let's find out what, we can do that's safe. What can we use this to help us all? Yeah. What can we, but just like, no, that's bad. That, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know. And what, it, it, it what drives bananas me. demo is that all of those drugs that they're saying, just say no to, were developed by the US government in a commercial or like or pharmaceutically weapons. consumable fashion. Like M- MDMA, ecstasy. Was acid uh, made as a weapon uh, and they uh, found LS- it was good? LSD, we have a whole Man, episode on... Psych- a great time, tripping balls over there. We have a whole episode on psychedelics yeah. uh, and uh, Al- Dr. Albert Hoffman and all invented this shit and fucking took a hundred doses of it to test it out and he was riding a bike home and then all of a sudden he was like... Da, 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 and fucking bike home, tripping his balls off, had to go lie down for three days and was like... Like, fucked up, you know? Yeah. Like, it was all made. It was all created. It was all manufactured. And then illegalized because it's like, well, this is this is too good. They love it. now it's coming full circle where it's been accepted. I just find it, and back to the what we're talking about, I just find it funny and strange. And a little bit like, I'm a little bit jealous of younger me. And I'm also, like, remembering the days when I used to take it a little bit and going like, cocaine is really widely accepted now and there's no, there's no like bad juju around it. Nobody's judging anybody for taking it and it's kind of fine. And sometimes you might get fucked up and you're like, oh man, fucking, yeah, it's like, ah, oh, he's having a good night. Yeah, all right, buddy. And everyone's real fucking empathetic and there's no one like filming you and fucking putting you on blast yeah. or putting you on TikTok when you're fucking pulling your face off and whatever. And they're like, oh, you're all right, man. Come on, we calm you down and they get you back in the buzz and you're on the dance floor and everybody's having a good time. Like it seems like a, a much more empathetic generation. It's Generation Z that are taking these drugs yeah maybe not like colombian quality or whatever someone's yeah. making a lot of money and i guarantee you the fucking wheels of commerce are turning on this motherfucker still but it seems to be much more white now maybe dear listener you can tell me out there are young people taking more cocaine are like any of the young people are listening to this episode do you find that your friends are more casually just like harsing in like key bumps uh when you're out in the pub just having an old pint like we never, you go for a pint and you, yeah, anyway, so what's crack? Come here, well, let me tell you this. Mm. You'd never, never hear doing shit like that when you're going out for pints, did you? No, God never, no. Never, like, and now nah. it's like fully expected. 
It Never. feels like. I saw a dude in Dublin in a club do a bump in the front row of a comedy club while I was on. That is... <laughs> you must have been like, really smashing it. Like, oh yeah, must have been going, this guy's great. Or the other way around, going, I need some coke to cheer me up. But, uh... <laughs> and then, like, in my head, I was in the middle of a bit, and my head was like, do I reference it? Because this is good. But then, so obviously I referenced it because it was hilarious. But, uh... Yeah, but and everyone was like, ah, ha, ha, of course, because he was up and down all night, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. But like that was, this was like a couple of months before Pando, before the pandemic. So it was like recent. And I'd never seen it just, what you know, like that before. Wild, right? And the question I was going to just ask you there, would you have had more if the outlook of the drug was like it is now, back when you were younger? Would you have had more? Would you yes, have, 100%. So that's probably a good or a bad thing. <laughs> I would have too much. If yeah. it was more socially allowed and if the, if the, if the ramifications of me taking it or owning it or holding it and the were less. Yeah, because I used to always have fucking hash on me, like a little block of hash, and everyone was told, take it out of the tin file when they give it to you, because if you have it in tin file, you can be done for supply, like you're going to sell it to somebody. But if you take it out of the tin file, you just have it on its own, it means that you're gonna you, use it. you were going to use it yourself and you can have it for personal consumption. Also, it's easier to just pop in your mouth and swallow if the guards are trying to, you know, this kind yeah. of stuff. That's why I always wrap my sandwiches in foil because I'm going like, to supply. I'm going to give the sandwich away because yeah, yeah. the, the tomato's gone a bit soggy in that. But, uh, <laughs> but like on a personal note, I've never, I've never taken cocaine, you know. But then no one's ever looked at me and gone, he this guy needs, needs to talk yeah. faster yeah. and, and, and has, up, yeah. has more, more confidence. This guy needs to be more awake. Yeah. But I'm not saying no to it. I think it's because, I think it's the snorting thing. I think if, because like, uh, you know, I love alcohol, like I've had mushrooms, I've had, you know, anything that you put in your mouth, I think. I think if, if Coke was like, you know, edibles, maybe. I just yeah. like putting it in my mouth. I'm not saying I'm not going to one day, because I want to try. Maybe you can just get a close friend to blow it up your arse with a straw. Maybe I'll do it halfway through the app and see how the second half of this Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you could, if, you could, if you could take it like the way you give the kids Calpol with the little plastic syringe. Yes. Yeah. Like in my up mouth. The nose. Yeah. Strawberry tasty nicey. Or like a vape, like a Coke vape. Yeah, your nose. I did that. I found a little baggie in a toilet on the cistern, classic. And yeah. I wanted to be like, you know, uh, uh, Axel Foley from, you know, he's like, that ain't that ain't sugar, you know, that ain't coffee. <laughs> I just I rubbed it on my gums like in, I wanted to be a cop, and they did go a bit numb, but I didn't get high for it obviously because I was yeah. slow. You know. That's all I I've had it in my body just from that, <laughs> just because yeah, I wanted to be like a, a, an American cop. It's yeah. a, it's a mad drug, and it just I don't know. I just put that into the notes just to say like, let's have a little conversation about the why acceptance of taking drugs now well because this is what's fueling the whole yeah, thing yeah I mean people this is, love it yeah. yeah it's a great drug though yeah <laughs> to be fair it's very popular for a reason Barry, Barry's not moving this around to stockpile it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but like going one day I'll yeah. get the marketing out there yeah. and people yeah. are gonna like it you know yeah. it's an acquired taste apparently how do I get rid of all this cocaine yeah. apparently yeah. you acquire it very quickly it's not, yeah. like, it's not like it was a warehouse liquidation sale and they had to move all the cocaine out you know yeah. you know, I bought it for nothing so I'm just gonna move it over here but nobody I'm wants Barry it I'm Barry Seal I'm stock so this cocaine is Gotta go. We've got answers. We got crazy them. deals. Yeah. Crazy prices. A <laughs> oh, Black Friday special. White Friday, white Friday special. Friday. He's, white Friday. He's got one of those white uh, 
tube men going oh, yeah. behind him like way yeah. and the tube men is just bent over doing a line off the back of an inflatable yeah. toilet and then he goes way and then he's like flipping up in the air he's got a white pair of uh, says, I'm sure there's already crazy a gift prizes. Yeah, All right. going to go the DAA's closing in come on down so I, I for the for the discerning listener enough of the chat of three men who regularly don't do any cocaine yeah. or haven't ever done it for I years. like alcohol yeah yeah, for, yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> we know not as this drugs. podcast rolls on I've never done cocaine but I just fucking might. Um, <laughs> it's sounding good. What the fuck are we talking about? I, I, you know, uh, as it is with all, these, with all these drugs that take a whole pile more of them if it wasn't for them funding international crime and all the misery that comes with and that. And this is the other part. That's the moral thing now where Which it's is, not like you're going to shame your trade. family. It's like, is it fair trade cocaine? That's yep. the thing. Um, that guy really done a number on you, though. If he fucking walked me just, over, yeah. Imagine if he said don't drink or don't eat, you know, apples. Yeah, yeah don't, only, don't lick pussy. He only had an hour. You get um, <laughs> <laughs> do you ever hear hey McBride do you ever hear that Michael Douglas got toe cancer from licking too much pussy don't be at that now you I'd be like the guy from Romance in the Stone I love that guy <laughs> he, licked, he licked a bit of bad pussy and he got that toe cancer so don't be at that now here hey you hear me <laughs> Jerry's like sure gal no bother no pussy no cocaine I got gotcha. you message received I don't know why I made you so northern there but anyway no, that's, um, that's you were pretty spot on pretty, pretty fucking it's a little bit done dark a little small bit but hey um, yeah so so the, the war on drugs is happening this is the bit that um, melted my face when I found it out and I went I tried to find a little bit deeper into what's known as the golden triangle Um so Jerry, continue on, and yes, please indeed. tell us then, uh, um, Barry Seals. This is Barry, 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 Barry. Career. This is when Barry starts burying to yeah, yeah. to a Barry degree. Okay, so what, here's what he's got so far. Okay, here's what Barry's got going for. Ultimate okay? Barry. He, Barry assumes his ultimate form. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's here's what here's what makes Barry Seal Barry Seal. He's got his fly experience. He's got connections in various parts of the world from his days as a military flyboy, uh, and he's got indescribably large cast iron. Big metal balls on him, right? Uh, uh, tungsten bollocks. He's got tungsten bollocks, Adamantium right? balls. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you pass through this shing, and shing. they glow. <laughs> He's just absolutely tailor-made for drug running, okay? He had, you know, citation needed. Yes. The protection of the CIA. And even after various arrests, he seemed to be untouchable. So what are you going to do with this? You're going to run drugs. You're going to run guns. You're going to eventually run people from South America to the US. It was pretty cut and dry plan for Barry for the rest of his life. Like he kind of made for it, it seems like. And the people saw his potential and went, this lad's, this lad don't go to jail for nothing. No. Hey, Barry, what are you doing Friday? Like it was... He's fucking Teflon. Yeah. Yeah. So he had priors in this regard. And it might be the reason why people think he was an asset for many years already. As in 1965, it was not officially stated, however, but Barry would fly explosives and war material into Vietnam while under the employee of TWA. We're going to make a uh, little detour across uh, (laughs) Vietnam. If you look to your right, you can see the uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail. If you uh, take a look out of the left, you will see some guys uh, surfing in a napalm attack. (laughs) (laughs) Where are we going again to Houston? Uh, Just a few more more drops. Our flight attendants will be serving snacks. If you would like to partake, just shout out, get some, get some. (laughs) 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 
So, the geopolitical machinations in Southeast Asia, this podcast is going to be long enough without doing a deep dive into this. Well, it's not deep, it's medium dive. But we're going we're gonna to give you the gist of it. The geopolitical machinations in Southeast Asia were centered around two things. The U.S. fight against communism and the perpetuation of freedom, American style. And, of course, Yee-hoo. the free movement of drugs. In Laos, which is right next to Vietnam, there was a drug lord called Vang Po who was at the center of what was known as the Golden Triangle. Pao was an opium drug lord and was supported by the CIA in fighting his drug rivals in exchange for him and his forces fighting against the North Vietnamese communists in their spare time. The Hmong tribe made their own type of heroin, which by all accounts was the absolute shiznit, and they were making a ball of money from it. So Vang Pao was being aided by the CIA, but wanted control of the air so he could get his gear out and back quickly and quietly and safely in the hilly Laos countryside. They even made up their own airline called Xiangkou Airlines, which was reportedly set up in part by USAF Major General Richard Secure, who was deeply implicated in the Iran-Contra affair and who was tasked by the CIA for operations in Laos during the Vietnam War. He also oversaw Air America, the US-based CIA front airline that Barry Seal would fly for from the Arkansas airstrip. So yeah, they're they're the the tenuous but obviously provable and observable lines of of connection between CIA, US military, Vietnam occupation, the Vietnam War, which by all accounts was a drug war. Like, let's control the the golden triangle. Let's make sure that these motherfuckers don't start funding themselves because the drug game is our game, said the CIA. Mm. Um... And they had great heroin. Apparently. Yeah, yeah, the the best, the Hmong tribe. <laughs> Bang Pao was like, "We got the best stuff. You you want this heroin? Is very good, very good. Nah, best chef kiss. Nah, right? These motherfuckers were the top brass when it came to heroin before Afghanistan got deeply into it. And then of course you look what happened to Afghanistan. That's what happens, man. This is a fucking uh, hostile you, hostile business takeover. It's not a war. Why why this why the same countries keep showing up again and again in the news? It's because where the plants grow that they can turn into the drugs. Yeah. If they just grow the best in those places and that's the way it is. Easy money. So they made this airline that ended up being taken over in a hostile takeover by Richard Sikor and then uh, the CIA had their front and we talked about those front businesses for money laundering that Barry set up all around Arkansas and in Baton Rouge as well before he left and Air America which ended up being Southern Southern American Air got changed into eventually which was Texas Louisiana uh, Arkansas Florida that's where the, the, they were flying in and out and around to like it's a front for the CAA on paper fully provable documented that's the crack it's true mm. Not a fan of the old Air America. I do not like it. I flew with them a couple of times while I was I think it might have been around. American Airlines. Oh, yeah, that's them. <laughs> very very similar. It would have been American and, Airlines. And confusable. Like, because, like, American Air or Air America, that sounds like a totally legitimate, uh, you know, airline. But American Airlines is a different crowd. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't turn into... <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's, it's close enough. But, uh, yeah, so many of these little... Little airline companies being made, and the CAA had their fingers in all the pies, pulling all the strings. I don't know, that makes me metaphors there, but you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, they're in Vietnam not to liberate the v- the v- the North v- or the Vietnamese from the, the, the looming threat of oh, uh, Chinese communism leaking in through North Vietnam, and they were going to subjugate the people and force them into, you know, similar situation, similar. Um, circumstances that the Chinese were in, which is like famine and fucking, you know, uh, uh, um, 
the decentralization of of the agricultural like it was a, a mostly agri uh, based uh, economy and all this uh, rice fields and all that stuff we're going to totally um con- conglomeratize and and uh what would you call it Commun- communize all of your your agricultural business uh we'll take it will stay it'll be state owned and you're not you know people it's like no freedom you gotta spread free people in Vietnam need freedom. And then all the people were like, well, I'd actually need to get paid for my stuff. Like, so I mean if that's gonna no freedom. <laughs> and also, where where's the drugs made again? Like Laos was it was uh, that that golden triangle there that was worth more than any anything that Vietnam was was set to give the American government. And then when it escalated in the late sixties, early seventies, the real money was being made through drugs and through military spending. So Bell Helicopter, like Vietnam was the helicopter war. Yeah. They got to develop so much because of the hilly uh, countryside. They needed helicopters to ship everything in and out. And Bell Helicopter made billions and billions and billions of dollars. And along with a bunch of others like um, Halliburton and um, Lockheed Martin and all of these other aviation companies, they were making a ball of money just making war machines and just pumping them out and pumping them out and pumping them out. It got blown up. Here's another four. Got Here's another four. Like hopping these motherfuckers. You want out. a better one? Give us more money. Yeah. And then when, when the war was over, they were just like, all right, everybody come home. What about all the helicopters? Ah! Leave them there. And everybody just came home. Oh, like Lieutenant Dan mm. came home with no legs. <laughs> yeah. Left you know. his helicopter behind. Not, not for nothing. The uh, the the golden triangle there with Laos and the heroin coming yeah. back into, that's literally the plot of Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah. The oh, bad yeah. guy, the General McAllister, was an ex uh, special forces guy, special forces with, yeah. with the company, running heroin back in. But that's the thing. Heroin was the big heroin and cocaine. Cocaine came from South America, and their heroin came from Southeast Asia, and there was wars in both forever. And they're all illegal. All illegal. <laughs> Like, it's bananas. And the CIA were at the heart, at the beating heart of all of this kind of stuff. So Barry was Barry's at it. fucking nuts deep in the middle of all this. He's flying guns into Vietnam, and then on his way home, he's stopping off in Laos and picking up bales of heroin from Vang Pao and the Hmong lads in the hills and flying that shit back to America. I mean, he's, he was made for this crack. This is And, and this is what, all when he was working for TWA, all when he was in his six-year contract with the Louisiana... Uh, the National Guard Armed Forces trained as a Green Beret, uh, trained as a parachutist, and flying these planes when he was supposed to be answering phones in some office someplace. Yeah, off yeah. the record, this this all sounds very, you know, special ops like black ops kind yeah. of stuff. You tell me after all that he goes and hangs at like the VWA like pilot lounge. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> covered in heroin and. Could I get a latte or is it just this drip coffee? What's yeah. going on? You know. So, um, you know, the heroin air flights would use C-130 and DC-4 aircraft, and these were like big planes. They could they could hold a lot. Uh, so he's not running around in a Cessna. No. As much as, these, are, these are commercial airliners. Big-ass fucking planes. But he was the, f- the youngest one to fly a 707. Yeah. He was flying 73, 747s, all for TWA. So he was used to handling a big a big beast. Big bird. I mean, we see this in the movie American Made. Uh, we show Barry uh, graduating to this type of plane for his work. It shows him as a country bumpkin falling up into success in the drug business. But his deep and involved history with the CIA and drug running under covert military protection while in active military duty in black operations, shoveling highly illegal drugs into Europe and the US so the CIA could make money and keep friends during wartime, this is never shown or even talked about publicly in any of the podcasts or YouTube videos that we watched in the production of this. It never is mentioned. 
and it's all speculation, it's all unprovable, blah, blah, blah. There is evidence of it. What kind of evidence? Well, this is the thing. Anecdotal evidence, people who were connected to Barry Seal. Talking There's photographs it. of guys who were talking towards the end about uh, um, Operation 40, which is a bunch of dudes in the early 60s that were all together who all went on to be like heads of the CAA and fucking involved in like anti-Castro Cuban um, uh, machinations all through the 70s in Florida and Mexico and all this stuff. Like, Barry, look at What? All right. What would be the chances, boys, if you were, as a young child, let's say, um, let's take like a Bronx Tale or or something like that, right? Or a, a, what's that other one where Robert De Niro is real young? Uh, America, American, uh, American Fairy Tale or something like that. What's it called? Where Robert De Niro is really young and he has a, he has a little. The Deer Hunter? Not Deer Hunter, no. Where it's Raging like, Bull. It's like that a story music. of a gangsters in America. I've done the thing that you're not supposed to do, fuck's sake. So like something like a Bronx tale where it's like the our, our um good fellas would be a more palatable uh, example. Where you take the story of somebody who grew up in the area around a certain societal norm that's outside of acceptable society. Yeah. Like uh, being a gangster or being a killer or being a, a smuggler or a dealer or selling stolen goods or bloody blah 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 blah. blah. So Henry Hill, for example, who got uh, mixed up with um, Joe Pesci's character and were like selling cigarettes and they got caught by the cops and you keep your fucking mouth shut. And then when you get out, it's like, oh, he broke his cherry. He didn't say a word. You're a good kid. We're going to keep you. Oh, Polly didn't move fast. That's because Polly didn't have to move fast for anybody. Like there was this society of people that he was involved with from a very young age that were all had all of this stuff totally acceptable. They were just fucking gangsters. That's what they were. You know, you show up in a shiny suit and your man's like, Oh my god, you look like a fucking mobster. Like it's like mm. it's like, yeah, but this is what I'm this is what I was born to be. I was always gonna be this to get heavily involved. Everybody who's in your cohort, yeah. like all the people you grow up with, all your fucking peers, and they all grow up to be like we were all, you know, grew up among comedians, like you we were all comedians like what, 10, 15 years, and you see how some lads have gone up and some people went into TV, some people went into radio, some people went into podcasting, some people got better at stand-up and went into stand-up, like organizing or performing. Like you can see how, but we're all still kind of intrinsically linked over the last 15 yeah. years within the comedy community. And you can see how people's natural talents went off. Some people are better at administration and organization, some people are better at performance. Some people, and you see how it grows. Like this is what happened to Barry. Barry's cohorts, Barry's peers were all mad fucking CIA spooks. We're it, st- all... it started with war and drugs and the war on drugs. That's yes. where he started. Probably since a teenager, he, yeah. he had his, like, like already in the military. Involved in the military. From the get-go. Deep. And all the people that he hung around with all ended up being, like, top brass in CA. So how, how could you not infer from that? When he was still in the army, supposed to be flying for TWA, and then there's rumours and... And, and a testimony from people that he was involved with at the time saying, oh, yeah, sure, Barry used to fly in and out of Vietnam and all. Like, how could you disregard that testimony then yeah. when all the people that were involved were I like... Not even look into oh, it. Yeah, and not even look into it. In yeah. congressional hearings, like, all these people are like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah, no, we used to fly into Vietnam with weapons and fly home with heroin, yeah, yeah. And do you know why? And is it, and is it true that you used to co-consort with a, a, a one Mr. Alder Berryman Seal? Uh, yeah, yeah, Barry and I were really good friends. Yeah, we're, we're flying out of Vietnam together. Like, yeah. how could you disregard that then and say, oh, no, Barry wasn't involved in the CAA? When you watch a movie like American Made and it shows that he's a bumpkin, that like, 
Uh, this is a big old plane. I could fit way more cocaine in this. Okay. Dun, 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 and they play the lovely music and he's flying in over all the bombs and full of Sandinistas in the back and the lads are like, I have to go to the banyo. I have to go. To... He's like, ain't no banyo. Ain't no banyo. Like, oh, wow, mm. I need to piss. And yeah. it's like, no, no, no. That was a C-130 that had like 200 fucker motherfuckers in it. And we were all organized by the CAA. And Barry was like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm flying the planes. Yeah, and then they get they get back to <laughs> they get back to America, and they're at the carousel waiting on their baggage to yeah, come. And yeah. it's like there's just guns and drugs. <laughs> yeah. I don't see my, I don't really, I've got my suitcase. my suitcase. It's got like a little yellow tag on the side of it that I did. It didn't. My favorite underwear. So that yeah. I knew it wouldn't get lost. It's just like I just keep seeing the same bale of heroin going round and round. <laughs> my Uzi has the pink strap. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like I can't believe that people don't fully accept or still speculate that he was deeply involved in CIA like that. When it's, like, playing his nose in your face that the cocaine goes into, that he definitely was. Like, all his cohorts, everybody's involved. They want you to Coco forget about Coke that because otherwise he would have just been a VWA pilot who was a Vietnam hero. Or, like, everyone yeah. who served in Nam and, like, survived and still in America, like, that's brought up as one of their, like, say, Tinder profile yes. things. You know, yeah. They were uh, uh, an American hero or... They serve Vietnam or something like that. Thank you for that, your you know? service. Thank you for service. But, uh, the, but, countrymen. but the uh, statistics no. are when people were coming back out of Vietnam, a lot of them were addicted to heroin. A lot of them were addicted to... Because like, it was the strong, best stuff. Strong narcotics. Good stuff. And they came home. I think uh, we talked about it in one of the one of the episodes on drugs. We talked about um, the propensity for overcoming addiction was like 30 times higher when you were coming back to your loving family environment. But people that came home to no wife and no kids ended up staying addicted to heroin when they came back to America and ended up dying of overdoses at a, at a 30 times higher rate. So if you were coming back, like love, acceptance, community and family, you were like, oh, I don't need the heroin anymore. But you came back fully addicted to heroin from being, you know, in war. And it was like, I'm in the shit, man. What can I do to you know, switch off? And it's just like doing loads of fucking smoking loads of heroin. But when you get home, you don't need it. But the lads that came home to nothing... Went looking for more and killed themselves with it. Yeah, well, don't don't forget, like you know, they wouldn't have had a wife or child because the average age of the U.S. soldier in Vietnam was nineteen. That's the thing. Uh, <laughs> but the men that did come home to a family had that love that they didn't need to take the drugs. They were kids. They were coming home at twenty-one years old. But that's the thing. I'm just saying, it's so it's so mad that none of that is really accepted, and it's all like, thank you for your service. It's like, thank you for your service, meaning like, thank you for going over there and putting yourself through that thing. And then also for no reason really putting your emo- yeah, and then and then you can't really say like oh the Vietnam War is bullshit. It's like it wasn't bullshit. It was almost rude to say that because people lost lives and limbs. Yeah, over Even that though shit. the Vietnam wasn't attacking America from what I can like, they're not just launching weapons over to to blow up American soil. You know, yeah. it was a different kind of war, and it lasted it was a moralistic like 30, war thirty years. Wasn't and it? now if you say now if you say it was about drugs, you're a fucking cunt. We don't even have to talk about Vietnam. We're talking about that shit. We're talking about Afghanistan right now, where fathers went in 2003, and then in 2020, their sons went to war in Afghanistan. And every motherfucker knows that it was about the heroin. It wasn't about Taliban. It wasn't about this. It wasn't about that. It was about heroin. And when it became unprofitable to maintain, they pulled the fuck out, and the Taliban took over, as they were always going to do, within a week. So there's lads over there fighting for years and years, lost lives, lost limbs, and then America just went, ah, I'm fed up with this. Why don't we go home? And then all their good work was undone in a week. In a week! Yeah. 
That's Can't fucking, Bastion that's gone. Fucking cr- so unreal and and like madly disrespectful. Like I feel, but like it yeah. was like they were always just holding Halliban back, like just at the edge of good sense and decency and then a week later and left 85 billion dollars worth of military equipment behind yeah they got all well. the tanks and like like they did in now and leaving all the choppers they're like ah, let, ah, let them have all that stuff because it wasn't about the war it wasn't about the ideology it wasn't about keeping the Taliban <sighs> back it wasn't about fighting communism it wasn't it was about the drugs and when the drugs became unprofitable to maintain just like an oil field that becomes too expensive to extract the oil from they just fucking leave always it always about dry. the moolah like it's money's the main thing that's I would wonder what the Barry Seals of the world are doing flying uh, heroin in and out in Afghanistan. I would wonder is the CIA still as deeply involved and that's why they want to maintain this narrative that they weren't involved in uh, drug running from Vietnam. They weren't involved in the Colombian drug yeah, cartels. Yeah, because how do you, how do you say it's that still you going on yeah. in Afghanistan now. How do you turn around and go, yeah, we were a big involved in that but it was an 80s thing. We kind of phased that out in the 90s. Why, why would you maintain? There's a lot of stuff that's come out that's like, oh yeah, we totally used to fucking use LSD to try and mind control kids. Yeah, it's on it's on the record. Yeah, of course. Can't say that now, but you can say, it. oh, well, that was decades ago. That was in the 60s. Come on, man. So 60s. you won't find out what really yeah. happened now until maybe another 20 years time. That's what I mean. They're fucking still flying. CAA are still using pilots to fly heroin in and out of Afghanistan. And if you don't believe me, look at the fucking shit that was going on for 30 years already. Like, it melts my face when you think about it. Sorry, Jerry. So we were talking about yeah. um, <laughs> we're talking about these massive. Uh, we're talking about heroin. We're welcome to the show. We go off on these times. We go off the on these. Yeah, we're yeah. like you know we're we're talking about the CIA, but a, you know a contender appears. Yes, a wild agency appears. Player two has entered the game, <laughs> <laughs> and that is indeed the DEA, which was an anti-CIA drug profit scheme for all intents and purposes. <laughs> yeah. Made by Richard Nixon, he ordered the development of the department to be created in July 1973, perhaps to wrestle the control of the global drug trade out of the hands of the CIA, who had seemingly infinite resources and the bankroll to maintain power outside the role and reach of any government. And this is the thing that fucking Kennedy was killed for. He wants to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces. And then weeks later, he's fucking skull to smash into a thousand pieces with a bullet. They knew the CIA was, had too much power. They're now like the deep state or the concept of the deep state. It's it's fully accepted as a reality. And um, the CIA and their cohorts and subsidiary companies and all the fucking, you know, political subterfuge and machinations going on. Like it is 100% real, 100% provable uh, in certain circumstances. And like everybody knows about it. And it's kind of like, let's put it this way. In uh, March of this year, uh, the CIA... Uh, announced that UFOs are totally real and all, yeah. the, all the denying of them for the last 50 years has just been like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Do you know what was and weird? everyone they, went, eh. yeah. When they said that, it was almost like, uh, oh, by the way, you're adopted. Good night. You're like, you can't just <laughs> yeah. stop yeah. there. More information, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the, only reason, the only reason they were obliged to say that is because Trump put in this, like, ticking tick and clock countdown of, like, oh, yeah, well, we'll give you the, the stimulus package at one point six trillion dollars or whatever but as a little clause in that that uh, in six months time you have a six month countdown to reveal everything you know about like the ufo phenomenon and then we'll give the government the money that was like a little add-on that he put onto that stimulus uh, bill print that he signed in december Click 2020 and, <laughs> and stuff started leaking in march and then in july they made the full announcement of like yeah we've loads of stuff about ufos yeah but in in the strictest sense of 
unidentified flying object. Like this could be a Russian test plane. Just, and they said not, but it was spotted not, a light in the sky. Didn't say alien once even. But didn't it was say just, yeah. Didn't say extraterrestrial. Not one time. It's just like eh, you know, could have been a missile. Something, eh, something. Unidentified flying object. Who knows? Keep it's it frisky. still a Who U. Knows? It's still a U in the UFO. They're still yeah. under. They don't. And then the, the the one line that was like, we don't know their intentions. It's like you better be good for goodness' yeah. sake. Yeah. Whoa, somebody's <laughs> coming. It was it was like they were going. Uh, you know, when the world was like at each other's throat, it was like wait till your father gets home. We don't know their intentions. He could be drunk and angry. They could be friendly. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't. When know. When your father gets home, his fingers start glowing, and he'd be like, he'd be Whoa. like, bend yeah. over instead of getting the spack, smack, smack, you yeah, get yeah. the probe yeah. up the anus. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, daddy's home. We already his got big that shit head, his big eyes, and his long finger. It's just so <laughs> it's just so bananas that people still doubt it. Like I, I find it I find it bizarre that like legitimate uh, online sources of information about Barry Seal can say it's totally unproven that he's part of CA, but rumors abound. And you're like, I mean, how much proof do you need? All the motherfuckers he hung around with all were fucking CIA deep. Like he was involved in a lot of stuff, and then went on to be untouchable criminally, like mm. for for years. Gets away with anything. Gets away with everything. And was then, like, directly involved in, like, the, the Sandinistas. We talked about Nick Ragman. It's not like he smuggled explosives. Yeah, he did. Guns. Yeah, he did. Drugs. Yeah, he did. Cash. Yeah, he did. The people. Yeah, he did. The like, Medellin Anything cartel. you could smuggle, that's illegal. He did. Everything. And he's fine. And he's grand. He's okay, can't help it. He's an adventurer. What can he do? He's an adventurer. It's just like I'm, I'm, I'm out here adventuring, you know? He's the littlest hobo. Just keep moving on. Moving the drugs. I I didn't know that the DEA, that's the the, Depart- the Drug Enforcement Agency. Yes. I didn't know that they were as recent as 1973. In my yeah. mind, that there, there had always been something like that. No. That, so that was just literally CIA are getting a little bit too big for the boots to have all the marbles, you know, yeah. so we need to get a new agency. And excuse me, CIA, we'll, we'll take it from here. And then the ATF were created after that because the DEA got too much. So the ATF needed to, to have a little bit of slice and they tried to use, as we learned in our Waco episode, they tried to use Waco as a, a demonstration of their legitimacy and power and it kind of fucked up pretty badly. But yeah. Big time. They, um, they ended up trying to get a slice of it too. So it's all these inter, inter-letter agencies because, look at one cunt can't get to the top in a certain, uh, certain organisation because it's a closed shop. So they just want to fucking they get the government or the governmental powers to create a new agency and then they get to the top of that. So there's a whole load of chiefs and not enough Indians, and they just make a whole load of fucking organizations that end up clashing and fighting with each other, uh, and nothing really gets done. Then, as we can see from Barry Seal's story, where he just gets to skate uh, among the gaps of bureaucracy among these fucking yep. agencies that are trying to like he's dodging the airport radars, yeah, he's yeah, dodging all the all these all these legal radars. And okay. not not for nothing behind it all, we've got um we've got the IMF. The impossible mission uh, force. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it also later went on to be portrayed in a movie by Tom Cruise. So it's all cyclical. It all I, comes I mean, back around. I'm, I'm sure that there are other more secretive, uh, you know, military organization or military uh, conglomerates. Yeah. And like I can guarantee you Barry m- Seal is fucking stuck in the middle of it as well. Well, yeah. look at the fucking cunt that was involved in the, all the Boston bombing stuff. Uh, he, he, he was played by, um, he was played in American Sniper by Bradley Cooper. Uh, oh, Chris. Chris Kyle. Yeah. And he had his own mercenary group. That en- He had his own mercenary group that ended up being uh, 
involved in the capture of the of the Sarnayev brothers after the Boston bombings and stuff like that. But they had pictures of these lads with the Punisher logo, which was the company logo, yeah. with backpacks and all. It's like these lads planted a bomb and blamed it on these Sarnayev brothers and this whole fake thing. And, all. and these were mercenaries that were in Iraq, that were in fucking Afghanistan, that were in all these places, uh, uh, Syria and Yemen and all these things, like doing mad A team shit, like doing yeah. mad like adventuring. Adventure. That's what the A Sherry. probably stands for. Exactly. I love when a great plan comes together. Where'd you get that cigar from Hannibal? <laughs> Nowhere. Thank you, Mr. Seal. That's the thing. It's it's so bananas that people would still doubt it. Tell them all about it, those conspiracy guys. So yeah, the meat and potatoes of this then. We're getting into where the actual cocaine comes from that Barry's flying in and out of the town. Uh, you're talking about narcos. You're talking about Palo. Palo Escobar, uh, and his, uh, I, I, I have to say, mag- magnificently um, ambitious and successful business enterprise. Like, I know mm. it's cocaine, they kill people, and da, da 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 But by the same token, like, he did it the best that anyone has ever done it, ever. Like, the yeah. stories of him and his child being cold one night, and he burnt, like, $2 million in cash just to make a fire. I'm like... You have to be really, really successful. Like, all the people that are chasing money all around the world and all the shit that they're doing. Like he was really, really good at what he'd done. Great businessman. Great businessman. And it was probably the best product of cocaine in the in the world. Like, the best, well, the most well-known, the well-produced and well-distributed. Like, from the top to the bottom. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ochoa the guy. The Ochoa. Of, 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 <laughs> he, he was. He was the Steve Jobs. <laughs> oh, he's like, so did you want cocaine or No. We have the old cocaine is very bad. The new cocaine, it's cocaine twelve S. <laughs> yeah. Very very good, and it's got the leaf with the bite out more. of it. On the- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it, man. He's the best at what he did, and I don't think I know they're awful people, the people who do bad stuff, like Nazis and drug dealers and all these things. But like, I don't think enough people respect the the virility of the human spirit. Even in bad people who do good stuff, like just because they're bad people and they do bad things, it doesn't mean that all the things they do are bad. Some of the things are actually like quite okay. But also, I hear hear Ted Bundy recycled way before it was popular. (laughs) He Mm. was, he was into it. (laughs) Oh, Bundy. Yeah, yeah. Separating his uh, papers and plastics. Rinsing out his milk jugs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Keeping everything tip top and tidy. Yeah. That's the thing that people gave out about Ted, Ted Bundy before the murders was just like yeah, how we would always, oh, the ru- rubbish day, he was always throw, separating the things. just throw that in the bin. Someone else will do it. No, no. I was at the, I was rustling around the green bin on rubbish day at the line. Everybody. Oh, Bundy's yeah. at it again. Separating my rubbish. But it's a, it's, a, it's a thing that not a lot of people really give him credit for. Like he's like really good at what he done. And if he was born in anywhere else, I wonder if he was born in, I don't know, Omaha, Nebraska, or something like that, and he eventually ended up being an accountant. And I said, "You know what? I'm going to New York. I'm going to try and make it on Wall Street." Would have been the most successful, like with that aggressive tendency and the tenaciousness and the or the tenacity and the the you know the grit and the intelligence. Would he have been a like a top level trader? I have no doubt. Mm. But he just ended up being like a farmer who was able to make people make cocaine in the woods. And then, like, pack it into lovely little bales and have his mates, like, get it onto a plane and sell it. Like, it's really, really good business, man. 
It's great. Like take the le- take the legality out of it all. Yeah, like, out of everything. The morality, the legality, the dead bodies, all the stuff. Yeah, and if just like people being the best that they can be. Yeah, be the best. You know, Barry Steele was the best pilot, best and like pilot. not only could did he weave in and out, and he could go low and slow and through waves and all that. Like if if it wasn't illegal, you know, like what? Where else would he need to do all that? Like I, he was pushed to the limit and succeeded, like as many of these people did. Demo, I think that's the thesis of this episode is that. Even though he was doing an illegal thing, up until the point where he became useless to the CIA, he was one of the most valuable DEA informants and CIA assets that the US ever had, I I, I would contend. Until he became like, a, you know, a liability or whatever. Like, that's how good he was. He was the best of the best. And people hate was... lawbreakers, right? But then mm. what? You would just want this guy to be a regular pilot every day, hating yeah. his life, being bored at home, resenting his kids. Of, loads of planes landing in places that people go on holidays every day. Big fucking whoop. Or do we want people to be the Big best whoop. that they can be? Yeah, but he could be the best that he could be flaying medical surprise, supplies into war-torn countries. He medical surprise. Medi- yeah. Surprise! Like, hey, you're dying. Syringes. I got a medical surprise. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he could be flaying famine into Ethiopia. Yeah, That's under true. heavy gunfire. He no money in that. There's just no money in it. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Remember, these people are fucking horrible people. I mean, like, I, I give a certain amount of due to the people that break into houses and they don't even have to break into your house to rob your car. They can clone your car key. Through the window. Through the window and then take your uh, BMW X5 and drive off in it without a car through their hacker technology, Bluetooth, what have you. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? If you could only apply that logic to doing something that wasn't stealing my fucking car, yeah. I'd have a lot of yeah. respect for you. Like taking a bunch and of yet money here off. Here we are. Yeah. Taking a bunch of money off of drug dealers and putting it into like St. Vincent de Paul or something like that. Yes. The like Robin, Robin Hood. Robin job. Hood. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's still illegal, but like yeah. morally correct. We're getting into an argument about morals. Yeah. What I wanted to do was just praise <laughs> Pablo Escobar's business acumen. I yeah. mean, like, you Forget know, nobody ever, no, nobody ever claimed he was a stupid man. <laughs> I watched a couple of things and I didn't hear that said once. No. <laughs> He's an awful cunt by all accounts, but still, uh, who's the CEO that's not? So, uh, Demo, let us uh, let us discuss the Medellin cartel and the the origins of the the powder that Barry Seal transported so well. Yes, that you've titled Gold Medellin Winner. Gold Medellin Winner. winner. These guys were uh, top of the pops. Yeah, so after Barry's arrest in 1972, he was out of the TWA. They were like, see you later. And his nice cover job was blown. But he, he continued to fly for the CIA all through the 70s and was known in drug circles as Ellis McKenzie. Oh, Ellis. What a good name. I don't know if he got that out of a... Where would he have got Ellis McKenzie from? It, it's not the most badass name you ever no, heard in your life. Ellis! Not, you know, you know what? I, I didn't want to write it in because it's a, a kind of a long story. And I will go over it when we do uh, the Pablo Escobar episode, which is uh, forthcoming. Uh, maybe not in the near future, but forthcoming, definitely. Ellis McKenzie was actually a real person that was um, like an amalgam of a bunch of different people that were dealing with the Medellin cartel, the Ochoa conglomerate over the phone. And there was a real person called Ellis McKenzie who started the relationship. And then one day the lads rang and they were like, I love you for Ellis McKenzie. And they were like, Okay. Hello? This Ellis, is, is that Ellis. you? <laughs> yeah. And it became this whole thing. So a bunch of people ended up being Alice McKenzie. And then when he had to show his face, he already had a trusted relationship. So fucking El Gordo showed up then on the in the plane. And they were like, who are you? Uh, I'm Ellis McKenzie. Why did you sound like uh, you're from Louisiana? 
Uh, did I not sound like this before? No, but uh, only white people sound the same to me. Yeah, it was just that's became he became Ellis. Ellis McKenzie. Ellis flying as an alias for Barry Seal, doing drug deals. Out of the plane, he dropped all the coke into swamps in Louisiana. He could get by all the coke people. That's gonna get your strike down now. I know. Okay. <laughs> like Beatles songs? No, strike it out. I think it'll go under fair use for parody. Let's see. There you go. Come at me, Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah. You're not even the real Paul McCartney. So demo. Okay. The guys. And then so Ellis McKenzie, aka uh, El Gordo, uh, Eagles. Barry. Barry worked closely with the Ochoa family, who were the head of the infamous Medellin cartel, who had Pablo Escobar on the board of directors. And made billions in shipping co- t- cocaine co- and cocaine, cocaine to the U.S. and elsewhere in the late seventies through to the eighties. The Ochoa organization comprised of Fabio, the dad, and Juan, Jorge, and Fabio Jr. and Carlos Rivas, and of course Pablo. The Ochoa family were loosely producing cocaine and selling it in nineteen seventy-nine, but officially formed a cartel in eighty-one after an incident where Ochoa's daughter Marta was kidnapped by M19, a guerrilla group. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, a guerrilla group. Uh, oper- hey, operating bananas. In Col- <laughs> hey, bananas over there. Operating in Colombia, who wanted to ransom her for the money to fund their military takeover of Colombia. Obviously, they were killed to bits. And Marta was, was brought right back. So after Fabio made a conglomerate to keep these guerrilla groups in check and created his own defect cocaine military under the control of the cartel. This threw up so many red flags for the DEA and FBI that hired dozens of new personnel to set them up in South Florida to try and stem nearly $8 billion annual drug traffic coming through into the US. South Florida was the spot for all the all the coke, all the coke drops. That was the- coming in on boats. They were, you know, traveling across the Gulf of Mexico, uh, you know, dodging all the fucking... These speedboats and there's a whole the, the cocaine the, cowboys. I yeah. just finished watching all that. A fucking class, man. In the Medellin, uh, uh, the, the 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 Pablo Escobar episode, we talk about like the technology, the boat technology that advanced in the eighties so fast. Like it just was like a, a thunder <laughs> thunder in paradise levels yeah. of speed. Joe <laughs> 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 uh, uh, Hulk Hogan on some fucking like a boat that's not even touching the water. She's like like fucking jet speed. To try and catch these cunts with the cocaine, dropping them off in the water, and that's why all the shrimp are f- littered with coke. And uh, the, the the authorities didn't know what to do, man. Eight billion dollars a year in coke was coming in, and now that's not that's like eight billion uh, uh, gross, right? So imagine then when you get all that eight billion, and then you chop it up, you step on it, and then sell cut it. it up, sell it in like little increments. Like it's obviously tens or hundreds oh. of billions of dollars. All year. In, per year, all feeding into yeah. the American system. And then you're getting into like the same, the freeway Ricky Ross stuff we talked about earlier on and the, the, the crack cocaine epidemic, the gang warfare, and like the ruination of a lot of rural areas for for coke, for crack cocaine use. And then like the absolute war-torn fucking ramifications of um, urban areas like New York and LA getting destroyed in the 80s with crack. All coming from these motherfuckers. So the DEA, FBI, the US Customs, fuck every cunt that had a, a place to be, they doubled up, man. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of agents all sent to Florida. Um, Narcos is like a like a good dramatization, but like it's the scale of it was absolutely enormous. Enormous. 
I love the way that we, you know they were they were yeah you know what they were getting by producing cocaine in 1979, but officially formed a cartel in 1981. Like the sat down and go like, all right lads, what are we doing here? But this <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a. By the way, are we in this for real or what? There's a. Are a, we are we goofing around? Are we weekend yeah. drug producers yeah. here? Come yeah. on. They're doing an amateur, and then it's like, right, we need to go pro. Come on, we, lads. Yeah, let's yeah. make it official. Let's get a plaque. Like, they had a food <laughs> truck, and then they're like, we need a brick and mortar building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pablo got on one knee with Fabio Ocho. It's like, yeah. would you make me the happiest man in all of Colombia? Yeah, yeah. A thousand the- times, yes. <laughs> but the, they had, um, like, the, the the history of Colombia and stuff, like, it's so checkered. We're talking about this, it, like, it's so checkered, and there's so many, like, little kind of, you know, military commandantes and little... You have military factions are trying to like coup uh, the, the the leaders of the country the whole time, and these lads were dealing the drugs, and some of them were okay with the drugs, and some of them weren't okay with the drugs, and they needed to get lads that were in charge that were okay with drugs, obviously, and it's just such uh, like M nineteen were a huge influence in in Colombian. Who's M nineteen? They're like they're they're bad dudes, mi- right? Yeah, they're, they're well, they're bad thi- on the scale of things. They're bad dudes. <laughs> yeah. They're bad dudes if you're a, a you know a cocaine producing drug lord. Uh, they were one of the Premier, um, I guess, communist-leaning uh, guerrilla military political groups in Colombia. They started in the early sixties and they went all the way through to the late seventies and early eighties. And then, and they're, they're, the, the Medellin cartel cartel made their own their own national-sized military of cocaine bad boy soldiers. So M- and basically M- just stamped them out. Like. M nineteen are basically white stripes. M nineteen are like Batman here. They're coming in busting up drug dealers, right? No, M19 are like, um, they're like a, you know the way in uh, African countries. Did you ever watch that documentary where Shane Smith goes to uh, um, Liberia? No. Right? So Shane Smith goes to Liberia and there's all these warlords. There's one lad called uh, General Butt Naked. There's another one called like uh, General Napoleon Dynamite. And another one called like General Rocky Balboa. right? (laughs) Right. And there's all these lads. It's like, I am the leader of Liberia. And Liberia was a country that was made specifically for uh, American black people who wanted to return to Africa. Okay. And they created this principality where people could like go back and have like Liberia, like liberation. Right. After the slave trade was was stopped and then civil rights and the, the, the freedoms that were afforded to freed slaves, they could go back to Africa. And it just ends up as this crazy like drug riddled, AIDS riddled shit show that was changing hands and going back and over to these military coups, right? So these guys, it's one guy who goes, I'm going to take over the country. And he gets as many people to hold guns as possible. And if anyone goes against them, they get shot until people stop trying. And then it rests for a little while. And then a bunch of other people will try that. So it's like uh, fa- military factions. But M19 was the most well-organized. It was the most well-supported. And um, if you're not my lads, like... Um, like the IRA. <laughs> kind of like the IRA, but better organized and more formal. Like the IRA's mm-hmm. uniform is like jumper and jeans, whereas these lads were wearing like fatigues, fatigues, and pretending like toy soldier kind of stuff, but with real guns and real bullets. So it's a, it's a well organized and and highly adopted military. Not funded by the government. Are they funded by M nineteen? Funded by their government? Well, this is the thing they want to become the government. They're the polit- they're the military political wing. Where their leader, the, the military leader, ends up being then the political leader of the country. Right. But they have to kill the opposi- political opposition rather than defeat them in elections. Right. So South America is pretty rife for that kind of thing for a long time. And it's it's a moot point because once they crossed the Medellin cartel, they just got shot to shit. 
Yeah, they didn't have enough money to get enough guns to be able to maintain power politically. So they tried to squeeze the money out of the Medellin lads. And the Medellin lads are like, well, we're making enough money to be able to make our own army. Why don't we just do that and then we just run the country? And here we are. And here we are. And then a bunch of people then, because they were so brutal and because they were so sketch, a bunch of people were like, well, we don't like these lads, so let's um, oust them. Okay, well, we're going to need a proper army. It's like, okay, I'll volunteer for the army. And loads of lads volunteered and they all started you know, attacking the various um, cocaine pr- production centers around Colombia. And it was like a, a war between like the official government of Colombia and then the de facto underground guys who kind of, quote unquote, really ran Colombia. And there was like a war going on all the way into the early 90s until they were just like, we'll just have to kill the fucking, kill all of them, kill everybody. Whew. I mean, it's a solution, isn't it? It's not an uncommon story in South America, to be honest. Like Venezuela had it with, um, um, uh, what's your man's name, Chavez, and uh, Panama, the Noriega, Chile uh, had um, um, Pinochet. Like all of these lads, they were all just military, like leaders of a military where a bunch of soldiers were like, we'll kill anyone that doesn't like you. And then you get to be in charge. And if anyone fucks around, we'll just kill them. And they get like rumblings of people like being politically dissident and they're like, there's six lads over there and they think they're going to be able to assassinate you and take over. Um, will we kill them? Yeah, kill them. All right. You want to check first? Nah. Just get killed. So it's like kind of what they're doing in America, but a little bit more overt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> be less, honest. Let's be honest. Less suicides, more murder. Exactly. Yeah. Outright. Yeah. You know? And yeah, uh, M- M19 currently dead. Well, may the road rise to meet them there. Yeah, M19 were the... Pretty ambitious, but they went up against the wrong lads. It promoted the the cartel to organize properly because at that, at that time, like the they could Ochoas, have done what they wanted. The Ochoas are out in the fucking jungle, man. Like putting, do you know what it takes to make cocaine? Like mashing all the coca plants and putting in diesel and putting in fucking like mercury and fucking you know silicone and all that shit. Like and they're mixing up coconut for ages and they leave it out in uh, uh, metal plates to dry in the sun. And they chop it up into powder and it goes into bales and it's all like what like. Mad fucking burn your face off shit. They were out in the jungle doing that, like super amateur. Had like grannies who were just like, it's better than cooking in bananas. Like cooking fucking cocaine <laughs> yeah. with like masks on, like old grannies and grandas. Yeah. And they were getting raided the whole time by different military factions and it was a real fucking shit show to make it. And then to get it out of the country then, it was like the Ochoa boys, it was their responsibility. But like, um, such a volatile industry and such a cottage industry, but it was making so much money that they're like, going to have to properly organize Stick out of here, shit. lads. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have to properly organize it. And, that, and the M19 motivated them to go, well, look it, we're going to need a, we're going to have to open up a HR department. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> arm them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, because when there's too much money in that, like it, if it would have been someone else, if it would, not the M19, someone else. Someone's some shaking you down, They're something. always shaking you down. If you have money, there's always a cunt looking to come and say, I know something about you and I know something about you, or if you don't do this, I'll do this. And yeah. you always have to, and if you pay a cunt off once, you have to pay him off forever because he'll always come back looking. Yeah. So you just shoot the cunt. See, he's lying. That's that if you're in South America. In, in America, you just make them make it look like a suicide or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Operation Condor is probably the biggest black eye and national shame that the CIA holds, and it is largely unheard of for the most part. Some individual incidents have been depicted in TV or film, but as a whole, the operation took the lives of hundreds and legitimised torture in developing nations trained and encouraged by the CIA. 
It was a Cold War set of operations that, according to General Robert W. Porter, were in order to facilitate the... Co- I don't know this guy's accent, but I'm just... <laughs> in order to facilitate the coordinated employment of initial secretary forces with, within and among Latin America countries, we are endeavoring to foster inter-service and regional cooperation by assisting in, organ- in the organization of integrated command and control centers, the establishment of common operating procedures and the conduct of joint and combined training exercises. And what does that say to you? What does that mean, General Robert W. Porter? What, what, what would you, how, how would you, like, if you heard General, uh, General Porter saying that about training uh, South American drug personnel? Well, number one, I'd say he was trying to hit a ward count. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He got say, a, say he got a thesaurus many, for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Say as many big words so it doesn't sound like you're just torturing people or training people to torture people. This is like, we want our people, we want your people to be our people. We want your people to follow the rules that we set out, the way they do it. We we perfected this shit. Yeah. Coordinated employment of internal security forces. Foster inter-service regional cooperation and the establishment of common operating procedures. Yeah, that's mm. it. We do it all the same way. Yeah. You kind of you kind of leaned into Michael Jackson's profile voice there a little. Oh, was it? Yeah. Common operating <laughs> procedures. <laughs> it's it's the very same as when you're looking at it. Did you see those pictures of the Taliban uh, boys <clears throat> when they went into the the houses of parliament or whatever they're called, the government house mm. or whatever? And you see, like, there's loads of lads and they're holding these big fucking like rail guns and shit like that, holding them like. Yeah. Well, well, they're taking over the place now. <laughs> yeah, the Taliban. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Hold on to this shit. And then you see like, like the guitarist or basses of like level 42. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever see that guy? Point, Keep yeah. it in the family. He's like right up under his chin. It's so speed. Right? All up here. So they're holding it and pointing it down towards the ground. It's like, that's terrible. And I know a little bit, like a small bit about guns. Like that is terrible. Terrible habit to hold your gun like that. Yeah. And also they're holding with the finger on the shit. And then you see two cunts at the back that could pass for like uh, a, a micro brewery owner. <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. Just the beard and just like the face. Not particularly Afghani. And he's standing at the back and you see him and they're holding the thing in such a way and he has the finger up straight yeah. up against the thing. And it's just like, ooh, that's a really someone, a CIA looking trigger. Someone taught you how to hold that gun. Yeah, that's a very, uh, the trigger discipline is very not, American yeah. style. Not you this know? other guy dragging the muzzle of a beret in the dirt. Yeah, yeah, pulling yeah. behind him going, these won't go very past. Like, yeah. like <laughs> these lads look like they're fucking military trained. So it's like this common operating procedures that they we're teaching all of these guys how to shoot. They're fucking training terrorists to be more effective at being terrorists so that their operation could run smoother without any interference from, like, these little military coup groups. But Like, that's fucking shitty as shit from the CIA. But it's shitty and totally shit, but real. He, but he came out and said it. Totally real. It sounds like General Robert R. W. Porter came out and said, oh, listen, here's what we're going to do over the next couple of years. This yeah. doesn't, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but this doesn't seem to be after the fact. This seems to be, like... All right, lads, here Going we go, Operation it. Condor. All join it, Operation mm. Condor. And they didn't just do it in Colombia, they did it in loads of places. They did it in Vietnam. Yeah, they Condor did it was happening in Vietnam. They did it, it was t- 30 years in the making, this Condor thing. So like everybody, all the North African countries that were doing the rebellions, the fucking uh, uh, Iran in the 70s when, they were, when the Ayatollah was giving it all socks. Uh, the fucking, all the countries in South America, like these cunts were at it. Condor was running for years. 
but just to make it so that, guys, if we're going to do war, let's do it like gentlemen, okay? Let's follow American rules. All right, everybody? Mm. Like, let's not, let's not, none of your fucking pig fucking dust bunny bullshit. <laughs> let's do it American style, all right? Have a bit of class around here. If you're going to, you're going to line a bunch of kids up at, on, on some, on some soil that's soaked in petrol and set fire to them, that's not, that's not how we do it in the U.S., baby. Come on now. You got to line them up. Face the wall, shoot him in the back of the head. So what we done in Vietnam is good enough for them. It's good enough for us, all right? Like, that's standard operating procedures. Yeah. You don't want yeah. brutality. You don't want shit that won't play on the news. You don't want shit that when people are doing news reports about it or taking pictures of the aftermath, that it won't, like, revile them or make them feel, like, emotionally attached to the people. So nice and clean. Nice and clean. Gunshots. Surgical. We don't want burnt bodies. We don't want fucking naked flesh. You want fully clothed headshots, or or oh, or, or you can do a two a two a double tap, chest head. We don't want anyone like cutting off heads. That's for fucking savages. We don't want anyone burning. That's for fucking lunatics. Yeah. Gunshots. No chopping off hands. No fucking. You know, none of your local shit. None of your fucking parochial torture here. Do it right. United you fucking States waterboard them and you don't hit the face. Apple, All body. Apple pie killing. That's it. That's what it is. That's it, man. So, in other words, General Robert W. Porter was Condor Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Condor Man? Yeah, Captain Condor. <laughs> yeah, Captain Condor. That was him. Yeah. American Way. It was to control subversive. Oh, yeah. It was, con I don't read good. <laughs> it was to control subversive targets in South America and political dissidents. And it used intelligence gathered by the CIA and operations were partially funded by the drug money that was funneled back out of the US from the drugs and that the CIA had smuggled in using people like Barry Seal, a.k.a. Ellis McKenzie, a.k.a. El, El Gordo. <laughs> Condor was implemented after a spate of military coups in South America countries like Paraguay, Brazil, Bolivia, Uruguay, Chile, Argentina, Panama, and Nicaragua. So most of them. Yeah, <laughs> most. <laughs> yeah. Peru. Oh, yeah. They're there. Guyana. The <laughs> Peru, oh, yeah. Guyana. Uh, oh, yeah. Mexico. Mexico, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, no, that's sort of Guatemala. North America. Anyway, the CIA ran and trained death squads in these countries and political refugees and captured, dis captured dissidents often went missing. Presumed dead. Yeah. So, wow. If you know if your mate, American if your mate Juan the uh, the complainer <laughs> goes missing, you know why? Yep. Because he complained to the wrong person and pick you up in the car and you're fucking brown bread. That's it. He That's it. No, no, anybody that goes looking for you, brown bread. Atrocities committed in South America in the sixties and seventies and eighties at the hands, or at least at the training hands of American intelligence agencies. And they'll never have to pay. I think it would be very surprising if any of them had to actually like foot the bill for the for that. Yeah, like like shit that would be tantamount to what the Nazis were doing during wartime, like the shit that went on in Vietnam. Jesus Christ! Oh, forget about it. Jesus Christ! And they'll never have to pay for it because they're still in charge. Yeah, I think it was on one of the episodes a while ago. We were asked like, how long does it take before you can? It was on the vampire episode. We talked about um I um. Talked about Vlad the Impaler, who was like a magnificent military mind, or like Alexander the Great. But Vlad the Impaler used to fucking get all his enemies and stick fucking sticks up their arseholes and then let them fucking slide down the stick. And then when it was coming out, they'd make sure that it went up through the soft palate of the neck 
and out the mouth. So you're like sliding down with a stick up your arse, so you're still alive, shit, you and pissing and bleeding ble- yeah. and all. And when the the other soldiers would come up with their swords to try and go, and like, actually, I'm grand, and turn away and what? Like that's fucking genius, military. But it's torturous. It's brutal. It's vicious. And and I think Eamon asked like, how long is it before somebody can praise somebody like Vlad the Impaler for his military ingenuity? And the conclusion I came to was twelve months, <laughs> <laughs> six to eight weeks, and check back. Um, the conclusion I came to was as long as the people that he was fighting aren't in power anymore then you can praise it but so long as the people that won that battle which evidently somebody did because he's not he wasn't in power as long as they're in charge like the the Ottoman the Turkish Ottoman Empire he was fighting uh, and they were in power for years and years and years so you could never say anything because they're in power they're always listening same in, in fucking, you know, Flor- Florentine Italy or whatever. Like, you couldn't say nothing about the Medicis that have you fucking killed. Mm. The same in, in uh, uh, during, during the Nazi regime or during the fascist regime in, in Spain with Franco or, or under Mussolini in Italy. You couldn't question the regime because you'd be fucking people. And now you can't question the regime that's going on now with the American industrial, military industrial complex and medical industrial complex now. You can't question they're that because in power. They're, 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 they're the ones in power. They're the ones that are affected by your criticism and therefore you can't praise their enemies nor criticize them. Yeah, it's still, as they say in the comedy circles, too soon. Too soon, man. But also, it's like the tree falling in the woods. If no, if no one's around to hear it, uh, it doesn't make a sound. Well, it's like that when people go missing, you know, when they do it in Operation Condor, when people yeah. go missing, is that still an atrocity? If they can't That's prove the, thing, yeah. the bodies are lying around, if they can't find them, can they prove that they did anything wrong? But look at how, how many atrocities were laid at the feet of the Medellin cartel and all the stuff that was shown because they were doing stuff beyond the, the what, what was the term? That uh, uh, the establishment of common operating yeah. procedures, so they were yeah. outside the the sops of <laughs> of the the trainers, like they were cutting lads up and they were giving the Colombian necktie, which is when you uh, slit somebody's throat and then you catch their tongue and you pull it out through the the neck oh, slit and let it hang down over the chest, um, just to make him look smart. Brutalism, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Just oh, yeah, sharpen him up a bit. You like you know, um, dress him up for his funeral. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing to do to somebody, it's pretty grim and If you did Gene rotten. Simmons, he'd be down to his belly button. <laughs> Kiss. <laughs> God gave rock and roll. Yeah. Right, right, oh my God. Um, but yeah, like it was brutal, but it gave a message and it did what it needed to do for them. But when shown in like, you know, suburban America on the news, like, look at what these terrible drug dealers are doing. They're like, oh my God, he's pulled his tongue into his neck. Oh, these must be animals. They have no humanity. But like, is it any less humane than waterboarding somebody, which is a totally acceptable form of interrogation. At least you go, where's your family member? Well, he died because I saw a photo of him on the news. Uh, where's your husband? Don't know. He disappeared somewhere in like South America. I can't disappear in the whole time. And you're putting a fucking, putting a hole in the ground and they put some lime on top of you and they throw a few, you know, a couple of bottles of water and cover it over with dirt and you're fucking warm food and... No necktie, man. A week. Yeah. No necktie. <laughs> this is it, like. So, um, so... The the, the 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 Colombian conflict demo just to give a little bit of context to war, to behind the the Medellin cartels operating procedures. Cool. Uh, from the ashes of the Colombian conflict in the mid nineteen sixties, between right wing paramilitary paramilitary groups and uh, almost <laughs> paramilitary groups. That's like a military group, but parallel to you know like yeah, the Paralympics. Almost a, a military group. It's nearly military. 
Uh, the right-wing paramilitary <laughs> groups and the drug cartels. Like a military group, but like in a wheelchair in, or missing an arm or something. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. the paradudes. The paramilitary Happens a couple groups. of months after the regular military groups. <laughs> yeah, 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 nobody yeah. watches them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very distinct from the special military groups, which is... You can't laugh at. You're not allowed to laugh at those guys. Yeah. Okay. I'm in the war. I'm feeling the gun. I feel the gun. Bang, bang. Okay. It's not real. They wouldn't give us a real one. I might click here. <laughs> From the ashes of the Colombian conflict in the mid-1960s between right-wing paramilitary groups and drug cartels and crime syndicates with left-wing guerrilla groups, they're still around. <laughs> and communist-leaning liberation armies. That's and you know the, the Americans were. hate the... Anyone who leans towards communism, they do not like. Yeah. Well, the Americans don't like it. They don't like it. Came the Medellin Cartel. In the midst of the CIA involvement in, Cond in Condor, in the country surrounding Colombia, and no doubt in Colombia as well, the aftermath of La Violencia. Is that right? Yeah. Nice Is that like an, it sounds like an orange. <laughs> of La Violencia led to businessmen trying to step up US-facing export conglomerates. By the 1970s, the M19 movement was fighting directly against the Medellin Cartel. Uh, yet to be official. They hadn't made it yet until 1981, was it? Yeah. And by the 1980s, the country was seemingly so stable that they could lift the state of siege decree that the country had been under for almost 30 years. Imagine. Because there was such military instability, the whole country was in a state of siege. They're like, lads, just settle down. Yeah, they were like technically in civil war for 30 years. State of siege. When someone near me, darling, can't you hear me? SOS. <laughs> State of siege. Is that what Abba was on about? Probably. State of siege. When there is no food and you can't get food, it's state of siege. Because, you know, like Abba loves singing about the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah, yeah. They're probably singing about this yeah. one as well. Medellin. Could get cocaine if I wanted to. <laughs> Medellin. You don't even have to change Fernando. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, you don't even have to change it. I did the bumps, Fernando. Yeah, yeah. Greedy lines and all the time and crying, <laughs> Fernando. Yeah, it's a it's a fucked up situation to be in a country that's in a state of siege for thirty years. Like I that's, mean, like, the that's like the troubles like, in Ireland. Yeah, but like, like for the whole time. country. When all this is going on, like who's keeping the trains running? Like, are there trains to who's run? Fixing the potholes. Nobody's fixing all potholes, man. Sure, they're that, that, that. When you're talking about now, like people are going. Ah, there's not enough fucking pot noodles on the shelves in Tesco's because of the fucking, uh, what, what do you call it, the, the what are they calling it, the, the supply chain yeah. issues that are happening at the moment. These motherfuckers had supply chain issues for 30 years. Like, you couldn't get nothing. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I, I think we're, like, what I'm saying is, like, we, we've, we've basically maybe been a little bit uh, mollycoddled by government. Yeah. And we, we turn around and expect, like, oh, but... Well, they changed the street lights <laughs> yeah, yeah. to these new LED bulbs, and they're too bright, and I don't like them. <laughs> the like, eyes. These fuckers were getting shot for thirty years. Yeah, or like yeah. in instability, or at some point, if you're living in a city and like one section of the city comes under the the control of you know a, a left wing paramilitary group, and you just have to just pack up your stuff and leave because like one of the important families that they're in their organization just wants your house. You're like. Oh, okay then. So you oh, can never yes. really feel safely at home. There's Sorry. no real safety. Like, there's a lot of generational trauma in Colombia, which is why people were willing to take up arms and do fucking wild shit. Like, because um, they haven't they haven't lived in a time when that wasn't just the case, where yeah. they could just be flushed out at any time yeah. of where they grew up. 
The like stability is really like, you know, medium medium level traumatic, if not high level, if you're being shot. And, oh, because you know. people love drugs. And, and, and the rest. And, and the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even think it was about drugs at the start. It was more about like political power. And then yeah. they found out like, oh, people actually like this white powder stuff that we tend to make. And a lot, lot mostly funded by American dollar. Uh, we're all using the, the American currency because their own individual currencies were so weak. And and where were they getting the weapons from? Was that Barry Seal as well? Old Sealsy. Yeah. Old So, yeah, man. The power. The cartels had it all now. With the guerrilla groups profiting from their payoffs. And the death squads killing everyone who stopped. Oh, who stepped out of line. So they were stopped. <laughs> was a force to be reckoned with. Or even... For the all-powerful U.S. government. So that was like in Narcos. It was always like yeah. they pretty much wanted to run everything. And they did, really much. They sought extradition of members of the Medellin cartel. And public pressure was coming in hard from the likes of Reagan. War on drugs. And the Just Say No campaign and nightly report on the news of violence in South America and the streets of USA with crack. And cocaine flowing through the streets. Uh, enter Barry Seal and his team to help the Medellin cartel get rid of those pesky bales of coke they just had lying around. Yeah. Who wants them? A lot of people in the US. Here we go. Hey. Like 1981, the boys uh, uh, incorporated. Very soon before that, Barry lost his job to TWA. I mean, it's just coincidence. Match made in heaven. Yeah. He's like, you need to get rid of the cocaine. I need a job. We need a damn good pilot. Let's go. Ellis McKenzie to the rescue. LS. And where's fucking dipshit or wanker Robert R. Powell? Robert W. Porter. Porter's Robert Powell. Floating around. <laughs> Robert Powell. Ben he's Powell. English actor, yeah, yeah. actor Robert Powell. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's just there, like, set up all this, and then there's widespread chaos. Torture and chaos yeah. for multitudes a year. Yeah. Reagan gets a little oh. bit sick of it. Yeah. And uh, and, well, no, and you get sick of the drugs coming into America, but that's only a front. That's just to be able to say something because people are going in Reagan's America. There's like trickle down Reaganomics, you know. This like uh, if you just participate in society and do as you're told, you'll do that, all right. Like, you'll do all right, and people are like, yeah, well, functionally and de- demonstrably, we're we're not doing all right, and the place is riddled with fucking drugs. So he had to be seen to be doing something when really what they were doing was like planning Iraq, planning. To takeovers and the acquisitions of the puppet states in South America, they were setting up, um, you know, in the Middle East for oil and drug control. Um, they were still battling with China, uh, still like a very communist state as as the anti-communist rhetoric was going through the eighties. Like the Cold War was at its ideological peak during the eighties. People building bunkers and afraid that yeah. like the Russians. That was their fear, wasn't it, that the communism would just. Would just t- but, take over America, really. But Russia, China, it's the ideal of it. Think of Russia, China, most of South America. All of them were like Russia and China were like heavy communist, like full communist regimes, like USSR. Mm. And then South America was lean. Like loads of countries were kind of lean in that way, and they were getting financial and military help from like the Russians and the Cubans and the all of this kind of stuff. So like Cuba wasn't just about having like nuclear nuclear bombs or at least like a, a communist. Uh, um, uh, an unfriendly communist state on the borders of the US. It was like a cancer. It was hanging on to the Western Hemisphere that was a funnel for China and Russia to be able to give arms and financial support and military training to a bunch of essentially rogue nations in South America who could, I don't know, become powerful enough to rival the uh, the US economy, yeah. uh, make enough drugs to be able to flood the US and turn that into 
de facto third world state where everyone is too fucked up to go to work and yeah. they would make all the money, siphon all the money out of the US into there because they were selling all the drugs, which they did billions and billions and billions of dollars. But like, it was also a great way to stoke the fires of war and uh, these puppet wars were happening all over the place where they get like two countries or two rival factions in a country and the Russians had fund one and the Americans had fund the other and just let them have at it. Like, So, so is America's afraid of, right, if they become, if a lot of their population want to become communists. Is that is what they're thinking? Then, yeah. Then they'll, be, they'll, they'll lose all their power and Russia will come in and China will come in. It'll become a decentralized, decentralized like non-democracy. Often with communism comes di- di- dictatorship. Dictatorship, yeah. But I mean, it looks like, I mean, yeah, the president doesn't run the country by the looks. Well, he's a mascot. But then, but would, would you know, communism even change that? Like, you know. It's the people, so it's the people it, that don't, the people don't want communism. Yeah. Because the people are the ones that suffer from it. Where the leaders always make out well. And the leaders are going, hey, uh, one rule for thee and another for me in every communist regime. Like all the Russian yeah, heads, always. Stalin and all the boys were fucking lap of luxury caviar up the wazoo while everybody else was starving in the streets. Yeah. The same all through Southeast Asia, all through China, like any of the any of the South American countries that did go full of communism for the 70s, 80s or 90s, they all ended up in fucking famine and cr- like craziness. And um, yeah, communism the looks great people on paper. don't want that. Like yeah. communism looks great on paper, but it's as you say, it's always uh, yeah, we're all equal except the uh, the leaders and then the, the dictators and they rule everything. One rule for me and another for the seems yeah. to be the way for left leaning politics identify itself. Like if you look at all of, and I'm not getting into Corona stuff, but look at all the cunts that were like. Wear a mask and socially distance, and then they all go to Obama's fucking anniversary in Nantucket, and none of the guns are distancing. You know, none of them are obeying the rules. Like nobody's wearing masks and all that. Like just the little shit like that that people are like, "No, I don't like that." Fuck you! You're telling me to do something you're not doing it yourself. Fuck you! Yeah, yeah. People don't want communist leaders, or they don't want the communist regime because that uh, invariably happens where they have to obey a certain set of rules. You get no say. Because all the amendments, you know, the freedom of speech. The, yeah, they all the, become moot. They all become and the American dream. Diluted. You can't have an American dream. Each person can't have their own dream if there's a communist regime. Yeah. A regime. You that have should a, be the have a, f- rhyming phrase. It was. You know? a, we so can't what? have an American dream in a, under a communist regime. I'm sure there was chance at some point <laughs> in the 60s. Yeah. The, uh, not for nothing here, the, the America already has a drug problem. So drugs are coming into America. At this stage, Reagan is fighting the war on drugs. Yeah. So they're, they're coming they're, in for a long time. They're, they're getting into the country one way or another. Yeah. So you obviously you had the seventies and everybody's fucked up on coke and such like, but that doesn't mean to say the Medellin cartel couldn't also get more drugs into the country. Yeah, and Reagan had to be seen to be doing something. Right. So this just say no campaign, as we talked about in the war on drugs episode, was I think merely uh, uh, lip service to be seen to be doing something. Really, you know, it's the old Bill Hicks line: "It's like the U.S. government for thirty years have been fighting a war on drugs. So that means that just people on drugs are winning the war." Yeah, like yeah. they're not very good at it. Like yeah, there's, yeah. the war on drugs is is useless. It's an excuse to make letter organizations with infinite power uh, to be able to do as they will. And we'll see here later on, like that they do do whatever the fuck they want, make up whatever rules, and then train both sides, and then like sell them loads of weapons, and then watch them fight. And then whoever wins, then they come in and go, okay, we you win because of us, so we own you. So whatever you're making, we're getting a slice of it. Like that's what a pimp does. Yeah, like, a pimp does that shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's social engineering at its height, and it's to the detriment of the people who live locally. 
and the American people, all they have to suffer is the addiction to the drugs that are being taken in yeah. because of it. America loves having a well, a, you know, the the, po- the politicians are like a war on drugs, which is like only well, the war on a, the couple of drugs that we've mentioned, but. Watch TV, all the ads, pharmaceutical drugs, and that's yeah. another thing. And then there's like War on Terror, which is just, watch terror. Ah! You know, as Steve Yu says, what's these, next? A war on horror? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these, these, war nebu- on these vague. Nebulous, vague terms that are yeah. just like, this could be anything. Let's just war on this. As long as it's a war, they're good. We're winning the war. We're America. We have guns. Woo! But I think we're far enough away from what happened in South America during the 60s and 70s, and especially in Vietnam. Vietnam is real touchy still. You can't really talk about Vietnam. As honestly, it's it's been it's been opened up like with with, with um movies like like Full Metal Jacket was at the time yeah, was man. like, oh my god, I can't believe because there's so many vets that were still alive from Vietnam who were like, that's how it was, but like we're not supposed to say. I mean, it's yeah. a bit like Jesus, but that was like it was fucked up. Well, let's just say a lot of great Creedence Clearwater Revival songs came out of that. Oh yeah, my the soundtrack in my life. I love all that Vietnam oh, music. Mate. But then you're now now what you're getting is a bunch of fucking zero dark thirty and Afghans Afghanistan and Iraq movies showing the fucking brutality there that happened. And I'm not talking about like movies like Three Kings where Ice Cube tries to get a load of gold out of Iraq. I'm talking about like some real fucked up shit where like you know you don't know who the enemy is. That was the that was the Frankie Boyle joke. It's like not only will we invade our not only will we invade your country. We'll then make movies about how it made our soldiers really sad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's it. It's that, and that's t- top shelf propaganda. That's Goebbels shit. Like it's like, yeah, we fucked up your country irreparably for for dozens and dozens of years now, and um, yeah, we but we're, we we're didn't ones, have it easy either. We're the ones that had to bear the brunt of it. Poor us. Like, and it's just so bizarre. That this cycle of like they weren't able to make Vietnam movies until like the nineties because of people still like now there's lads know. that are sitting like with no legs watching stuff about Afghanistan, like fucking American sniper and yeah. all and going why are they romanticizing this shit like this is you know too soon but it's allowed it's allowed yeah. and it was for a reason and now the reasons are starting to present themselves and now after they're pulling out of Afghanistan we found the Taliban take over like if you don't realize that shit is all about drugs you're gobshite yep like it wasn't even about oil. It wasn't even about nine eleven. No. It was controlling the fucking heroin production in Afghanistan. Yeah. It's very obvious. Yeah. I don't know. Drugs and money. Yeah, it's hard to talk about, uh, especially if you're part of it. I'm sure a lot of the listeners here, I do have a lot of people who are in the military. It's hard to hear, but I know I know you know that I'm right. I know you know in your heart that's, that was the crack. There's only a few things that, that make billions that you can fund a war with. Yeah. Wars are expensive. It has to be a consumable. That's the thing. It can't be something yeah. that you make the once. It has to be something that's perpetual and consumable. Yeah, and it's lithium batteries as well in Afghanistan. Now oh yeah, well. lithium, lithium is the big that's thing. That's a whole so. other thing. But then, like, like if you've got everything's battery, everything's batteries now. Yeah, cars, bloody everything. So if you've Tesla, got if you've Tesla, got, powered by Taliban technology. Yeah, man. If you've got <laughs> if you've got opium and batteries. Yeah, man. But straight away, straight away, what did the Taliban do when they took and took over? Sold to China. Made a deal with China immediately. The Taliban were like, "Where do we where, bring up the phone book from uh, the reception desk? Who is first for buy lithium?" It's like, uh, so "China here, uh, give I, me phone, uh, make, make call, quick, quick, make call." <laughs> like first thing they did was made in six days they had a deal made with China for all the lithium. Great deal. What the fuck? Yeah, like America wasn't even out of there a week, and it's like, guess what? And they weren't calling America, going, "Hey, you left all your lithium behind you." 
Mm. It's like, call China. They'll pay. Better deal. The fucking dollars are going to be worth fuck all in the next year or so. What's the point in getting paid I mean, in dollars? It makes sense, really. I mean, China does make everything. So, let them make the batteries. Yeah. I mean, they're going to control it all, but... Hey. We, should, we should learn a little bit of Chinese, I think. I think... Just, just in case. Just in case. Just in case. Well, let's roll on with this anyway. And um, uh, the, the, uh, the volatile political situation in Colombia. I think a little bit of context to understand what was going on with the Medellin cartel and how Barry was getting through these geopolitical fucking machinations is very interesting to find out that it was like it couldn't not be protected by the military industrial complex he couldn't not be right the amount of shit that was going on it wasn't just like the power he wasn't having a go the power of money yeah yeah it wasn't just that cool so all through the 70s after he was fired from the TWA Barry was smuggling marijuana by the air not uh, up up until about 1976 uh, then he switched over to cocaine because it was more fashionable and and more profitable, of course. And by 78, he was flying cocaine out of Colombia in 79 and was busted in Honduras in December because, according to his wife, he was bribing loads of people to let him fry th- fly through the airspace because it took him nine months to figure out who to give the money to. Yeah, I was mad. He was bri- throwing money out for bribes and couldn't find a con- the proper con to give it to to get out. So just bribed everyone until, ah, oh, that guy, okay. Yeah. Well, that's nine months of bribe money <laughs> well spent. Uh, technically, he wasn't caught with drugs in Honduras, uh, but the drugs had already left the plane uh, when it landed in Ecuador, where Abis Labar took 17.5 kilos off the plane. Uh, the problem arose when the Hondurans found an M1 rifle on the plane and arrested the lads uh, and then questioned them. Labar was then arrested and squealed everything. Ah, Labar, the grass. La, la Bragras. <laughs> that doesn't work. Uh, that, yeah, la uh, uh That he had been recruited in Miami by Barry and set up to deliver the cocaine, but eventually Barry bribed a Honduran judge. <laughs> of course, he still had a bit of um, bribe money left yeah, over. Yeah, He's and like, he got oh, that judge. He had infinite cash. He was fucking shipping cocaine for the Medellin boys. Like, hey, judge, you want a bit of cash? And uh, not without some CIA leaning, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it was money and a little bit of fucking juice from the CIA. But this is the kind of event, and this happened in 1979, this was the event that had Barry going like, I'm never landing with this stuff again. Like, he was flying out of Colombia, landing in Ecuador, dropping off bales, and then stopping off in Honduras on the way back to Florida. And he was getting searched every time. So this is like, the, the, you see in the movie and you hear about Barry Seal dropping bales in swamps in Louisiana, right? This is the the thing that sparked this. Like he was, he was He's like, I'm not doing this again. N- never, st- I'm never That's stopping. So smart because he the knew plan. the. I know the area, but then they were driving everything down. In was like Cadillacs, yeah, or like the ones with the big tree. Like they were going down to Florida. Everyone yeah. was looking for Florida going up. Yes, everyone was looking America. to the south. And he was coming plan. down. Smart, like it's all this kind of stuff. And he was oh, also being given the information about like, um, you know, m- m- uh, uh, radar operations and military movements and all through the Gulf of Mexico and all through the northern parts of South America, all through those countries, like where there was military bases and places to stay away from, a place where you could be caught, or, you know, customs officers and last time in the Caribbean. <laughs> but it was just like he found the the way to fly through low and slow um, without getting caught. Like, that's... He, he had to have been helped by the US intelligence agencies. Like, had to be. But Honduras was a scalder for him. When the volatile political situation in Colombia and the opera and Operation Condor shenanigans going on uh, in most of uh, the other northerly South American countries, it was going to be difficult to get out of South America. 
with plain loads of coke, not to be spotted and nabbed. He was obviously being given information from intelligence, like we were just saying. Yeah. There is to avoid when returning home, like a game of Frogger, but in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Flappy Bird. <laughs> yeah. And he was so it was it was such a good pilot. That's one thing we'll say about Barry Seal. He was one hell of a pilot. And uh, this was the advent of law enforcement finally knocking on Barry's door. Was entering U.S. airspace, making these drops. So he was like, "I'm not doing that anymore." And uh, Barry's response was, "Was have uh, I'll have to talk to my people," uh, meaning obviously the CIA handlers. Within a very short period of time, merely just a few weeks. Barry had moved his whole operation from Louisiana to Mena, Arkansas, and somehow he got himself 2,000 acres, a private airport landing strip, and a whole bunch uh, of bankroll. And that was that was in the movie. That was in the American That was movie. in the movie, and it didn't say nothing about the quaaludes, so he was caught for importing quaaludes uh, into Louisiana, and there were, there were duds as well, and he, he was finding this out that they were all kind of fake pills. He started jettisoning them, jettisoning, jettisoning them, on the way into the country, into the swamp, and people were like, oh, it's raining quaaludes, what the fuck is going on? And eventually went, caught him, and he got indicted, he had to go up in front of court, and uh, we'll talk about it in a sec, but just real, real kind of like one thing after another after another, until the DEA were able to be like, right, we've set you up for four failures, you're going to jail forever if you don't do what we say. Mm. So the DEA were trying to pry Barry as an asset away from the CIA, into their control so that they'd be able to do what they were supposed to do, which is catch the Medellin cartel. They were letting Barry keep all the money, so he didn't really give a fuck. He yeah. was flying back and over. And he's having a great time. It's exciting. Great he's still time. making the money, man. Still making the money. And he got his own airport. Are you serious? And that was the CIA that gave him the airport. So the mm. people were working together, but seemingly trying to work against each other. It's all very uh, clandestine and... and crazy but barry became a, a, a dea acquisition basically and his his method of transport for the cocaine he was getting from columbia was to pack his plane with as much weight as it could safely hold and drop it out the bottom into louisiana swamps into the waiting hands of his business partners on the ground so it means he wouldn't have to land anywhere with a bunch of coke like in honduras or ecuador and he wouldn't get nabbed there were different techniques that barry and his team would employ when transporting these shipments then so the planes as uh demo said they take about 300 uh, kilos of coke and they were dropped in flotation devices into duffel bags into the waiting hands of handlers uh, who drive them off in cars to Florida uh, and if the roads were too hot Barry would refuel in Louisiana and then fly from north to south into Florida and like you said they were looking south for planes coming this way they weren't looking for planes coming f from inside America they're like who's flying with coke from like the middle part yeah who's um, smuggling coke from America to America <laughs> yeah <laughs> Some mad cunts. So he expanded this enterprise in Louisiana and hired on more pilots to fly the planes with him. So a guy called William Bottoms, Billy Bottoms, was his ex-brother-in-law, or his bro brother-in-law to his ex. It's a great ex, name. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, Billy Bottoms. And he flew, B Billy flew most of the flights in and out of Columbia from 1980 onwards. Uh, Seal was earning a half a million for each flight out of Columbia from 81. And the official creation Bloody of hell. the Medellin cartel at that time meant that Barry was quids in like he was they were organized they were he was landing in and they were going here's all these neatly packed you know bales of cocaine if you fly down to florida we have guys to pick them up there and they distribute them and all this and we'd pay it was a well-oiled machine and barry was the man to get it that's a lot of money now yeah you know that's a lot yeah. of money in 15 years from now that's for, a lot infl of money for, for inflation <laughs> it's it's nearly double you yeah. know that's incredible the amount of money so you're getting a million million dollars a pop um so the pilots were equipped with night vision goggles, and Barry spared no expense on the operation uh, with long-range modified planes, 
like a, a pager a panther. <laughs> Obviously. It was one of the one of the one of the plane types, and they had extra fuel tanks so they could fly for hours and hours. So that's the bit in the movie where uh, the the U.S. Customs are flying a jet, and the lads are like, "Go low, go slow," and they were going for ages, and the lads are like, "We're out of fuel! Oh god damn it!" And they had to fly back and fuel up, and the lads yeah, are like, "Okay, right let's there. go!" Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, um, the night vision goggles so that obviously they could see at night, and um, top of the line radio encryption systems, so they were able to talk to each other without anyone listening. And then a ground production team to oversee the operation and guide the men in the air. So they had all the people on the radios being like, uh, cocaine one, this is cocaine home base. Uh, where are you going? That's okay, uh, cocaine four, we're coming in for a landing over here. Uh, you think we should name uh, rename the code names? It's a bit <laughs> obvious. Should we use cocaine A and B? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quailu Jim, are you do read me? <laughs> Quailu Jim's asleep. Yeah, wake um, him up. <laughs> so, plain, yeah. Uh, yeah, they 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 had all the finest bits and bobs, the greatest planes, the loveliest equipment, and they had these Mercury Grand Marquis cars, which are big fucking sedan cars. Uh, they were fully loaded with coke, and Barry said he chose them because they had the biggest boot space, well, there you trunk go. space, um, and they were comfy to drive in for the few That's hours it. from Louisiana to Florida. Grand Marquis. But the DEA motherfuckers were all up in Barry's ass from 1981 onwards, especially with the Medellin cartel lads being uh, so well-organized. 1981, then, Barry was introduced to undercover DEA agent Randy Beasley and was caught in a sting to smuggling quaaludes, as we said around. No man for a sting like Beasley. <laughs> oh, yeah. Randy Beasley. <laughs> it was a honey trap. Hey. hey. <laughs> um, Did they comb the area from? <laughs> <laughs> he, he had, Barry had to go into Hyven. No, oh, that's yeah. really bad. That's, that's, that's the worst one. So they, they smuggled in these quaaludes in what came to be known as Operation Screamer, where the DEA stung 80 pilots who were smuggling contraband in various ways, shapes, and forms into the US. That's a lot of pilots, man. Yeah, I, I mean, and it was a very, like, relatively proportionally small amount that were actually caught. Like, these motherfuckers were all day, every day, at this shit, all day, every day. So 80 is not a lot, but it was, like, right. the top the top brass. So he caught 80, and I think 40, 48 of them were convicted, and the rest got to go free, including Larry. So um, the DEA basically wanted to, I think, take acquisition of these lads and their information. So they got Barry, and they uh, made sure they didn't get done, like, and sent to jail, and they flipped him then as an informant for the DEA. So in that in that <laughs> interaction, did he inform them that he was protected by the CAA and they were fine with it, or...? If the DEA were out to take control of the CIA assets, I don't know. But he ended up not going to, to jail for it anyway. And during these negotiations with Beasley, he bragged about his methods of ingress into the U.S. with the contraband, including the technique of flying low and slow, and then coming into Louisiana coastline uh, past all the oil rigs that were there, which would confuse the radar into thinking it was the helicopters that often took off uh, to and from the rigs. Like, it's a genius plan, getting into, yeah. the, getting into the swamps, bang, 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 and you land with an empty plane. Like... Pretty, pretty smart and clever. Pretty good, man. Um, George H.W. Bush, so Daddy Old Bush, and Reagan initiated what was called the Drug Task Force, and it was possibly the umbrella organization that took care of all the illegal drug money that the CIA was generating in Southeast Asia and South America. These lads, run by George Bush, who was one of the deepest set uh, spook agents that America has ever seen, and he has so much to answer for, for the state that America is in now, like so much, at the cunt is burning in hell. Um, but the, his the, son, first of all. <laughs> well, his son is just a fucking useful idiot, to be yeah. honest, and a war criminal. But yeah, at yeah. the same time, hey, how's it going? Yes, yeah, right. I sent uh, sent a lot of people to uh, 
to Afghanistan or to Iraq uh, for, for bullshit lies. I'm a war criminal. Yeah, I'm fun old Uncle George. He sounds joking. Jimmy came and laughing and joking. He's a fucking war criminal. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, I totally uh, circumvented the Constitution of the United States. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a funny guy. I look like a monkey, kind of. Like, yeah. fucking bullshit is that? Yeah, yeah. We're able to laugh. That's what I'm saying. You're only able to laugh at it if the people aren't in power, man. Yeah. Um, so the drug task force referred Barry to the DEA headquarters. And a man called Ernst Jacobson, another guy called Robert Jura, who evaluated him as an informant. And Barry impressed them with his knowledge of the inner workings of the Medellin cartel at Al. And Jura said about Barry that he never met someone who has, has, has as much potential and produced as much as Mr. Seal. Like Ooh. Barry Seal was the best. The, you're the best thing that ever happened to the DEA. Like, you're the best around. <laughs> Like, he was the fucking shit. The golden goose for the DEA. He had everything. Yeah, because when you think about it, right, like, what is the DEA? It's a lot of talking, a lot of how do we get them, Deal a lot making, of what's going on. Plans. Seal is amongst he has all the answers. Asp- every aspect. All the fucking answers. It's intelligence. Every and aspect. he has all the answers, and he has the contacts, and someone is like, oh, we need this lad to do this. He's like, sure, I know that lad, and he's going to do that for me next Tuesday. Do you want to, you know, Watch and wait while he does it. Yeah. Seal could be the DA what? on his own. If he should so wish. If he wanted to. But it's not, it's not no. exciting. Do you, think, do you think a good bit of it as well is like people in the DEA sitting them down and going like, Barry, when you were over in the CIA, did you meet a motherfucker called Eric Young? Yeah, I met him. He's an asshole, isn't he? Yeah, he is an asshole. He told me to do the XYZ. Hey, come over here. Barry's ragging on Young. Do you yeah, know yeah. him? Yeah. And they're just like fucking... Popping off on people that they don't like. Yeah, I went there. Yeah. I, I was in Quantico with him. He's a fucking dickhead. He's a dickhead. Yeah, and then he's yeah. over with the CIA. He goes, well, yeah, when you're talking to them DEA fucks, do you ever talk to this guy called fucking Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel's <laughs> a fucking asshole. Yeah, <laughs> you know him. But I would imagine. And they're just like having big slagging sessions over and back. I would mm. imagine as well there was an element of um, personal social enrichment where these DEA agents were always looking for. Because at the end of the day, these motherfuckers were just like, you know, document pencil pushers that get to do the odd raid and put on the jacket and go, everybody now freeze the AA. Open the door. Like, now and again. It's not a daily occurrence, I guess, right? That's not what the D stands for. <laughs> daily. Not on the daily. The daily enforcement yeah. agency. Every now and then. And uh, so these guys were like just regular dudes who were just looking for a bit of crack in their job and obviously they wanted to get a pay rise so they could have a nicer life and they were going home to a family so for the end of the day. Like they weren't rock stars. They weren't like brooding fucking you know, uh, special agents like Batman going to your Sleep with a gun under your pillow. Yeah, yeah. They were just fucking dudes who just go to work and come home and sometimes you go undercover and sometimes, you know, a bit of excitement. But like most of the time they were just like dudes doing a job. So of course there was a bit of social enrichment where they wanted to get a big case to boost their ego, boost their profile, get the boss to notice them, get a promotion, get all this. So like the incentive was there to do well as far as like the traditional trajectory of somebody's career in, a, in, an, in an environment or an organization like that. Like if you do well and you, you do your job well as a policeman, you get promoted. Right. And there's like all the, the military grades, like sergeant and captain and all this kind of stuff. Right. Like that's all in the DEA, a special inspector and, you know, like detect, detective sergeant, blah, blah, whatever. Yeah, but the, the DEA, DEA the same, like. As far as the DEA, they're most, they're one of the most like eye-rolling of all the, you know, like the partiers would call them the uh, the 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 killjoys or the yeah the narcs. They're not, you know, they're just they're like the literal oh, narcs. Yeah. They're like all they're interested in is like oh, just taking away our fun drugs. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
But, but at the like, same I, time... I, I, yeah, how about stop the pharmaceutical companies that are destroying us all, you know? But that's all ratified demo. You're allowed to do that. I know, allowed to do that. But even the... Was but DEA are going after, like, the illegal transport and, and sale of OxyContin. But, mm. like, only when it's not going through the hands of the IRS through, like, legitimate purchasing. Right. Like, if they get a bunch, like, off the back of a lorry or whatever and they're selling it for cash and the government doesn't see a penny of it. But it's fine to be able to sell tens of thousands of them from the Pfizer factory to, like, a bunch of doctors all over America and have, like, cities ruined with overprescription of, uh, you know, opioid drugs yeah. and have everybody overdosing and having to pay hundreds of thousands a month for, like, little fire departments who are running uh, uh, ambulance services. And their biggest financial outlay is to pay for Narcan to fucking bring cunts that are overdosing on the streets of their town. Spending literally, like, their entire budget... Like, there's some lads, uh, I'd love to have the facts for this. There's some lads that I've read before that work in fire departments that had to go get regular jobs and then they volunteer at the fire department because the fire department couldn't afford to pay them their salary because the amount of money that they have in their annual budget to pay those lads was now going on Narcan no in order for them to revive people who were overdosing in their town. That's how much people That's mental. Are, my Mental. my my uncle Don in Welland, Ontario. He's a uh, firefighter, but now he's just a he's a he's a same. He's not a he, he, he fights fire fires, fire. but he's a volunteer. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if that's the reason. Uh, I'll, I'll call my uncle Rich and I'll call my uncle Don. <laughs> They're both in North America. Did, did like pilots questions and and firefighter questions and drugs are the it's answer. Pretty connected, again. Well, yeah. Drugs yeah, and damn. money are the answer for both. I wonder why the lads are in America, and not in Australia. It seems to be where the money is, right? Yeah, that's right, man. And I was but just like, looking at the. But can you imagine like taking the money away from firefighters to, in order to pay for the drugs to take lads that are overdosing on prescription medication that they were overprescribed from medical. Yeah. Medical They're our practitioners. heroes, man. Like that's firefighters. That's such a fucked up circle. And it really takes away from having to fly illegal drugs in from South America. It takes away that kind of risk and that kind of yeah. overt stuff where you can totally legitimize the production of it in factories in America and then have it like legitimately shipped using, I don't know, the US Postal Service to get people to post them their pills that you take too many of an overdose and then have to get jabbed. And yeah. Like, like they've really... Uh, uh, vertically integrated their their drug scheme. Where instead yeah. of like getting illegal drugs from South America, they just create their own at home. Yeah, every ad break on American TV is either for fast food yeah. or pharmaceutical drugs. Because they don't leakage. Like it always here. Yeah, those yeah, yeah. <laughs> loads of side effects. Yeah, uh, are you are you suffering from suicide ideation? Take these pills and make you happier. Side effects may include suicide ideation. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, man, the DEA. Yeah, like, that's just where what that tangent came from. And I was like, it was. I was just looking back at the notes of the DEA headquarters and, uh, and Ernst Jacobson and Robert Georgia, but Robert Jura, yeah, oh Jura, yeah, uh, Ernst. Just it sounds like a very pa painful name to say. <laughs> Ernst. Ernst. Yeah, yeah. Is that, that's what her, the, his mother was screaming when she was giving birth to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ernst twice, three times. <laughs> Ernst. But yeah, that's it was. Where uh, we were at. It, it, like they, they they praised Barry and said he was the fucking best around. Yeah. Good old Ernst and Rob. Yeah, they, indu they induct inducted him into the DEA as an informant, and Barry was signed up in 1984, just two months after being convicted for the Quaaludes offense. And uh, he was two hundred thousand dollars of Quaaludes that he got lamped with. Uh, he was then the DEA's go-to man when it came to matters of the Ochoa cartel and trafficking cocaine. And this is from a DEA that was 
under the advisement of a drugs task force run by George H.W. Bush, who was the head of the CIA in 1976 and 77 when this shit was going down, who spearheaded and promoted Operation Condor death squads, and and, uh, actively, actively encouraged the training of South American rebels in, uh, what was the term? Uh, standard operating procedures under CIA recommendations, who was then went on to be the vice president for Reagan and all that brought in respects of, you know, to, to, to corrupt and in, inhuman treatment of people, both at home and abroad. And then he went on to be the fucking president yeah, for man. four years until 1993 and then handed it off to Bill Clinton, who was the motherfucker that was facilitating all the Barry Seal shenanigans in Arkansas. So this thing like Barry Seal's actions went all the way to facilitate two presidential terms of office. Two, Barry Seal individually contributed to eight years of the control of the United States from 1987 to 1993. Like, the direct actions of Barry Seal made it so that George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton could become the president of the United States one after the other. Like, that's how important Barry Seal's crazy fucking bullshit is. And that's before we noticed that it wasn't just drugs he was taking up from South America. He was taking coffee beans up to Seattle to a small startup. Yeah. Making it into Starbucks. There you go. Love it. Yeah. That's what he was doing, yeah. Yeah, Smuggling beans. Started Starbucks, and in the meantime, while he was waiting on the coffee, this little nerdy guy came sitting beside him and was looking at uh, PC computers, and he says, hey, you know, you should make one of those. Call it Apple. He was eating an apple. Yes, he was. Fucking in the middle of it all. (gasps) Telling you, he's doing it. He's all of yeah. it. He went in. He went in. and He was like, "I fed up with this apple. I want something like a bit savory." And uh, he was like, "Have you got any pizza?" He's like, "Yeah, it's cold." And uh, he, they went and they, they put it in. They had this little kind of like a microwave oven or whatever. Uh, and then when he took it out, there was another guy behind him wearing glasses. He's like, "Oh, I, I love an, I love a piece of pizza as well." And they did two pieces of pizza at the same time, but it overloaded the microwave. When he take it out, it was the pizza was all kind of soggy. And he turned around and your mom was there. He's like, hey, man, that pizza, like, it's after the microwaves after making a soft. It turns out it was fucking Bill Gates, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. Hot pockets. So he's like, Bill Bill Barry Seal is at the center of all of this. <laughs> all stuff. of it. Bill Gates. Right in the middle of it. All you know? there you go. It was just so fucking, so crazy uh, how influential one little fat man could be with his little plane flying coke yeah. around the place. But it shows you at the center of all of this. Uh, U.S. shenanigans. There are drugs at the very core of all of it. Of all of it, drugs and and the money. Drugs that at drugs the very, are. the very drugs that they're having a war on. Yeah, is funding them to say, oh, don't I, have. A, let's have a war on. Irony it. of ironies, right? We're having a war on oxygen. So we get to uh, Mina, Arkansas, which is where Barry had to relocate after leaving uh, the comfortable confines of his. Local area, Louisiana. When he had his own airport and all that. That was good in the movie when they rock up and it's a... Set up for fucking life, man. Mm. So as Barry's Air Force became bigger and better equipped in Louisiana, the walls were closing in on him with the DEA and Louisiana State Police watching his every move. So he was moving entirely too much product and making too much money. So uh, the time came when he nearly got caught with a helicopter taken off one night filled with cash and cocaine as the police pulled up right underneath it in in his Louisiana airport. So he was nabbed... So many times almost, and uh, he had to fucking get out. So another night, the pickup for 300 kilos of coke didn't go properly in his Louisiana airport. And the bag man panicked 
and drove. So, like, the lads are flying in, dropping bales, pick the bales up, put them in a truck. The truck puts them into the car, and the car drives to Florida. Something went wrong, didn't happen. So this lad has 300 kilos of coke in the back of a pickup truck, and he fucking drives it to Barry's house, and he parks it on the front lawn, rings the doorbell, and is like, uh, Barry, uh, the coke's in the garden, goodbye, and it fucking bounces. Jesus like, Christ. It was starting to become a shit show in Louisiana. So, Lieutenant Butch Milan of the Louisiana State mm. Police, we were talking about Butch earlier on, he was going to get Barry. Didn't like him, wanted to fuck him up. One way or the other. So between that and the conviction for the Quaaludes and, and the inculcation to the DEA informer position, the best course of action for Barry was to up sticks out of Louisiana and move the whole operation to a little place called Mena, Arkansas. So during the years 1980 to 1984, these were the most prolific for Barry Seal as a drug smuggler, so from his DEA connections and their desire to land Pablo Escobar in the Medellin cartel, they gave Barry all the intel he needed to evade US Customs, the ATF, the FBI and the Coast Guard. So there was a reported interagency confusion about his status, and we talked about this a little while ago, for their shared concern, which created an inability to take definitive action to arrest and confidently convict him. So this is a pure handy situation for Barry to be in as a smuggler. He's shipping 8 billion <laughs> worth of coke a year for uh, four really hard-working years, and uh, he was in the pockets of the CIA and the DEA, so like he was, he was winning on all sides, to be yeah, honest. Uh, uh, tiger blood. He was flying between five and ten trips himself per month, getting his fucking, you know, his risky juju, and then another 25 to 40 trips that were being flown by his employees, including uh, uh, Billy Bottoms. Yeah, Billy. Oh, Billy Bottoms. And you got to forget, I mean, it's easy to just sort of say that, but then if he's working for the CIA and the DEA and picking up stuff from the cartel, that you still there still must be some sweat being... I mean, a small bit, but he, like, at this point... Like, he wasn't taking photos of him at this stage, was no, he? No, no, no. So, That's like, the thing, fine. so we didn't, I didn't talk about that for Nicaragua, but, like, he was given a plane by the CIA and he was taking pictures of fucking military bases in Nicaragua because the US government wanted to oust the Sandinista yeah. communist government, and it turned out that he was, you know, getting the juice going, like, this is fucking class. The government were loving him, the CIA were loving him because he was providing the best intel that anyone had ever seen. And uh, the DEA were like, well, if he's doing that well with the drugs or with the military, you know, operations in South America, he'd surely do well with drugs. We want him. And um, yeah, so he was so running, running guns. So this is the thing. So he running guns 1980 to 1984. He was running guns out of Mena, Arkansas, down to the Nicaraguan Contras who were fighting against the Sandinista communist regime. And these Contras were taking these guns that were being manufactured in Mena, Arkansas, or there or thereabouts in the locality, without serial numbers, being constructed and, and made so that they couldn't be traced back. They were talking about, like, um, most of an AK-47 would arrive. I, 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 didn't, I don't really know the, the intricacies of how it's made, but it doesn't come, like, fully assembled into the country, uh, and you have to make certain bits, like fire and pins and handles and all this kind mm. of other stuff. So the way that the... The, the the sections that were made that will be serialized like uh, the firing pin the there's a part with, with that moves that shoots the, that moves the bullet out like all of these bits that make it a gun uh, all have to have serial numbers on it but those parts were being constructed and not stamped and they were constructing these guns sticking them on Barry's plane and Barry was flying them down to the lads so that if they were caught with them that there'd be no serial numbers to trace them back to the US government like it's pure fucking you know espionage you know, military shenanigans. And all of this was being run out of Mena, Arkansas. Like, 
the Sandinistas were then in got into bed with the Medellin cartel when the lads were being ousted out of Colombia, and uh, they they moved some of the operations to Nicaragua, and they were able to get the stuff that was being manufactured in Colombia transported to Nicaragua, and then from Nicaragua to the U.S. for sale. And we'll talk about it in a second how the this thing happened where Barry was working for the CIA and the DEA and they were like, put cameras in your plane, take pictures of these motherfuckers. Like he was a pure spy up and down. And there's no doubting and there's no denying that he was. Like he was doing this shit from early 20s at least. Like flying a plane and taking pictures of military bases so the US would know how powerful these Nicaraguans were. And you have to say that Nicaraguan were really careful these days. But yeah, there was there was all of these... All of these uh, organizations were looking for him you're talking uh cia fbi dea u.s customs um coast guard like every cunt that had a boat or a plane and barry was making them look like mugs so with this new dea deal that barry made while while in baton rouge this carried over to mina in arkansas and there were more federal organizations investigating barry now while being in arkansas including uh, Ada Hutchinson, the U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Arkansas, the FBI, and the head of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, Albert J. Winters, who was under the employment of George H.W. Bush. And Winters was beginning another grand jury investigation looking at Barry Seal and his operation. So basically a question like, is the mad shit he's doing good for the U.S.? Is it worth the damage that he's causing <clears throat> and the money that he's making? Is it okay for him to operate with impunity so long as we're getting what we're getting out of him? And is, it valuable, is what he's given us valuable enough to let us yeah. let him off? Uh, there was also the IRS were looking into him, US Customs and FBI investigations into, into st- fucking madly, this nebulous, mysterious CIA informant who was operating between Louisiana and Florida. They didn't know nothing about Arkansas at this point. And this turned out to be Barry and they didn't know it. So the, the IRS, the FBI and Customs we're all kind of working together to try and find this one motherfucker that they didn't know who he was, what he was doing. They just knew there was an organization. And it was fucking Barry Seal this, on the books. This yeah. son of a bitch shot JR. <laughs> he done everything. He done everything. <laughs> he done everything. I thought you were going to say JFK and I was like, oh, spoilers. <laughs> right, so Mina, Arkansas then is a small town of about 5,800 people. At the time, Barry moves into it. It's surrounded by large sprawling forests and it's the definition of the middle of nowhere. Barry and his crew set up shop in Mina Intermountain Regional Airport and they import thousands of pounds of cocaine in there for further distribution into the US. Investigators into these rumoured dealings in Mina were instructed by the federal government not to investigate before 1982 or anything to do with anything before 1982 and the initiation of the CIA operation which started in 1982 presumably hiding secrets of national security could be hiding secrets of the CIA arming uh, military dissidents in Nicaragua that they're not supposed to be doing and the reason that they're able to afford to get those guns make them outside of the purview of the ATF or any kind of government organisation they had all the money to do so because Barry when he dropped the guns down to fucking Nicaragua the boys would throw a load of cocaine that the Colombians had brought up to Nicaragua onto the plane and fly it back into the United States they'd give that to the CIA the CIA would sell it take the money create the guns to give to Barry to bring back down so they were essentially operating outside of the funding in what's called black ops, uh, dark operations, where this money wasn't ever being seen by the government. They were selling drugs. No paper to get trail. Cash, no paper trail. <laughs> selling drugs cash to get guns. cash, to make guns, to give to these lads, 
in order to fight back against the communist regime that the American government said, ah, the Sandinistas, they're not that big of a threat. We don't need to. And the CIA were like, they really are. We don't like really those communists. Are. And the whole time that, that was going on, and when it started in 1976, George H.W. Bush was the head of the CIA and was starting those operations and starting those funding, starting those uh, uh, illegal drug selling machinations. George H.W. Bush did that. Mm. And then he went on to be the vice president of the Just Say No president, yeah. <laughs> who then said, we've got to start a war against these Sandinistas. They're down there just being all Nicaraguan. I don't like it. Isn't that right, Nancy? Like, didn't just give... Just say no. Just say no, Ronnie. Like, it didn't, <laughs> doesn't make a fucking bit of sense. Do you know what else is funny? Uh, I'm guessing that customs is funded by the government and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would have had a field day if they found all the stuff that was coming in. But sure, that's the thing. They were kept in the dark. Yeah, so the they're CIA. getting paid to look for it. And they, and they were looking for a guy <laughs> that fitted the description of Barry Seal, but they were told, don't look at Barry Seal and don't look at anything. And they were like, a lot of things are going on in Arkansas. And then the CIA were saying to Customs and the FBI, you're not allowed to look at that before 1982 in Arkansas. Okay. Mm. And what was happening before 1982? George H.W. was doing all that stuff as a CIA director, so you weren't allowed to implicate, you weren't allowed to investigate because you may implicate someone who's in a position of power. So it's like, yeah, that doesn't exist, okay? Fucking, like, it's fucking so corrupt. It's yeah, Robo, yeah. Robocop's fourth directive. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'd OCP. buy that for now. Yeah, 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 they couldn't do it, man. It's, it's bananas, right? Stay out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Your move, creep. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, they're not allowed to not allowed to investigate before 1982. So there were multiple attorney, uh, attorneys general uh, staff memos instructing investigators to remove all files concerning the MENA investigation from the attorney general's office. And this was after a local paper requested a Freedom of Information Act set of documents in an attempt at a hit piece on the governor of Arkansas named William Clinton. I'm the governor of Arkansas. And you know what? It's time to pay the bill. <sighs> These guys were corrupt as fuck. And Bill Clinton, governor of Arkansas, was making phone calls going, uh, yeah, you got Barry. You tell Barry he's a good guy and uh, open the door and don't let him hit, don't let him hit him in the ass on his way out. All right? Okay, bye. Love you. Like, click. You like that song, Careless Whisper? Like, <laughs> like fucked up man, that Bill Clinton was making phone calls. They only made one mention of it in the movie where it's like, yes, governor. Okay, governor. All right, thank you, Governor Clinton. Schlaclacky mm-hmm. hung up, and we were like, oh, my God. Like, he got Barry off so many times. He got all of that shit squashed. Because, obviously, Arkansas was making a few pound. Yes. Clinton had his had their, had their paws in all of the drug trade. Mm. He had his eyes on the White House, and he paid his dues, and he did his business, and he sorted George Bush out, and he sorted these lads out, and then he got his turn in the White House. That's amazing that a lot of, probably even his campaign was funded by the drug money. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> and Arkansas was riddled and, with it. Yeah, and I tell you, one of the I, richest states at the time, probably. I'm, go, I'm going money to do goes a, through that. I, I watched it today, and I don't have enough time to do it in this episode. It's so I, I thought I'd be able to mention it, and I will mention it, but I, I thought I'd be able to go through it at some level of depth. But I found after researching that I can't. Did you hear about the two lads that died on the train tracks? Yeah, mm. two young lads wrapped in a tarp. Wrapped in a tarp, were left on the train tracks and ran over by a train, and they. 
there was a, a a separate medical investigation done on their dead bodies and found out they were stabbed to bits and their heads were bashed in because they saw something something that they shouldn't have seen related to drugs in Arkansas and they were one of the the Clintons suicides they call it Arkansas so if you're from Arkansas and you see something you do something you're not supposed to do you die a suicide yes. and it was ruled they they killed themselves and the families couldn't accept it but it goes so deep man like that story the people that they were associated with, their friends, their friends' parents, like everything to do with that whole fucking sitch. I'm going to do a spotlight episode, which is a 45 to 60 it minute just, individual, like n- non-tangential uh, um, and like an episode about these coming in next year. That's the dark. No, like that shows crazy. That shows the, the darkest of the dark. Yeah, of when if you if a if a power can just can kill off, you know, just teenagers like children, you know, standard operating procedure demo. Yeah, it's it was, uh, it was happening to kids in South America every goddamn day. Yeah. When it happens to two kids in rural Arkansas, people start asking questions because that shit don't happen regular. Yeah. In Colombia, because it's a quote unquote war torn country, because it's a quote unquote developing nation, because it's riddled with drug lords and crime is expected, yeah, brutality we'll, is we'll, 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 presumed. Yeah. We'll, they went missing. Yeah, it happens down there. We'll give it four minutes on the news. It's happening yeah. to brown people. I don't want to reduce it yeah. to skin color. Four, four, four the, minutes on the news, that's what you're getting, and we'll have a different, and now the sport. But yeah. with, the, with that one in Arkansas, it's like... Bad taste. Yeah. It's fucked up, dude. See, when there's a war, you know, there's a war on drugs, you know, they, the, the countless bodies just everywhere they go, yeah. like Vietnam, South America, and then even on, you know, home turf and children of, like, probably, I'm sure oh, everyone knows everyone down drugs, there. The whole, yeah, the people whole that you might even yeah. know, or, you know, the family, blah, 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 like, there's, like, they'll stop at nothing. You know? They will stop at nothing. See, it's, it's fair enough to say That's one thing. thing and, like, it's, it's happening. You're saying something. You know something's happening in another country that you said it and some people are getting killed. But, like, you're saying it and it's there and you're doing it. And, like, you can still, you know. I was talking about, like, people overdosing in West Virginia or something on, on opiates. And you look at that on a Vice fucking video on YouTube and you're like, oh, and then you can disassociate yourself from it and it's fine. But the people that live there see it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Like, with the ubiquity of, you know, social media and video content that are super high quality and people that make their YouTube channels. On. So it's just like those two young lads saw something they should have seen and they were rubbed out for it. And undoubtedly it was from the Arkansas like crime syndicate, which aka the, the Clinton uh, enterprise, you know, and Bill Clinton had more than a hand in all of these shenanigans because he was getting the lads who were smuggling the drugs in off their fucking criminal charges he was just from pointing their fingers at them just facilitating like lads to have airports they were facilitating uh, uh, factories for manufacturing gun uh, components without serial numbers to be shipped to south america so obviously bill was doing his fucking his due diligence he was doing his uh doing his duty as regards to like the fucking satanic brotherhood or whatever some 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 fucking you know we're all out in the forest and we're just wanking the lad to the to the right Whatever group he was in that he agreed to cooperate with as governor of Arkansas, he was doing his bit because we're like, right, well, we need somewhere where the, where the fucking guns are going to be. And if you can fly them out handy and we don't have to transport them out of state, Bill is like, I know a guy and I know a place. We're going to get it all done for you. Okay, Georgie? And George's like, well, uh, that'd be really nice for the new world order, Bill. I appreciate it. Like, these boys are in cahoots doing this shit. And it's very obvious when you look at it through the lens of the case of Barry Seal. It's all there. It's all there in black and white. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Bananas. The body count. Well, the body count is mad because um, the uh, 
like Mina, I, I feel is one of the linchpins then in this uh, investigating the Clinton crime family and the numerous suicides and deaths around this uh, Arkansas, you know, political machine points to cocaine smuggling, governor's pardons for arms traffickers, money laundering, bribery, the Justice Department criminal division, and then a direct order then from Bill Clinton to cease all investigations, monitoring and action on the alleged drug trafficking between Colombia and the US through Arkansas. So this is like, uh, but, you know, out of one side of their mouth, the government are going, say no to drugs, we got to fight these drugs, we got to blah, blah, blah. And then Governor William Clinton is, is like cancelling investigations into drug smuggling that's happening in his state. That's literally like the gaping, the gaping anus allowing all this cocaine into the United States through his state, through Mina, Arkansas, through a named CIA and DEA asset who is known to the FBI, US Customs, known to everybody, and it's all just allowed to happen. Fucking bananas. Mm. We'll kill anybody that gets in our way. Yeah. Yeah, and like Got Barry Seal isn't deal. like the fucking Duke brothers here, you know what I mean? He's not evading the law at every turn. No. And just like, you know, God damn it, we nearly had Barry Seal and he got away. Like, he's wandering around yeah. a free man. Fully free until he becomes, yes, uh, you know, I mean, untenable. Yeah. I mean, until he becomes unprofitable. <laughs> and then he's not Spo- a free spoiler man. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but this is the thing. So there was so many then odd deaths uh, in these years um, where, where Clinton was doing all this stuff. And in a handy dandy list from theodysseyonline.com, here are just a couple from the famous Clinton body count. Tell you what, Gordo, you bang through these yeah. with the discrepancy. And me and Damo will tell you how they could have done it a lot cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Mary Manny, who was a former Clinton intern, and she was allegedly preparing to go public with her story of sexual harassment when she was murdered at a Starbucks in Georgetown where she worked. Uh, her and two co-workers were shot to death after hours, yet no money was taken. Simple. Huh? Simple. Take, take money. Take money out of the till. Clean money it out of the till, okay. fix it up. Yeah. Yep. That was same definitely as, a hashtag me too just there. Same as Seth Rich, man. They, 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 Seth Rich died. He was the one that informed on the DNC shenanigans during the, the, the Hillary right. Clinton campaign. Died as part of a burglary where the burglar robbed nothing off and Sloppy. just shot him dead. Sloppy. Yep. Take, Sloppy. Take the money. Take a few bucks. I can see them, I can see these guys driving away in the car going like, no, you took the money from the till. No. Oh, that shit. Oh, no. I thought I was going to... Yeah, you were, were going to take the cash. That shit? Well, I, was, I was getting the CCTV and you were... Oh, God, okay. Well, nobody's going to notice it. Just, <laughs> yeah. It won't become an international incident. Well, why not just do a... Uh, why not just, uh, you know, spike her pumpkin latte? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some arsenic. It's like, hmm... Yeah. This is a Do new flavor. Do a serpent on her. Yeah. Uh, Vince Foster, then, probably one of the better-known names of the list. Foster was a deputy White House counsel for Clinton, and his death was ruled a suicide, a crazy suicide, but the circumstances surrounding his demise are questionable, to say the least. Uh, he was about to tell all, all the details about uh, Hillary Clinton's involvement in Waco and uh, blow up that whole thing where uh, we did an episode on Waco where the ATF basically blasted loads of tear gas into the faces uh, of, women, of and women and children that were trapped in a steel box kitchen cabinet kitchen unit and uh, and then set fire to the place. So fuck those guys. With, with this one, it's, it's it's this thing here, make it look like a suicide. That's it's, a common it's theme. It's so like open for holes and picking apart. So but with this one, I say, one of these things you don't question though, Jerry. Don't, don't make it look like a suicide. Make it look like an accident, a traffic accident or something like that. Hit yes. him with a bus. They do that too. But then you have to have the driver of the bus keep his mouth shut. You have to, you know, well, have it be one of your guys, you know. All I'm saying is, like, you know, if it make it look like a suicide and Vince Foster is skipping around happy look, as man, a pig and shite the, the day thing. before. This is the thing. Piano falling out of a window. Like, yeah. has, to, has to have plausible deniability. So, obviously, someone's shooting him and then setting it up. 
but like, is it the same guy doing them all? Is it one, you know, odd job? Is it one guy? There's a, there's a, there's a couple coming up here now. I think we got we can easily, yeah. Well, Kathy they call Ferguson. him the suicider. <laughs> it just walks around. <laughs> yeah. the that's, a that's a fucking TV. That's a TV show I watch. Punisher, but just. Uh, uh, the the, the, like sounds like an Eddie's TV show, like and it's just like <laughs> ring, ring, a leather gloved hand answers. And it's yeah. like, hello, hey, we got another one. Dun, 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 yeah, suicider. <laughs> Time to pay the bill. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so Kathy Ferguson and Bill Shelton. Kathy was the ex-wife of one trooper, Danny Ferguson, who was by many accounts a volatile man was named as a co-defendant alongside Bill Clinton in the Paula Jones sexual harassment suit. Uh, Kathy was supposed to be a corroborating witness for Jones. And she was found dead in her living room and her death was ruled a suicide, even though she left no suit and her suitcases were found packed as if she was about to go on her trip. But then at the last minute, she's like, no, I'm not going to go on my trip. I'm going to kill myself. And then Bill Shelton, her fiancé, was found shot to death at her graveside. No way, because they knew where he'd be. And his death was also ruled a suicide because he shot himself out of grief. Uh-huh. Real simple here, when you're when, while you're suiciding this person, dart upstairs, see if they've got any suitcases packed. If they do... Unpack them. Unpack or bring them. them. Or bring them. Or bring them. Bring yeah. them. If they have any jewellery. Grab it. I yeah. thought you were going to grab the jewelry. Oh, I thought I was. Were you, did you grab the jewelry? Me? Oh. oh, did you delete the Netflix queue? No, shit. Oh, did you know you, what I mean? Like, because, you like, you know, uh, you know the cash packed suitcases is suspicious. Okay. Oh, sure. It's a, Pulls t- holes unravels the whole story. But if you know, if you were to just take those suitcases and fuck off, like, what are they going to do? Mm, Kathy Ferguson committed suicide and didn't own many clothes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> own simple fuck woman. All, you know, simple suspicious. woman. Uh, yeah. Um, or John Wilson. So, uh, yeah, a bunch of other guys. And James Bunch, who was a well-connected Texan, and uh, he had a little black book that contained, uh, you know, um, prostitutes' names, and Bill Clinton uh, was uh, involved in prostitutes. And he died of a gunshot wound. Uh, two shots at the back of the head, similar to Vince Foster. Um, but they didn't try to claim that was a suicide, right? Yeah, yeah, suicide. suicide yeah. So he shot himself in the back of the head? Twice, yeah. Death by ricochet? Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people are ruled a suicide when they shoot themselves in the back of the head twice. Back of the head instead of the front or the side. Yeah, they love it. Sure, that's how you. That's how you get it done. Jerry Parks. Then Parks is the head of Clinton's gubernatorial security team in Little Rock, and they shot him in his car while he was parked at an intersection, and shot by unknown men for unknown reasons. But Parks had been secretly compiling evidence as part of uh, Clinton's office duties. And all his files were stolen during a break-in in his house that was completely separate to the crime of him being shot at the intersection. So he shot at an intersection on his way home, and then, he's, and then they knew where he was going, and they robbed his house and took only the files that were p- pertaining to... There we go. Then well, how do we sort this one out? You fucking... Rob more ma- stuff. You merge those two. Wait till he yeah. gets home. You burn yeah. him and his whole house. Get it all done in one place. I love the boy. While he was... And like you, Suicide solvers. You I love the, you guys. You do the thing with the, uh, the, the tin of beans in a pot. And like you have his body, I'll leave a burn. You have yeah, his body yeah. next to the thing, and then you blow up the oven, and oh, he was cooking beans, and it blew up. Blew up, volatile. He put low-fat beans, sugar-free beans, and regular beans together, and the chemical reaction, and it's fucking. Was the play, the, play the long game. Go in and take the batteries out of his carbon monoxide lamp. <gasps> Poison yeah. to death, and then and then and then, how do you get rid of the files though? Make it look like because he had just the Clinton files. No, I'm not missing. saying I have all the answers, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Parks, yeah, poor old Jerry. Um, next then, Florence Martin. Martin was an accountant working for the CIA. She was found shot dead in Texas, and her killer was never apprehended. But she had documents and paperwork detailing an account for a drug smuggler. 
by the name of Barry Sale. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was a bank account that had uh, $1.5 million in it that had to go missing. Um, Gandhi Ball, which is a crazy name. Ball was an attorney who represented Clinton's close friend, Dan Lasseter. And Ball jumped from the window of a multi-story building and... Later on, Lasseter was indicted and convicted on cocaine distribution charges, but was pardoned by Clinton, uh, who was the governor of Arkansas at the time. So they pardoned him and then pushed him off a building? No, no. Lasseter. The, 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 uh, Ball was the attorney. Right. Ah, yeah. So Ball was like... I uh, mean, with this guy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the other, yeah. You know, the, the, he jumped from a window of a multi-story building. Like, I've been in multi-story buildings, and you, it's not like you can open the window like a fucking door. I don't know. It depends. It was the seventies or it was the early eighties. So who knows? No health and safety, but I don't yeah, think he would have big jumped. wide windows. Yeah, I mean, you have to be more than five stories up, or else you just get hurt as well. Well, this is it too. I mean, you want to be damn certain this guy's gonna not gonna shout all the way down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It I was, was Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. This is not a suicide. Yeah, and then like four other people who heard it then committed suicide very shortly after or whatever. So many suicides. Uh, Suzanne Coleman, who uh, was. <laughs> who had an affair with Clinton while Jesus he was the Attorney Christ. General. Uh, she's found dead with a, a gunshot wound to the back of her head. Uh, ruled a suicide. Uh, Paul Wiltshire, who was a powerful Washington attorney who was investigating corruption, was found dead in his bathroom and no cause of death was ever determined. But he was uh, involved in the investigations into the Reagan and North cover-up, uh, otherwise known as Iran-Contra. Uh, Waco, a uh, drug-running operation that was going on in MENA with Barry Seal. All of these things he was investigating, and uh, yeah, he had delivered a detailed report about Janet Reno and Waco just the few days before he died, so Paul Wiltshire got it in the back of the head. John Parnell Walker was a bank fraud investigator who was obviously deeply into um, uh, the, the the Virginia, the CIA bank accounts, uh, was talking about a $47 million embezzlement scandal, dead. McDougal, who was a, a, a James McDougal was a former partner of Clinton's in the Whitewater deal, and Whitewater is, a, I don't know if you know about the Whitewater scandal, we talk about that in the Clinton episode. Uh, it was like a, a, a you know property scandal in in Arkansas, and uh, the papers of which it was like a Watergate thing, and the papers of which were in the Alfred P. Murrah building, which was exploded by Timothy McVeigh during the Oklahoma City bombing. So all the evidence got destroyed. Like it's all super fucking. I should have just had a, a like a radio competition or something where all these names are like, "Hey, you want a trip, a cruise ship?" Trip. Put them all in the one place at the one yeah, time. Yeah, or a bus. It. You know, you get them all on the bus. Hey, we're going to get collect your wings. Yeah. Um, and then finally, Dan Short. Well, not finally. Obviously, there was. I think there's up to sixty now on, on the suicide. Of the, there's uh, another suicide one. List. If it's if it's connected to, I'll, I'll tell you after Dan Short. All right, uh, Dan Short was a bank employee who was supposed to be forced to launder money through the. State Bank of Northern Missouri was just across the way from Mina, Arkansas. And it was all Barry Seal's money. And then he went to say something about it. And then he was kidnapped and murdered. Um, Yeah, Dan Short got the, got the boot. Like, fucking crazy. crazy. And I just thought there, because it was uh, connected to Bill Clinton and some of his shortcomings and some of his mates. And they might knew Shortcomings onto blue dresses. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a miracle Lewinsky was still alive. But anyway... What about our good old mate who hung himself in prison recently? Oh, Epstein. Epstein. 100%. Totally, man. Cl Hillary Clinton was all over that, man. Totally. Totally all over that. Bill Clinton was with Epstein in every photo he was in. There's 29 flights he made on the Lolita Express to Pedo Island. 29. Pedo. On the logs. Like, factually, on paper, Bill Clinton signed in on the plane 
like undoubtable fact. Let truth. alone the ones that weren't signed in. Or Bill whatnot. Gates as well. Bill Gates was asked oh, in an interview. Gates, he was all what over about that. Uh, what about you hanging around with Jeffrey Epstein even after he was convicted and, and Prince Andrew as well, the sweaty cunt. Oh yeah. You were hanging out with Epstein even after he was convicted in two thousand and eight of of child molestation and and paedophilia, and we're like, yeah, he has loads of money though. Like so, like Bill Gates is like, yeah. I was hanging out with Epstein because I thought he was going to donate to a charity. That I was on the, Hiding behind charity You're one of the again. richest cunts in the fucking world, you motherfucker. Like, what yeah. do you need a pedophile's money for? You don't need the, the money, The fuck out of here. Gates, you. The fuck out of here, man. I know he likes young ones. you know why? Because he was sniffing around New Zealand for fetuses. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah? He likes them real young. He likes them real young, that Bill Gates. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... so uh, Allegedly. Uh, the, the, we talked about the Nick. By the way, ne, no, no, none of us three uh, will commit suicide. So we if no we go missing, yeah, it was any I think, of. The- I think you two are okay. You're you're just on a podcast episode. I'm the one that's belching on about it. But uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, no, I, I I'm okay. I'm totally non-suicidal. No, and I gotta tell you, I'm perfectly happy and a good driver as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although Jerry and I aren't good at cooking, so if we if we blow ourselves up cooking a tin of beans, that is possible. It, it, it is possible, but just know that I would never even attempt to cook a tin of beans. So, oh or, yeah, yeah, especially same. low sugar and regular together. Yeah, we're not doing that. It's bad news. Nah. So look at this is the end of Barry Seal. He sealed his fate. Barry sealed his fate. Hey. hey. Uh, so he he was he was convicted then with this case where he was caught coming in with guns. His Nicaraguan lads. Uh, he was. They put they put the cameras into the plane where they went to, to Nicaragua and they had all the lads like loading the coke in, had Pablo and the Ochoa lads loading the coke in. They also had Francis Vaughan, who was a a, a, a top aide to one of the Sandinista government um, commandantes in Nicaragua. And they were putting cocaine in and out. But a- after this, Barry became, what would you say, untenable. He became mm-hmm. a little bit, um, his cover was blown. He became useless. As a, as a secret agent. Everyone knew him. He wasn't Ellis McKenzie no more. He was Barry Motherfucking Seal. The pictures that were released on the paper, his cover was blown. The, on the, the news, like the man on the stitched news. him up big yeah, time. Stitched that him was, up big time. That was, his, uh, that, that was his sentence to death right there. A uh, uh, big time, yeah. I know he was totally like outed and uh, they sent him into court. He was to face charges for like various different cases, but he was uh, sent to court in Louisiana because he was trafficking, as we said earlier on, trafficking marijuana. Um, he was caught, and he was like $250,000 worth of marijuana, caught by the Louisiana State Police, and they were fucking gagging to catch this motherfucker. They caught for years, and he made them look like dope. So they caught him, put him into, uh, put him into uh, custody. He paid his bond, and then ended up having to be in court. And in court, he was just like, it's going to happen like any other fucking time it's happened. I go to the courts and blah, blah, blah. Someone makes a phone call. Bill Clinton rings up and goes, come here, blah, 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 or whoever the fuck. CIA rings up and goes, let him go. You know, didn't happen. Because they can't use him anymore. He was outed. He was fucking, what was it called? He was burned. That's what they call it. He was burned. And, um. Burned the beans. So he was, yeah, they burned the beans. He was out of the game. And this, uh, this judge, uh, Palinato, a uh, bad pup, oh, as far terrible. as judges go, um, sentenced him to a thousand hours of community service, and he had to live and work no, in this. Sentenced him to death when yeah. he said the time and and the address. Well, that's it, right? So they sentenced Every him to, day a, to, to a thousand hours of community service, um, as part of this this thing. They couldn't convict him for any kind of jail time, 
So thousand hours community service at this uh, Salvation Army halfway house. And so while working and living at this halfway house in Baton Rouge, uh, he was an easy target for the hitmen of the cartel. The schedule was pretty rigid and his location was made public during the court hearing when the judge wanted to make an example of Barry for going against Louisiana law enforcement. Uh, there was a million dollar bounty on his head if taken alive and just uh, an enticing 500k if he is confirmed dead. And Escobar and what was remaining of the Ochoa cartel were out for blood with Barry as dead uh, as he'd given them a decidedly embarrassing black eye in the news media. So after just three weeks at the halfway house, finally Barry's day had come and from the shadows, Colombians with guns wrapped in clothes, the guns wrapped in clothes, not the Colombians now, came towards Barry's white Cadillac and he was shot in the head and neck with a machine gun. Seven bullets were recovered from his head and neck. Um, I mean, they took no chances with him. They riddled yeah. him out. They filled the car up full of bullets. But they didn't want the extra half a mil. They were like, ah, half a mil would me. I don't need a million. Fuck it, we need him half gone. Half a million. He knew too much, but I think, and we'll go in the off defense, we'll talk about it. I think it wasn't just the cartel. Like, he had too much information on too many people, right? There's rumored to be a hit squad of five sent to Baton Rouge just for Barry. One of the men arrested and the alleged trigger man, Miguel Velez, died in a Louisiana state penitentiary in 2015. But Velez said that after the Medellin cartel watched the 1984 documentary Uncle Sam Wants You, they then arranged for Seal to be assassinated. So they had to find out on the telly uh. that he had been outed. So only... They were just <laughs> watching the telly. He goes, hey, is that El Gordo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what the fuck is Ellis doing on the TV? I can't So... Sadly, then, there was a lawsuit put out after Barry's death by his eldest child from his first marriage, Lisa Seal Fregon, who sued Barry's widow for Aww. selling his life rights to Universal Studios for 350 grand to make the film American Made in 2017. Lisa was the legal executor of Barry's estate and no money from the signing of this contract entered Barry's estate, so she wanted to issue an injunction on the film's release. She also put out as part of her legal complaint that there were so many factual ina- inconsistencies and inaccuracies in the story that it definitely should not be released, but the court eventually dismissed the case and American Made was released in 2017. Oh, and by the way, they never they never mentioned that the, the, in the court, the judge didn't say the time and place of his Salvation Army sign-ins. Yeah. So they blamed, like, just if without explaining it, they just mentioned that oh, the cartel shot, the, the cartel shot Barry. Not, like... Yeah. Like we had nothing. Like the American people have nothing to nothing to do with it, you know. Yeah, they're trying to get away from the blame of like CIA operatives or something like that doing something about it. Keep it vague because we yeah. let him off easy. We like Barry. But pa- Palinato, <laughs> Palinato said like he signs in every night at nine p.m. He's going to be living in this address, but because it was made public, yeah, and he was wasn't it. allowed any bodyguards. And Barry still usually had bodyguards around him because then if the, they were armed, and that means he was armed, and that would like it would have parole, his, his parole, parole yeah. violated his parole. Yeah. So they were like, you can't defend yourself. Everyone knows where you are. Everyone wants to kill you. There you go. It's your own fault. Yeah, man. Um, so Sentence him to death. When asked who he thought would kill him, Barry didn't say it was going to be the Ochoa family. Barry knew that the Ochoas were in jail already and they were going to sing about the, their operations for a lenient sentence as they had done before and was going to testify against the US government in court for their involvement and encouragement and facilitation in arms and drug transport. This statement is corroborated by Lewis Anglesey, who was Barry's lawyer at the time, and Barry said he was more afraid of George Bush because Barry was going to flip and expose the Bush family in some shady shit before Bush could take the throne. Namely, and this is mad, a videotape from one of the camera planes of George Jr. and Jeb Bush unloading bales of cocaine from the back of a plane in Florida. 
I mean, like, I've gotcha. been with you a long way, but, like, did he really have video of George apparently, yeah. on apparently, those bales of cocaine apparently right so. hand in Florida? Jeb Bush was the fucking governor of Florida. George Bush, like, ran the fucking whole thing. Like, George, but surely they've got guys to do that. Jeb yeah. Bush isn't the governor of Florida and on his Saturday going down to unload <laughs> bales of coke. This, out is the a rumor, this is a rumor video. It's the only <laughs> thing I couldn't corroborate. Because I got, I, got I got a kid and he's seven and he takes my bins out. I don't do that shit myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the governor of Florida is not handballing coke out the back of a plane. But maybe the boys wanted a bit of excitement as well. Like George was a pilot. Well, this is the thing, right? So let's, let's put it this way. Um, uh, this is very similar to Francis Vaughn and uh, uh, Pablo Escobar. Like, why would Pablo Escobar load the I mean, bales into the wrong. back of the thing himself? And there's a picture of that. Yeah, you're not so, wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, stranger things have happened, and they did happen, and there's pictures of it. So uh, th- th- this is apparently just internet conjecture, okay? Of course. There is no video to be seen. There is no even still in the video, but you're looking for facts. There are logs and FAA documents showing that George Jr., mm-hmm. George W. Bush, who was a pilot, flew one of the drug planes in Barry's fleet over Texas skies from Louisiana to Texas, possibly transporting drugs. These same planes were part of SEAL's company, which were bought and paid for by Spooks through Southern Air Transport, it used to be American Air or Air America, which was a CIA front corporation. Also, documents like insurance policies, maintenance records, and leasing agreements linking Oliver North to these business dealings as well. So all of this stuff. George Bush flew the plane that belonged to Barry Seal from Louisiana to Texas. Why would he be doing that if he wasn't transporting drugs? Yeah. Why would he be? Uh, why would there be a rumor of him on the video? He was a pilot. Like, why wouldn't he? Because that's all pilot. that was going yeah. on then. All that was going on. And he had a very publicly known uh, uh, cocaine problem at one point or another. Oh, yeah, and Dada would, Daddy would uh, let him go no matter what. So he could do whatever he could fly wherever he wherever he wants. You know, yeah, George W was going to do whatever he wants. If oh, of Daddy course, he was fucking. Off. He was the you know the prince in waiting. Like he could do no wrong. Yeah, and his dad was like the fucking kingpin of all of it. It seems to me. Yeah. So this Makes section, sense, man. This section I call it. I can saw this coming a mile off. <laughs> I can clever. saw this coming. I, I'm 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 pretty proud of these. Titles, I like that one. These are these That's are tasty. So after the Reagan administration blew up Barry's spot for a cheap win on the news and showed his face to everyone, it was pretty all pretty much all over Barry shouting. These photos that showed Pablo's face along with Francis Vaughn and the White House uh, wanted to look good, so they plastered all over the newspaper to get people offside with the Nicaraguans and saying like these Sandinistas. Reagan's like these Sandinistas and like he'd do anything. He said, Barry, we're going to send you down. We're going to take these pictures of these motherfuckers. We're not going to burn you. Don't worry. And straight away, the White House were like, these are too good. Fucking, he has, he ha- we have this guy and this guy and fucking Pablo Escobar. Run it. So it was essentially a death sentence for Barry. And uh, he was now forced to traffic marijuana. And again, lost his plans. And one of his friends in this, this shit show that was Mina. Um, it, was, it was all falling apart. The Mina operation was still flying guns to Nicaragua and the Contras and flying uh, drugs back up. But a terrible event in 1984 shook Barry and his crew, and it was the start of the end. Emil Camp, one of Barry's trusted pilots, crashed his plane into the side of a mountain near uh, the Mina landing strip, and Barry and others went looking for Emil in the wreckage and found it after two days of searching. The crack was that Barry and Emil had planned on taking a trip to Baton Rouge and then on to Miami, but when they went to get the plane to fly in Baton Rouge, they found out that someone had stolen it, and there was only one plane left that they could take. So Barry said, Emil, you take that plane, I'm going to take a commercial flight back. And Barry got onto his plane and they cancelled the Jolly Air to Miami. 
and a meal on the way back had engine problems that may or may not have been ah. possibly intentionally created and crashed into the side of a mountain. Now, was that meant for bears? Was that meant for Barry? People mm. think yes. And Barry knew from that moment on, not only was he lose his mate, long-term business partner and friend, but he also got the message that like, you're done. Yeah, man. That Get you next time. Out of all the time. flights that, that, that happened, there's none that I saw and read about like where they just had any engine failure, you know? That crash was meant for him. That death sentence was meant for him. Mm. And I think he knew it. And he knew, uh, it, it's fucking, it's over for me now. He was arrested then in Louisiana. Uh, and we talked about all of that, putting the salvation in the halfway house. So, finally, on February 19, 1986, after just a few weeks of serving his community service, Pulled up in the white caddy and he saw these Colombian men coming to the car and, they, rid- and they riddled him out. <laughs> now, allegedly, this is unproven, but hi- heavily rumoured, Barry died with George H.W. Bush's phone number on a piece of paper in his pocket. What was that for? Where'd yeah. that come from? I don't know. If, if, he'd, if, he'd, if he'd have dialed that number into a phone, that would have connected him to George H.W. Bush. Directly. So just to directly answer your question, what, yes. the, what was that number for? Oh, fuck you, Jerry. That was what it was for. Uh, that's, yeah, how phone, was that's how it, phone numbers work. Was it for, <laughs> <laughs> was it for, bad man now. Was it for him? Was it for him to ring and go like, come here, these lads are about to shoot me. Can you make a phone call to make it stop? I, I would imagine so. I would imagine it was it could more be. It could be, look, I have a pain in my bollocks doing this community service. You come over here and rake these fucking leaves. Yeah. He was feeding homeless people. Was that what he was That was the ash, yeah. I mean, like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, the FBI came then straight away to the scene of the shooting, apparently, and uh, cleaned out Barry's car of all the evidence, so took away all the, the receipts and all the possible letters and documents yeah. that may have linked him to anybody. The movie, um, like, the American-made movie said, like, you know, that he was documenting all these VHS tapes and whatnot. Loads of them. Was that from... All gone. All real and all taken away by the FBI. Yeah, fair enough. The car was cleaned out. So who, the FBI, who have been quiet throughout all this, I must say. Yeah, but they're watching and waiting. They're, the FBI they they, they kind of just come in and clean up, don't they? Like any American movie, they just come right at the end. No yeah. mention of them at the start. They don't even need to. They're, inve- just, they're just investigating. They're the Federal Bureau of the looking beds. at stuff. Yep. Um, so then, instead of getting this mandatory death penalty for murder, the Colombians, the shot Barry Seal, got life sentences for cooperating with the government. Very strange, oh, unprecedented, and mad enough. On the same day that Barry was shot, there was two big men in the Ochoa, in the Medellin cartel, shot in Colombia as well. Pablo Carrero, the number two man in Medellin. The number two now, yeah. shot by the boys. Presumably, he had been compromised and he was informing to the feds and they found out and they did a fucking, you know, fly up in a helicopter and throw him in a noose and, you know, the, the, the kick whole... Him yeah, kick him out. the whole uh, kind of ceremonial death, like don't cross us or whatever. And uh, the brother-in-law of Jorge Ochoa Pablo, he was shot too because he was in league with Barry. And there was also 30 more cartel soldiers shot that same evening all over Colombia and in different parts of the US like Florida and Baton Rouge. It's the fucking Red Wedding. The Red Wedding, man. They cleaned house. So that's all documented... Somewhere. All documented, so like, all absolutely real, all the same bit night. Bit of a fluke, isn't it? Bit of a coincidence. They don't talk about that when they talk about the night Barry Seal got shot, that 32 other motherfuckers simultaneously within a bunch of hours of each other across all sorts of nations, borders and state lines, all died. Mm. And they were all part of the same organisation. Possibly all had been compromised and suspicions were raised and they all went bang, 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 32 yeah. of them. Here's the other thing too. You know, it was like here. half a mil dead, one million alive. I mean, I know... Seal was a big guy to carry, so they're like, oh man, my back, 
yeah, how much yeah, how yeah. much is to get my back okay. my back fixed? Bring me his hand. But say just say if it was any other organization or group or whoever that wouldn't have col- been able to collect the award money anyway, they wouldn't have cared. They would have just popped him because they're not going to be able to get the million off. Yeah, they'll never be able to money transfer anyway. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, there's the other thing. Because if, if the three the lads were directly yeah, they linked, they they'd, be arrested. They'd, they'd think, oh, let's get the full million. They, knew, they were part of the cartel. They knew they were going to be arrested and sentenced to jail. But they didn't get executed. They got life in prison. And I wonder how cushy their life was. Were they willing to go, like, I'll do this one for you, Pablo. Let's get rid of Barry Seal. They caught him pretty easily. Oh, sure. They were waiting around for to be caught. Why? So they, they, that was they, they were the doing plan. the right thing. That they could be... Like maybe it wasn't even them. Maybe they were just lifted so that they could be definitively fingered as members of the Medellin cartel. Like you were the ones that pulled you the trigger. The, you are the only See. fucking. Yeah. You are the only yeah. three Colombian gays in Louisiana. The, yeah, yeah. The, you were the only option for the killer. It definitely wasn't the CIA or suspected to be the CIA. It was definitely the Medellin cartel. It wasn't it? Wink. We caught him straight away. They didn't even run. And your mom was like, "See, wash us." <laughs> Do you know? Now, before we get off the fence. Here is the fucking wildest, maddest, craziest part of this whole story. What? Could Barry Seal have been involved in the JFK assassination? How far back does Barry's involvement as a government agent go? I call the section Seal Harvey Oswald. Nice. So Barry Seal, rumoured CIA deep agent, international drug smuggler, DEA informant, and all a bad cunt with no regard for personal safety or moral compass to speak of. He was murdered by Colombian gangsters because he was going to snitch. Could he have been on the forefront of something so deeply hidden in plain sight in the US system that Barry Seal's little fat head was the only part of it to peek over the top and be seen by the general public? I think yes, but we're not getting off the fence yet. Was Barry's braggadociousness and bravado the thing that got him noticed and put on the pages of papers and on newsreels after his death? Was this the thing? Was this why? Was he a, such a an enigmatic figure? Or was it because people knew something was up and yet the system shouted all about Nicaragua and communism and drugs and just say no... And all the while, the Clintons, the CIA, the DEA, the FBI, and the drug lords, and anyone else involved on the day of Barry's death, all went about their business deal just like any other one. Mm-hmm. Barry Seal's death was big news. But why only Barry's? And why did nobody ever look into anything more afterwards? This is maybe why. In the book Barry Seal and the Boys by Daniel Hopsicker, the deep connections between Barry Seal and the machine of clandestine operations working behind the scenes in the JFK assassination, among many other geopolitical incidents, like we talked about Bang Pow and the, the heroin in the, in the golden, golden circle. Triangle. Or the golden triangle, even. It wasn't a circle. The golden square. <laughs> Fuck golden, it. Yeah, where yeah, all those golden showers that. take place. The rhombus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the fairly clearly d- described uh, geopolitical incidents that all of this shit happened. Like, Barry Seal was at the centre of an awful lot of stuff, Right. So I'll do another JFK episode in the future, possibly the 60th anniversary in 2023, November 2023, and we can discuss some of these events that we missed in the very amateur one from the first season that we did. But one character we talked about in the first one was a man called David Ferry, who was played by Joe Pesci in the Oliver Stone movie, if you remember, with no hair, he had a terrible wig. Mm. He was a CIA asset and he knew a lot of the players implicated in the assassination, like Guy Bannister, Clay Shaw, played by Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Carlos Marcello, and... Um, Ferry was a mentor to Lee Harvey Oswald he was also an arms dealer a child molester and a teen groomer and a pilot with Eastern Airlines and Southern Air which were both fronts for the CIA pilot as well and was the alleged recruiter of Barry Seal into the intelligence business when he was just 17 so he was a fucking child groomer and a CIA talent spotter bloody hell who was deeply involved in the assassination of JFK 
So Ferry had deep contact. And you were a pedo? Yeah. That's all about the pick of pedos, man. Pedos. Ferry had deep contact in South America from World War II times, and he flew there often from 1942. He began relationships with oil drilling companies and became embroiled in the oil business in South America. The same business that then George H.W. Bush and the Bush family was in from Texas, and their paths crisscrossed this time, uh, this timeline often. He became public when the JFK investigation came to light in 67, and his name was included in the papers, much to the chagrin of CAA director Richard Helms, who was also in the ballroom when Bobby Kennedy was shot. Mm. When his finances were investigated, Ferry was seen to own multiple gas stations where he would be seen fairly often meeting with people in a business-like fashion. Not a man to be seen at gas stations in regular life, but he seemed to be at them the whole fucking time. Mm. Uh, these were then obviously fronts for CIA activity, and Barry Seal himself would go on to own a bunch of gas stations in Louisiana and then in Arkansas as well, as well as a load of other small businesses that were all laundering money that was being brought back from Colombia. Like, fucking bananas, right? So these weren't the only connections that Barry had with the CIA, and his origins are rumoured to be CIA all the way through. On January 22nd, 1963, a now infamous photo is taken of a group of men now known as Operation 40 who were a team of men tasked with the assassination of Fidel Castro, and it included a veritable who's who of spooks and cohort operatives, including Alder Berryman Seal. At the table with Barry were Felix Rodriguez, a Cuban CIA operative who was involved in the Bay of Pigs and helped the Bolivian Armed Forces kill Che Guevara, future Watergate burglar Frank Sturgis, and Porter Goss, future head of the CIA. Also, Juan Restoy, who was one of the organizers of the Bay of Pigs veterans into a drug smuggling operation, which, which took the lion's share of the cocaine and heroin that entered the US in the 60s. And uh, the demise of this operation turned out to be the biggest drug bust in US history when the creation of the DEA was in 1972. They busted this former Bay of Pigs um, personnel fueled drug cartel that took heroin and cocaine before the Medellin lads took over. It was Juan Restoy and all of these lads who were former Cuba, anti-Cuba, anti-Castro-Cubans. Like, definitely all CAA payroll. And then we're like, well, we can't keep going with these lads. Like, it goes back and it goes back and it goes back. And Barry Seal, sitting at the motherfucking table breaking bread with these cunts in 1963, right? All very connected. Like, you can't deny this shit, right? There's also uh, CIA agents Tosh Plumley and William Seymour, who were also involved in Operation Eagle, which is that. Seymour. Who's <laughs> <laughs> also um, uh, par- part of the Operation Eagle drug bust. And the rumor has it that on the days following the 22nd of November shooting of JFK in Dallas, that Barry Seal was one of the guys who flew one of the very few planes that was allowed to take off from uh, airports in Dallas, flying possibly away the CIA assassination crew. What? Possibly involved in Operation 40. Like, Operation 40 was a crew of men who managed killers, who changed the path of, political pathways of countries all over South America. And when the Bay of Pigs happened, when uh, the CIA was going to be smashed by Kennedy, when... Vietnam was going to be pulled out of when, uh, you know, all the drug stuff was going to be cracked down on by Kennedy. Like, all the things that they were making their bread from, Operation 40 went, action stations, let's go. And they all fucking weighed in together and Kennedy got the bullet. And Barry Seal 
flew the boys, flew the trigger men out of town. We need a damn good pilot. That's the rumor. Operation 40. So were there 40 of them? Was it like Ocean's 11? Or <laughs> was it 39 failed no. operations before this? No, it's, yeah, like, it's yeah, like when we reach 40, we all come together and have another few drinks. Like these boys are in <laughs> yeah. their early 20s in 1963 in this picture. And it's a totally like, it's a, it's a, they're all sitting at the table. I'll show you now and I, I put it up on the thing for the lovely folks at home. But that's them. All just sitting having a bit of fucking grub. That's, nice. that's Barry Seal right there with a big smiley head on him there. Oh, yeah. And this guy with the glasses, oh, that guy with the glasses there, that's, he used to, he went on to be the head of the CIA. This lad, Pesci there. Joe Pesci, this lad, this lad was one of the guys that was uh, part of Operation Eagle. This lad was one of the lads who was uh, tasked with assassinating Fidel Castro. All these mother, oh, all these motherfuckers are all top, top CIA, top agents, like top fucking spooks. Just the young lads, just hanging around, just hanging around, man. It's crazy bananas, cuckoo bird, like. Can't believe it that Barry is so deeply inculcated into this uh, yeah. uh, cohort. Well, they need, like, well, it makes sense because it, it was, you know, as we're saying, military from teenager. Yeah, did all these missions for for his country. The best pilot around, from what we can all see, he's the best he's around. around. I mean, so, like you know, so they, the, the government needs. The, fence, yeah. the government like, knows. You know, this is just from what. Well, I know so far, just from the bits that I've so seen. So pro- process that. And we get off the fence right now. How about Uh-oh. that? Right. Off the fence, whoever wants to go first, shout it out. Was Alder Berryman Seal inducted into the uh, army as a pilot and very quickly switched into being a spook at the age of 17 or 18? He signed into his military service for six years and then put into a phone office. Was that phone office a cover for covert operations in Vietnam, shipping heroin out, or is that just a dirty rumour? No, I mean, like, I, I don't see how there's any argument that he wasn't CIA born and bred like he was CIA before he went to his debs <laughs> yeah all right yeah. Well, he was still a virgin he, when beer, he, was, he was fucking yeah smuggling heroin I mean and, and, and like you know later on I'm not going to say that he didn't branch out on his own and he didn't have his own little side ventures and junctures and one thing stood in the others and probably thought it was a great crack to play the DEA against the CIA and and have all the thrills of that you know, because he, he he is like an adventure junkie and uh, an adventurer, adventurer. Like the X Men, yeah. uh, schnicky schnicky. So without a shadow of a doubt, I don't think I think he was a a, a G man from the word go. Table same. It all makes it all makes perfect sense. I mean, he he had big balls anyway, but then the, then the the confidence that he's got the CIA behind him, or at least knows all the lads. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was an actual physical signature when he was a, a youngin, he's yeah. like, but he's, I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, I did, I did, I did my army when I was young and now I just want to be a commercial pilot. Want to live a life of leisure. No. Yeah, no way, man. He was, the, the whole time he would have, he would have, uh, he's got the backbone of the CIA all over I, I, I think the same. I think he was from a very young age, uh, definitely <laughs> like a paid spook. Or else just the luckiest bastard of all time. I, I think that first Six months of doing those operations, like we're like this lad's photographic memory. He's fucking doing all this now. Get this gun to Vietnam. Get him into heroin. We need a few bob to do these black ops, and uh, like they're still paying the price in Laos and stuff like that for for these this heroin uh, industry that's going on. It's the go-to driver. Dying. Fucking crazy man. Go-to driver man. So off the fence. What do we think about this as, as a CIA asset dealing with uh, the Sandinistas getting dr- getting guns in and out, getting drugs in and out? Is Barry Seal a protected man by the CIA? Is he absolutely untouchable until he becomes useless? Or was it like a country bumpkin who fell upward into success? 
I, I, I would say, Len, that this is this is one thing that uh, has been with me since I learned of the man. I think he was absolutely CIA all the way. All the way. I think that uh, he was under their employee. He was working for them, with them, occasionally for himself and with himself. Making a few bob on the making side. Making a few bob yeah. on the side. But here is one thing that I can say with some degree of certainty. He was an absolute pain in the hole of an employee. Like He was like... Seal, get in here! Yeah, the commission. Everybody yeah. in the CIA knew get that he here, was. Seal. The, he was yeah. the best pilot. He was great, but I can only imagine that he was an absolute fucking penance to have on the payroll. Like you said, lot lot weapon. he was the rigs. There he was, was a lot of clean up about that cunt. I'd say, laugh a lot of fucking. Yeah, you know. He had like three or four handlers working with him, and it wasn't a case of now, Barry, you're going to yeah. do what we tell you to do. It's more a case of so any so now we need oh shit. Barry Leroy Jenkins, he's fucking <laughs> at it again. He's just gone off and done a whole bunch of shit, and now we have to assign teams and departments to clean up after him. Yeah, you're a pain in the hole, Seal. But God damn it, you get results. With, you gotta fucking. I'm 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 drinking I'm drinking Gaviscon straight out the bottle here, Barry. You gotta fucking help me out. <laughs> you're, you're fucking making my hair go grey, Barry. Yeah. Seal. Yeah, no, it is. It, it is definitely uh, the the vibe that he, he is a rogue agent. Yes, he would do whatever for anybody, and his flip flop, like his on paper flip flops from CIA to DEA, yeah. to working with the Medellin cartel, to keeping the money, to doing his own deals, and then when it ran out of juice, like going back to shipping marijuana. Like one of the least profitable drugs to ship in a plane from South America, to getting caught and then fucking being given community service and then getting shot sounds like a fucking a, a rise and rise and then a big fall. Yeah, and and um, and, and and to that end, to to to, to drive home a point. When it got to the point where it was like, yeah, you know what, someone's going to kill Barry Seal. I'd say those people in the CIA that were like, good, I yeah. fucking hate that guy. Phew. I've hated that guy for 20 years. Let me do it. No, let me do it. Let me do it. <laughs> no, no. no. What do you They're going to they shoot want? Barry Seal. Oh, well, uh, you know. The CIA I, asset, uh, pain in the hole, uh, was he yeah, definitely all the on way. the payroll? Yeah, all the way. I don't know. Yeah, I'd say a bit of it's a... it's very rumoured online that there's no definitive evidence. I don't know about like a payroll as much as uh, like like what we've said is like you just, get to, you just get to keep it all. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're under our umbrella. You're all right. But like, damn you. You know, like the same damn old... They're, they're, their veins are throbbing out of their forehead and all that. But because he does it... I mean, there's no way... He, there's no way you can just be a bumpkin and just fall into that. You work hard. You're great at it. Mm. And how else would he... He ran have, his own fucking airline. Yeah. And that, like, like, you don't get given an airport if you're just like, ah, oh, you're, this guy's cool. Like, yeah. it was sort of, like, they, they protected him from, from the get-go. And they gave him, this is, like, he knew where to fly. But they go, like in the, like in the American-made movie, they were like, there, there, and there, and there. There would have been even more trial and error of him. Oh, you caught way more. Yeah, he would have yeah. been caught. Yeah. Would have caught more, like rested more times, and the times that he was arrested, he was like taken out. You know, like there's no, he was un, it was it was untouchable to to an agree, to to a degree yeah. of like, I mean, how many times can you dodge bail and jail? You know, without having somebody sign it for you. Yeah, yeah, I do think having um, Donald Gleason just pop up, yeah, fucking Nicaragua, You're free. Or, yeah, whatever. I think, uh, I think for as far as like um, the failing upwards, there was definitely an element of escalation, but I think it was like needs most as the devil does like the more opportunities that came up for somebody with Barry Seal skills the more places the CIA the DEA the FBI the US Customs found to plug him in now some of them were nefarious actors against public interest and some of them were trying to just do their jobs and solve crimes 
but they were being foiled at every opportunity. I think the CAA has an awful lot to answer for when it comes to geopolitics, when it comes to murdering innocent people, yeah, drug, drugs, yeah. drug, drugs and drug habits, and dr- like the crimes related to drugs in cities for allowing that stuff to happen. Like I don't think cocaine or heroin would be nearly as much of a problem if all law enforcement forces were pointed towards stopping them. Right. But I feel not all are, and I feel that the CIA were definitely promoting the importation, the veiled distribution, and the protection of those enacting those tasks. Yeah. Which made it a much more, like, uh, a, a much more volatile problem in the US, rather than just, like, letting it happen naturally and whoever gets through gets through. And if all, you know, all all forces for good are pointed in the same direction, yeah. that it will be an awful lot more difficult to traffic drugs and traffic people. But, like, somebody has to be doing the backdoor deals for that amount to get in. And we're making money both sides. Everyone's making money. We make Fucking, money, so why stop it? Do you know? And, and to be honest, I think that the Medellin cartel, as much money as they made, they never got to see the benefit of it because they couldn't fucking spend it anywhere. They couldn't go anywhere with it. They were all stuck in Colombia. Uh, you know, they were making deals. We know from from watching Narcos, and we do the episode on Pablo Escobar, we know that that poor cunt was arrested, and he had to just go, okay, go on, arrest me, but I'm going to build my own prison, and it's going to be like a fucking holiday home, and yeah, yeah. we're all going to just hang out with tennis courts and swimming pools and bitches sucking my dick. Because if I have to go to prison, that's the way I want to go. Like, there was no joy in it for them. And I don't, still don't know why really they did. They had a lovely life, but they were still in Colombia and they were still being, like, shot at the whole time. Whereas the lads who were making the money on the American side were literal millionaires and billionaires. And free. And f- totally free. Living in the... In and, oh, I was with someone underage. I don't worry, we'll just kill everyone who knows about it. This is the thing. So this is the next off defense. Is Bill Clinton way more involved... In this Arkansas, Mina, Arkansas operation, was George W. Bush and the, the 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 cabal that we now see as kind of the evil axis, the uh, the 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 adrenochrome child blood drinkers, uh, this kind of stuff. Like, uh, were those guys super implicated and like very implicitly involved in this, or is that just rumor? Is there enough evidence there to say like the amount of people that killed themselves, the amount of phone calls were made, pardon Barry Seal, the amount of fucking you know CIA operations that George H. W. Bush had a thing of? Is it fair to say that they were very heavily involved, or is it just conjecture? Well, I don't I don't know when about the adrenochrome blood drinkers or anything like that. We might parse that for a little while. <laughs> but I always say this like any any time there's someone that's the 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 top figure, be it a be it a prime minister or a Taoiseach or a president or a governor in this case, and there's shit like this going on, and they're not doing anything to stop it. It means one of two things. Either, number one, they're implicated in it, or number two, they don't know what's happening, which makes them incompetent and not fit for purpose. And both both of those are like, get the fuck out. So pick one. Yeah. Either way, it's like, you know, you, you either were involved in this, which means you're corrupt, so get out, or you were a blithering idiot and you didn't know it was happening, in which case... Also, fucking pick a window. Yeah. Um. So a- again, pick one. Yeah, I think uh, Clinton has a lot to answer for. There's, I mean, we just barely skimmed across the yeah. top of that shit <laughs> that was, quite yeah. quickly. To just be touching it right. But it's not. Yeah. It's a whole other episode. Like it's so like another seven hours episode to talk about them guns. But then, what do you think? Is this? Is this? <laughs> Him and his sacks were just—he was just popping people left, right, and center. But exactly what Jerry said, like I could never have said it as that well. 
It's like they either had no idea, but he, he definitely had some idea, which means that, you know, like they, they know the overall, well, if anything comes, you know, if you hear of anything, you know, yeah, get rid of him, you know. Which is just as evil as actually doing it. Bill was implicated in an awful lot of sex scandals and an awful lot of his accusers died by suicide somehow, mysteriously. Yeah, and then Some Bill Clinton is in the fucking opening theme of Animaniacs. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's mad that, that someone with this high profile of being a nefarious individual still got such a, a, a molly coddling and a cartoon character persona Oh, he played. He, you know, I, I was fifteen when Bill Clinton was uh, was elected president, yeah. and I can tell you, yeah, he plays the saxophone. He's got a cat called Socks. You know, he's he's, he's, fun. he's the cute he's cool. father of the of the country. And when he and got this is caught, at the time he was the president. Yeah, and yeah. when he got caught getting his fucking dick sucked by an intern, uh, well, you know, that's slick Willie for you. What can you do? Slick Willie. Slick Willie, man. I think the reason for that, and this is maybe stepping outside the bounds of he has a lovely knob. What the? Yeah, a beautiful penis. Super smooth. I think that the reason that he gets away with it is because I don't, I don't really think he's driving the car fully. On you think that. Hillary's driving him? I think Hillary Clinton is driving the whole, whole thing. This whole thing is Hillary's fault. Never let it be said that we couldn't find a way to blame a woman and all this. I'm just saying, man, <laughs> you know. the, the, amount, the amount of stuff that Hillary is into, the long-term plan, like she was behind all the stuff at Waco. She's behind an awful lot of stuff. Now, obviously... Bill Clinton's sexual impropriety is part of a, you know, a systematic acceptance of people in power who were taking advantage of younger women. Uh, he's also a horn dog with a beautiful penis, so he's wanting to show it around. Perfectly cylindrical. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, uh, like perfectly symmetrical, and it's like a fucking prism, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, has the blind man to draw a penis. If you look at it real close, where the sun shines on, a rainbow pops out the end. <laughs> The um for uh, for Hillary Clinton, like you know, I, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be here going like you know, it was the woman all along, of course, Jezebel, she but did it. Be a woman or a man, but it as, doesn't matter. As, as we would say up our way, there's a pair of the minute. There's a pair of the minute, and they minute. both emboldened and enabled each other very much so, um, for their own personal enrichment. And I think you know when people start going and investigating you and all the files that you keep in your private residences, uh, are about to be raided by the FBI. And then all your houses burned down. There's something about that. That happened yeah. in 2018. Yeah. Something about that. You would wonder. When the person who uh the person who gives the evidence about a dossier that was part of a probe into Donald Trump's connections with Russia turns on you, which only happened in the last couple of weeks, and now the entire weight of the American judicial system is set to investigate you and your connections with Russia. Uranium one and all this kind of stuff, and people start dying, people start dropping. When investigations into pedophilia and your pedophilic acts, your sexual improprieties, not just with like young girls like like Slick Willie, but like raping and satanically ritually abusing young people, and they come forward and say like, yeah, they they did that shit, and then all of a sudden all these people that start exposing that in the media all start killing themselves by accident somehow, mm. like. There's an awful lot of fucking bodies, man, of two shot shotguns, two two shots to the back of the head. Worst case of suicide I ever seen around these motherfuckers. Like there's too many. Like, there's a reason that there's a fucking word. Like Arkansas is is a term for a fucking reason. Because it happens a lot. But here's the thing, like say you murder a lot of people to cover up stuff, and in your head, the reason you can get away with it and going to sleep at night is going, it's it's for the greater good, it's for the country. It's to keep the, whole, the, 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 to keep the then, cabal. Yeah. 
Let's keep the secrecy free, around the cabal. Da, da, da. We it's, know better. We know better than the people know themselves. We're in charge and we have to stay in charge so we yeah. can't let them know. Our economy, our, you know, cheap labor, keep people in prisons, blah, 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 all that. So you go, you go well, that's fair. But then the sexual part, that's just your own evil hobby. Like, that, surely that's got to be more... That's not for the country. Yeah. yeah that's Do you know a, what I mean? That's just showing that's how evil they actually are, like, yeah. are through and through in every aspect of their being. I, I feel so. And we're talking about that on another that's whole another episode. One, but just, but like, uh, just to show that... I do like, think the Clintons were definitely... If Clintons, we're getting off the fence, the Clintons were absolutely involved and I think promoting and facilitating Hillary should have chopped whole off Billy's willy a long time ago. Uh, I mean, not saying that would have stopped anything. Who said she didn't? Why do you think it's so perfect? Yeah. It's prosthetic, <laughs> baby. No, it's expensive. I had to pay the bill. Like it's, uh, it's you know, made of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like a compressed cylinder of coke. <laughs> Suck on it and see. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah it's, uh, uh, they're absolutely impl- Im- Im- implicit in this. Like they're absolutely involved. He's There's no way they can't. Bill Clinton's ringing up the district attorneys, getting Barry Seal off. Yeah, man. Like very you, quickly, you, you, you could just not do that. You could just not you do that. Just not yeah, do that. and yeah. let a drug smuggler go to prison. Yeah, or real easy. I don't know. If you were smart and in the right place at the right time, like a lot of them were, and they well, they all were pretty much. You could you could have still probably come to power by not being evil. I don't uh, know if anyone had not in this. Probably not. not yeah, the probably not. Probably not in that system. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. I I, I mean, I'm not one like for saying thing. systematic blah 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 or whatever, but like it's a kind of thing where you don't get to the upper echelons of power without having been at one of those parties where everybody like comes around and they all wank on a child and someone's videoing the whole thing and then they say. Okay, on this SD card is a picture of you doing this. If you don't do what we're told, it'll be released. Like, that's... Everybody has to go through that. If you get to that certain level, everyone's gone through it. And anyone that talks about being in it and has gone through it <laughs> and has exposed it have somehow mysteriously Arkansas. committed suicide. Yeah. Isaac Cappy being one. And we talk about him at length in the Clinton episode. Now, let me ask you, last thing, and we'll go. <laughs> Off the fence. And it's a wild sweep. But after viewing that picture and knowing about all of those guys and where they were in 1963 and knowing that Barry Seal was involved in that cohort, what do we think? Did Barry Seal, could he have possibly flown the JFK assassins out of Dallas? Or is that just one of a myriad of threads to the mythology that is the man Barry Seal? I mean, like, you know, if you needed a, you know, if you needed a pilot, then sure, he's your guy. You needed a pilot. You know, every every heist every heist needs a pilot. <laughs> He's a getaway driver. I need your top guy. Yeah. Uh, low and slow. He could have done it. Exactly. Low and slow. So and like, slow. you know, Barry Seal story. Who's who's to say? I mean, the JFK assassination is a whole another thing, but if the CIA did do it and they needed a pilot to get people out of there and Barry Seal was at nothing else that day. Barry's the man. I mean, it kind of seems like like they're at dinner kind of celebrating some stuff. Oh, like, I don't, yeah. When was that picture taken? 1963, January. But that, so, And JFK was killed? November. 63? Yeah. So they're kind of celebrating early, aren't they? Well, maybe they're having a little chat about some stuff. <laughs> 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 they killed a few people before yeah. that. But then yeah. would, would if Barry did do that, would he still be alive knowing what he knew? Yeah, so if, I mean... He, so this is the other thing. I do think could, that they just, they the minute just Barry said, became persona non grata as far as being a useful asset in Colombia he knew that the Colombians were going to get him the only way to save himself was to turn on the US government and tell everything that he knew 
which is why I think. Uh, oh yeah, last off defense question: Who killed him? Was it the Colombians or the CIA? Well, do you know? And, and I will say this. Um, and it, it kind of dawned on me when that plane that his pal was flying back from Miami just crashed into a mountain and all that. Emil, yeah. There's cleaner ways to kill a guy. You're you telling me the CIA couldn't be like, okay, Barry's going to be flying over here. We know exactly where he's going. Stinger missile to the left wing. Take this fucker down. Yeah, but somebody has to pay for that stinger missile. It's going to be traced back to a place that it was launched from. No, There's you all... just say he crashed. He crashed. Engine failure. Went down over the sea. Yeah. You know, and this is what I always yeah. love with conspiracy thought is like, you know, you, you, you can always have like a very uh, set way of looking, th- looking at things or you can have, your, you know, your quote unquote theory and, and out it comes. And then, you know, you can turn around and go, but what if, if, you know, we, wouldn't we, it be you easier know, if, wouldn't it be easier just to fucking put two in the back of his head while he was taking a piss someday? But the thing is putting two in the back of the head, why then make all of these women who accuse Bill Clinton of sexual impropriety, why make all of them look like that they killed themselves instead of just being like, oh yeah, someone broke in and like shot and robbed them. Yeah. Starbucks. Why make it look like a, you know. I mean, what's the name? Killer. Just she's riding another cup. Doo, doo, doo. Yeah. <laughs> what was uh, who? What's the name of the judge that uh, that gave Barry Seal the halfway house duty? Pa- Pal Palantano. No. Palantano. Is yeah, it Palantano? Like it's yeah. very close to it. So okay, I mean, so the thread is here that people wanted Barry Seal dead. The judge was in the pocket, so he said, rather than give you protection and immunity and protective custody and all this, I'm going to sentence you to community service and I'm going to tell people that you're going to be here, here, here at such and such a date, leaving you an open target to assassination. It seems like that was a death sentence that that was very organized. But at the same time, here's what you could also do. Run him over in a car on any given day. Shoot him on the steps of the court. Yep, he'll be you know, there's always I always find like there's a cleaner, easier way to get. But to the thing is, be. to shoot him on the steps of the court, you'd have to have a Lee Harvey Oswald, and then you'd have to have a Jack Ruby to kill the Lee Harvey Oswald, and then you have to have a fuck another con to kill the Jack Ruby. Yeah. Like, you and know, you've just you, you, it's a train of assassinations who are all then associated with you've, one you've another. You've just shot, you've just shot Barry Seal, which means you don't have a pilot to get everybody out of town. <laughs> you shot a guy. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, whoever shot him needed to be ready to go down forever. Mm. Yeah. And I think your man, the, 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 the cartel boys went down and they didn't get the death sentence and they were like, yeah, happy enough, man, because if I stayed down there with Pablo, he probably would have got paranoid and shot me at some point. So I'm good, like I'm out. We're all good here. And 30 other cons were fucking killed that night as well. And how did the boys know Velez and all? How did they know that they weren't one of the ones that were going to get a bullet that night? It's like, right, you can shoot Barry Seal and go to prison forever or we know you're working with the government and you're fucking dead. Yeah. Pick a hand. One or the other, do you know? I, I think something similar. I think the ju- I think the, the judge pretty much did it. You know, the judge sent like, them to and like judge. like yeah. the C- mate, I'm not saying the CIA wouldn't have done it or didn't do it like completely, but they were like, let's just see how this pans out because he's probably going to go anyway. So you think and it was then, the Colombians? Then I think it was the Colombians, but but because like they, they allowed said, by the CIA. Yeah, yeah, they were like, well, we'll look over here if you want to if you want to pop your man or yeah. drag him away. But I think it was just easier. And like you said. Um, you know, the guys of like, hey, you guys want them, just a couple of dudes, hang around, get caught, and maybe they said, we'll take care of your family back home or something like that. He goes, well, you, 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 go, you go pop seal, we'll make sure your family good, you have our word, blah, 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 blah. Break the seal. Yeah. Break the seal. That's Take them clubbing. That, like, that seems like the easiest, um, most, the cleanest. they got to get Break new ways of killing people. Because it's clear to me that they're, this whole, oh, make it look like a suicide is fucking bullshit. What they want is like they want like the most ferocious dogs. You want to train a dog from puppy, flay a cunt to absolutely not bite them a little bit to yeah. absolutely like go for the jugular, bite out in two goes. And as you walk past your target on the street, just sort of like pss, accidentally spray like 
bitch Rash, dog, rasher bitch dog, bitch yeah. dog yeah. pheromones yeah. on his neck yeah. or yeah. some shit like that. And then, oh, I'm just out here walking my dog. Oh no, he got off the leash and he mauled that dude to death. Oh, Desolate. I, th- I think it's the style. It's like the Russians. What they do is they put a bit of fucking polonium on the end of an umbrella, and then they point and poke your calf. And then the next thing you look like some fucking, you know, you look like Uncle Fester inside yeah. in the bed all yellow. Like you're done. You're done. Like that's that's Litvinenko, is that your man's name? Like that's yeah. that's pretty fucking uh Livchenko, Litvinenko. One of them cunts anyway. That's like the Russian style. Uh, yeah, and they don't seem uh, to uh, they don't Colombian seem to be style to... or Mexican cartel style is I don't know if you've ever watched the video uh Funky Town. Don't look it up. It's okay. Awful, but it's awesome. Won't, won't you not take me to Funky Town? Yeah, but there's a fucking video playing as there are a bunch of uh, uh, cartel guys who have cut a lad around the belly and a line around and pull the skin up up around his arms like a, like when you get stuck taking off a t-shirt and then they fucking cut all the Cut all the skin off his face, and he's alive for the whole thing. And cut all the skin off his face, and peeled his face off, and and then start poking around. It's just like slicing his eyeballs, but you don't know he's alive. And he's like lying in the thing. It's like take me to Funky Town, and then he starts going, (laughs) and you're like, oh, he's alive. Like it's it's it occupies a dark part of my soul still. It lives there, and mine Um, now too. Funky Funky Town. Like every time I hear that song, I think of that lad going, (laughs) right. Like that's their style But it's just the style Like you know the wet bandits It's the style of the Clintons yeah. To have you be shot in the back of the head twice Because you know That he killed himself Maria, yeah. But really you know That he crossed the Clintons It's their yeah. It's their fucking yeah. calling card Yeah 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 That it's like We still have power Don't fuck with us Because how many people Have they got in operations All around the place That are like Well Jesus I don't want to be suicided Like they know that That shit's coming If you cross them yeah, it's but almost it, could, like, it could be exactly that, but with dog maulings. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the suicide <laughs> thing because be you don't. Thing. Maybe it's the suicide thing because you don't get paid out your life insurance and your family don't get the money, so they do it as suicide. And it's ruled as suicide. And you don't get paid, so it's like if you fuck with us, no matter how big your life insurance, your sure family, your, your life together. insurance won't pay out if you get mauled by a dog. Uh, I mean, you get dog insurance. You get volcano insurance. I just think it's a calling card. It's a style. And it's definitely like become way more suspicious in 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 the recent past because people are like, oh, somebody killed themselves. It's probably the fucking Clintons because they're at that shit the whole fucking time. Yeah, and it, it could be about anything. It could be about knowing who killed someone. It could be about drugs. It could be about money. It could be about war. It could be about paedophilia. All of that. All of them and All the rest them. and the rest. But I then think... it's become a parody of itself. I mean, like Paul Walker died in a car crash, or did he? Was it the Clintons? Yeah, was it the Clintons? No, it wasn't the fucking Clintons. Who knows? <laughs> you have to ask his twin brother. Low and um, slow, fast and furious. <laughs> fast and furious nine, low and slow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the name of my sex tape, low and slow. Um, yeah, so I mean, look, we could talk all night and it's uh, there's so much more stuff. Like I said, Pablo Escobar, uh, the Clintons, what else? The Iran-Contra is going to get a bit, a bit of touching. The Reagan Webb. administration. Gary Webb, yeah, there's fucking so much stuff, man. Uh, Freeway, Ricky Ross, uh, the 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 cocaine wars, all that kind of stuff. Um, so much to come. But that's it for this episode of Those Conspiracy Guys. That was Barry Seal in the CIA Enterprise. Yeah, I'd and like my two questions are closer to being answered. Which was Amer- Americans uh, hate communism. Why? Because they can't they can't live the American dream if you're under communist rule. You can't live the American dream if you're asleep either, though. If you're asleep, that's true. And then uh, the other one is why they they don't like uh, fun drugs. 
well, I don't know. Why, why is there war on fun drugs? And it's yeah. because, uh, well, it's, it's too much fun. And, then, and, then, fun. And, then, and then all the prisons would crumble and then have no free labour. That's probably it. I would think so. We're going to do one There's on, more to that. On the 13th closer. Amendment as well. Yeah. We're trying to figure out why these Fortune 500 companies are making money off of prisoners uh, with that we touched on in the War on Drugs episode. But look at uh, we're burning daylight. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd also thank my two illustrious, uh, very knowledgeable <laughs> and highly entertaining guests. Uh, Mr. Jerry McBride. Thank you, Jerry. You can find Jerry at Jerry at McBride. Jerry McBride, yep. And uh, he's a, a, a... Jerry with a G. I guess a con- a cons- Jerry with a G, I should a say. Cons- yes. Yeah, Jerry with a G. And a consistent uh, contributor to uh, Waterford Whispers. That's right. Have you mm. had any other... So yeah, we've got a book. We, yeah, Waterford Whispers. we got a book in the shops. Uh, our 2021... 20, 2022 annual. Please buy it. And online. Order online, online or order online. So yeah. funny, you man. Go to shop. We'll, well, make we'll, a, we'll make a lovely little ad for that and we'll, yeah. we'll get people to have a go with that. And uh, in the red corner, uh, Mr. Damien Clark. Hey, I'm at Damien Clark with a G. <laughs> no, Damien. <laughs> D-A-M-I-E-N. I, I put the link for them. I changed it. No, it's D-A-M-I-A-N. And then uh, on TikTok, Damien Clark comic. Because there's another Damien Clark who doesn't use his account. I put the, I put the, link, tree, the link tree stuff in the... In the uh, description below and you can check them out and uh, go and listen to their they don't have podcasts yet but uh, yeah we'll see what happens I, I'm a I'm a I'm a an evangelist for podcast stuff so we'll see what yeah. happens who um, should I do have a podcast oh do you yeah I got the Tom and Jerry show yes Oh yeah, Jerry. Yeah, have a, have a listen to it. We just haven't been putting it in uh, for a couple of weeks. We'll be back in action now, really shortly, with a couple of Christmas. Tom and Jerry show. Tom and Jerry show with the wonderful Tom O'Manny, who's, who's been a on friend the show of this podcast. A yes. bunch of fucking times, some bookshot podcast. Tom and Jerry, Jerry, come on, you got to get your promo, man. I'm so, I'm Tom bad. and Jerry show. Ask Tom and Jerry show. Uh, it's available on all the good podcast apps. You can check it out. I put yeah, the links for that yeah. below as well. So that's it for this episode of Barry Seal. What a fucking whopper! Like so Mate. much stuff, so many fucking, you know, spider webs of. Intrigue and uh, definitely, Everything. definitely a linchpin episode to lead off into season nine and ten. With um, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.